Welcome to the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane, and I do appreciate you for tuning on in here on a nice, cold, wintry Sunday afternoon here as we head now into the depths of the off-season. But despite being in that time, as most teams are very quiet now, just sort of biding their time to get to free agency, our Seahawks have nonetheless remained very busy throughout this process. As Coach McDonald has slowly but surely put together his staff, his Avengers-like staff that he is hoping to take forward here to Super Bowl heights in the future. And on the surface of it, it looks like a very fine staff. Certainly, there are some people out there that might have a few questions a little bit at certain positions uh, about maybe not having enough NFL experience, but I think that there's been a nice balance between some fresh new ideas that can be brought into play here and some also guys that have been around this league for a long period of time and you have a little bit more of a known quantity on what you've gotten. We already know about and have talked about, of course, uh, Frazier coming in. This is a big part of for those folks that I think harp in on the uh, need, the the known quantity guys in there, the guys that have been there, done that, or as John Schneider said, can see around corners. That is the guy that Leslie Frazier is going to be. He can serve as that role. This is a guy that could be a head coach in his own right in the NFL. So as much as anything, he sort of all checks all of that box off on his own by what you do in bringing him in. Um, now, it's nice maybe to have some, co- you know, maybe a little bit more richer level of coaching experience on the coaching staff here, but I don't think it's necessarily a requirement when you've got enough of it mixed in here with some of the younger guys that have been uh, brought to bear here a bit. Um, when looking at the staff as well, we talked about Dirt coming in from the Dallas Cowboys, all of the really good recent work to great recent work he's done there with the likes of Micah Parsons and Lawrence. Um, even the role players like uh, Osa Duzier, I can't ever say his name, uh, Dorrance Armstrong, Sam Williams. Uh, he's got some good plays even out of the uh, not necessarily frontline guys out there. Jonathan Hankins has been a solid defensive tackle for them. It's also a guy that brings in uh, his own new ideas as far as from the defensive side of the ball. I kind of like the confluence between McDonald, Frazier, and then what you then get with uh, Durd in that you have with McDonald, the Rex Ryan, 46 defense kind of background. You have with Frazier, the Tampa Bay 2, Tony Dungy, cover 2 defense background, right? And then you have here with Dirt, kind of some of the old background back to the old cover 3 principles a little bit there with the with Seattle. But also when it comes to the defensive line, his ability to really utilize the stunt game. Stunt game is uh, something we talked a little bit about when Dan Quinn was being looked at as a head coach. It's what the Cowboys did at one of the highest rates of anybody in the NFL last year. And that is that you end up with a front four, but those guys are, of course, looping around each other. And it's really challenging pass protection at that point when they're expecting the guy to be coming out of man up. And then, then all of a sudden they're looking like, oh, wait, no, there's this guy here. There's a little bit of a scramble there. And what a lot of times you can do is create the confusion with those stunts by then making it look almost like a blitz or having it kind of a, achieve the same thing a blitz would achieve uh, by only doing it on the back of a four-man front. And we know with McDonald's scheme, this should work really well because McDonald's scheme has a lot of it at the forefront that ends up in a four-man front and how they drop off. They run a lot of stacked boxes. That's kind of the odd, that old nod there to the Buddy Ryan defense, but it's then the falling back out of the stacked boxes and ending up with a four-man front. What happens when you, you fall out of the stacked boxes, end up with a four-man front, and then those four-man fronts start stunting post-snap? Imagine the type of confusion you start to build in on offensive lines when they're having to deal with all of that as a rolling process from pre to post-snap. All within about a, a second time frame, you know, could be this, could be this, could be this. Oh God, it's that. And that's not, of course, even talking about what's going to be happening on the back end. So Dirt 
Our does remain a very exciting hire, um, albeit again, one of those untested guys. Some people might say, hey, you should have gone with more of a DC with a little bit more knowledge. But again, as I said on this, it's going to be hard for whoever you're going to be in it, bring in as a DC to be one of those guys that had been around, seen that and done that because they knew on the pecking order, they were not only going to be behind McDonald, they were also going to be behind Frazier. Can't discount that fact and that that was going to mean you're going to need more of a young up and coming riser type if you were going to bring them in. Uh, another guy that was hired in was the Seahawks going to the Harbaugh tree, Jay Harbaugh, son of Jim, who was uh, breaking from the Harbaugh family tree for the first time. He's been uh, mainly there with uh, Pops at Michigan in a variety of different kind of roles at times, running backs, safeties background. But most recently, he's been a special teams guy, taking a page from his uncle when looking at uh, just some of the ratings by PFF of the recent special teams units coming out of Michigan over the last three years. They were uh, 27th best in college football this past year, 24th best the year before that, and 12th best in his first year. So uh, a little bit of recent, I guess, somewhat regression, though they're still in the top, you know, 20, top 30 of uh, a lot of college football teams out there. So it's still a decent performance, uh, everything being considered, I suppose, with that. Uh, we've also got Scott Huff coming with, um, uh, Scott Huff coming with uh, Ben Grubb from UW, of course. So uh, he was going to go to Alabama with Grubb, but then now is going to come here to uh, Seattle. And he started out with Seattle back in, not Seattle, but Washington, University of Washington back in all the way in 2017. So a guy that uh, survived the uh, DeBoer coming on and moving through this and moving through that and the coaching staff decided, hey, keep this guy on. He kind of, you know, hey, this guy's going to be a good coach. I think this guy's got, uh, got what it takes. And I think that he's done Really pretty good work, all things being considered out there at UW over his time frame since 2017. And it certainly culminated with the brightest finish from Huff in his coaching career this prior year, where the Husky offensive line won the Joe Moore Award, meaning they were the best offensive line unit in all of college football last season. So definitely speaks to that's If that's not an award that definitely speaks directly to a college coach and the job he'd done, and, and you consider that with Huff, this isn't a guy that's out there at Alabama or Georgia and he's got five-star stacks all the way around to get that Joe Award, right? He's doing it on the back of a lot of these guys being probably you know, three, four stars, you know, in there and, and trying to make it work from there. Um, he's also got a couple of pro-level guys that are going to come, come out in this draft in uh, Troy Fatanu, And then you've got Roger Rosengarten also going to come out. I think Rosengarten's going to continue to see his stock rise. He was early on looked as a back-end guy. I think he's slowly but surely kind of coming up boards at times here. Um, as his tape is really fun to watch. But Jackson Kirkland, Nick Harris, Trey Adams, all have gone to the pro level since um, uh, Scott Huff took over there with the, as an offensive line coach. The, the Huskies just had seven sacks last year, which was the second fewest in the nation, which speaks to his ability to create really good pass protection and keep his quarterback clean, which is uh, very mighty important, mightily important, of course, in the NFL in general, but of course, hugely important here in Seattle where we've been really, really struggling mainly is maybe the main forefront of this team is pass protection problems have been right there striking and standing out. So a guy with a decent pedigree, a guy who's been on the upswing in his career and what he's done, and uh, hopefully a guy that can get the job done with this offensive line uh, and uh, take take these guys in the right direction. Um, since, Huff's, since Huff's arrival, the Huskies have had at least one first-team all-Pac-12 offensive lineman each season and two first-teamers on three of those occasions. So he's consistently turned out pretty good overall performance to great overall performance, uh, even beyond um, uh, just this past year. 
Uh, another guy that came out here recently got a lot of people excited, and I think rightfully so. Um, and shout out to Corbin Smith, who had some uh, insider inf- information on this one, where he's talking a little bit about his own background uh, in his coaching with this particular um, uh, with this particular coach, and that is Kennedy Palumalu, a man that has been 32 years coaching in the NFL or the collegiate level. You want a little gray beard? You want the wizened man? You want the guy with the wizard guy you know, on top? He's, he's a guy that will bring that, albeit from the running backs coach position. But the work he has done has been pretty impressive, and even the recent work. Um, as uh, Corbin had said online, I think the uh, the most important, you could say, I think as much of the most impressive things that he did was getting um, 2,300 yards and a 5.2 yard per carry average out of Fred Taylor after he turned 30 in 2006 and 2007. But beyond that, Maurice Jones drew Dalvin Cook with his 3,000 yard season. Three of his best years were underneath this guy. Josh Jacobs last year, um, in the year that well last last year uh, that he had produced that great season um, where he ran all over us in that one particular game. So he's a, a very good running back coach. And when you look into what Corbin says, a lot about you know he utilized his own teaching techniques for his coaching coaching experience. Was able to um, see the benefits of that in his own program. So, uh, hey, if there's something that doesn't speak to the um, uh, usefulness and uh, uh, pliability of this guy's ability to teach running backs and his techniques for teaching running backs, this seemed to, this would seem to be it. So this seemed to be one of the bigger, better co- coordinator hires, or not coordinator hires, but coaching hires that they made in, uh, in addition to some of these other ones. But this one's got me really, really stoked. And yes, Kennedy Palomalo is, of course, Troy Palomalo's uncle. So... Maybe he even taught him a little bit of his footwork out there. Some of that nice Troy Palomalo footwork. Uh, next up, we got Kirk Olivadoti. Olivadoti. I'm going to learn how to pronounce that name eventually, but it's not a day that is today. While working as a linebacker coach for the Washington Redskins at that time, the he got the first Pro Bowl years out of London Fletcher and Brian Arakpo. Kind of a notable in London's case because London had been around at that point for a lot of different years and uh, had never broken through in that way. Yet he was able to get that last little bit of uptick to London Fletcher's gang to uh, help him get to that spot as a, as a pro bowler. And we'll see if someday that might be a aiding factor in getting London in if he ever does get in uh, for some Hall of Fame voting, which he'll get consideration. Uh, recently done some really good work out there with the Green Bay Packers over the past couple of years. So Quay Walker, Devondre Campbell, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, uh, these are some of the players that have been under his watch there during that time and have played pretty good overall football too. In, in Gary's case, he's kind of a, <coughs> a bit like a Boye Mafe ascending kind of edge guy. And um, Quay Walker seems to be kind of coming around there as their, as their uh, you know, middle. So he's done some good uh, work with linebackers recently. He's going to have to because he's probably going to get some young pups in here in the next couple of years that he's going to have to round into shape. But uh, another hire that seems to be a very solid one, good track record, uh, seems to do pretty good wherever he goes, and uh, you feel like it's a pretty good coup here for the the Hawks to bring him in. Frisman Jackson was uh, the wide receivers coach brought in, and uh, he most recently has been with the Steelers, but has done some really good work overall with wide receivers in his time with Carolina and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Really notable in looking at his track record is going back to 2020, where you had DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Chosen, almost all at a thousand yard years. They almost got 3,000-yard seasons out of those guys, and that was with Teddy Bridgewater throwing them the rock. So helped to get Curtis Samuel a deal then with Washington later on after that. They did come back in 2021 with the same group, minus Samuel plus Terrace Marshall, but it would appear appear at this point that Terrace Marshall might just be more of a 
um, a guy that um, is, you know, not going to really ever ascend to the player that they thought he possibly could be when they made him a relatively high pick. But done pretty good work there, then recently gone to the Steelers. Uh, he inherited where Deontay Johnson was at as already kind of a thousand yard receiver and has been able to keep him up around in that area of things. I think Deontay had a couple of injuries that have maybe prevented a bit. George Pickens has produced and produced from day one coming in there and watching Steelers games in a few times that I have. It just seems like at times they're very much held back by the quarterback play and, uh, you know, he'll get open out there and there just isn't a QB that can get him the ball. I mean, when they played us this in this past uh, year, I think Pickens had a few catches down the field where it was just because Randolph was actually putting the ball on the spot and giving him an opportunity. But uh, as much as Pickens can sometimes get uh, banged around a bit for sometimes his um, perceived sometimes attitude issues I hear about, he certainly as a player has been uh, continued to be a really good player. And that was stuff that you'd heard about him going back to Georgia. So it's not uh, a new thing under uh, under Frisman's watch, which is an interesting first name. Never, never heard of a Frisman before. So that one got me off guard on that. Um, but he looks like he'll be a good receivers coach. I think that's the one place where when I look at the spots of the coaches, I say there's two spots where I, I'm worried we might be going a little bit backwards. I feel like everywhere else it's going forward. Uh, I feel like Sanjay Lau did a really good job with the receiving core when he was here. And the loss of him was was definitely one that hurt when you looked at what he was able to get across, the way the players talked about him, uh, their performance. But then um, uh, also I think that Larry Izzo from the special team side of it I, I hope that Jay Harbaugh is ready to come in the NFL ranks and get it done. I, I you know, this this seems like one where, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's any kind of nepotism hire or anything like that, but you know, there wasn't anything else truly outstanding he was doing at the coaching level on the on the special teams front of it. But uh, with that said, I'm open minded to it. But Larry Izzo had done a great job with the Hawks the past couple of years, and it's not just in the how your kickers kick or your punters punt, but in how you defend, how you return. Um, doing what he'd done at times, having a guy like DJ Dallas back there who wasn't comfortable doing it, you know, um, so uh, that's going to be the one little bit of the loss I think that we do suffer on the staff from some of these hires, but all the rest of them were great. All the rest of them are are, are seemingly ones where you can see how the plan's going to work here. You're going to want to be a physical football team. You're going to want to, you know, run your share. Uh, that's definitely self-evidence in some of their approach here with some of the guys brought aboard, but uh, pass protection, guys, offensive linemen that can move. No, no surprise there with uh, Grubb grabbing the guy that right there from his own scheme, what he's going to want, knows what he's going to want. Uh, they will be on the instant same page with that, which is part of what makes that even a better hire is you're getting guys that aren't, you know, kind of having somewhat of familiar knowledge. And those two guys are, will be connected at the hip, especially with Grubb's background as an offensive line coach. So solid hire. Love the hire. We may come back to look at these guys as truly uh, an Avengers kind of staff. This may be one we look back on and say, well, that and that guy went on to go be a head coach, or this guy went on to go then do this and that and this and that and find their own levels of success in varying places. It's uh, it's always these kind of staffs that are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed that you never know about who is going to be those guys to to take that step forward to be uh, to be those awesome coaches. But you find success here. These guys take it forward, and uh, you can see how the plan fits. You can see what they're intending to do with both sides of the ball maximizing that defensive line talent down there, trying to get those guys at their best on the offensive side of the ball, doing the same. Um, that there's not any place that this team's looking to run for a, a safe spot to, that they're looking to drive hard and drive forward on both sides of the ball with these hires, in my opinion. And um, to me, that just takes much, that just ups the ante that much on much more of the potential of this team and where they could go. Don't have a uh, super long opening for you here today, guys. We'll mostly be having a, an open uh, QA Today, as we uh, go through whatever you guys want to discuss, we can kind of bounce around. I know you guys got a variety of different directions you will uh, probably take us. I'd love to hear what you guys think about these hires. So please let me know what you guys uh, 
what you guys think and feel? Were you, was there another candidate out there that you guys thought would have been a better one for them to grab? Or was this uh, kind of an ideal hiring for you? I, I like the potential of it. I'm, I will say if we're, we are going to, I will acknowledge for the folks that are a little bit worried about the bust factor of it. Um, I, I think that that's not off or in, you know, inaccurate. I just say that it's a worth, I'm, 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 I'm okay taking that risk, that busk risk, as long as you got the, the roof ready to be blown off on the other side of it, if it goes right. And that's where they, I don't think that this coaching staff is one that has uh, the limited ceiling to how far they can take you. It's that they, they've got a lot of potential in it. Is it going to go unrealized? That would be the part that really, I think, sinks you at that point. It's just too much youth, too much inexperience to quite get you. They need a little bit more time to take you there. But from a standpoint of talent, ability, um, and, and how you can see the vision could come together in the right fashion. Yeah, it's all, it, it all makes a ton of sense. And uh, I love the fact that they've chosen on both sides of the ball to make this where we're going to be pushing this forward hard on both sides of the ball. It's not for one side of the ball to just kind of be dominant and just run over people. And then the other side of the ball, just sit over in the corner and let the big guy, you know, punch everybody else out in the room. You know, just don't get yourself hurt. You know, instead you got them both in there swinging. And uh, I love that about this approach. I really do. I hope you guys are having a good night tonight. Thank you so much for watching this evening. I appreciate everybody. Uh, We'll be doing just a kind of a quick in and out show. I'm trying to get a DK Metcalf video sealed up here on my side of things. So I got a few uh, things to work through and grind through tonight, get that thing rounded out here before I head out of the next week. So, uh, and we might be not, might be a next, about a week and a half here before we have the next show right now. Might be doing a little bit of a a vacation here. over the next week and a half. We'll see if something goes live while I'm, while I'm away here. I'll have my mic and stuff if something goes down, but uh, just some fore, forewarning ahead of time for you guys on that as well. Uh, fans since 92, how you doing? D-Merc in the house. Hello, Sean. Holy hand grenade, how you doing? Brian Blank, what's up? What's up? Adrian X, James Stradley, big happy. Thomas Cox. Uh, on your opinion, is this coaching staff one of the best Seattle's hired? I think that it is... Hmm. I think it has the potential to be that, but I don't think on the surface you can say it is that. Um, let's take, for instance, there's one staff I'm kind of thinking of here. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it might. It might. Certainly, I mean, some of Carol's staffs might have a, a bone to pick with that one on it when, when you're able to put, you know, a few of those guys. I, I think the thing that it's more about the potential to me. And that's that bust factor that's there to me where if people want to go, well, they don't have enough of the experience to get there. I go, okay, well, valid point. But then I go, but the boom is there. This offense to be a forerunning offense with its concepts and to, you know, again, be willing to kind of attack in every manner and maximize its talent defensively being driven in the same manner. And then the hires that you've brought in has been a mix to where you didn't just go for the old school guys across the board everywhere else to give Mike McDonald this big, comfortable, you know, enclave of coaches that have all just been in the game for four decades. You mixed it up a bit, which I like. And the hires all seem to me to have upside. And, um, that's, again, I'm, I'm upside is what I would be shooting for here too. 
And rather than looking for the safe kind of, okay, it's a name I know, solid, that works. We go for, okay, well, I can, that guy's got some questions on this, but boy, there's, there's a lot there that might be good to go here. CMC, how you doing? This is Bang Bang Pumpkin Gang. Uh, she's in the house as always, in her spot. Nicholas says, drove through your area earlier today, Brandon. Oh, man. Sorry, missed you. We're in the area for long here. Tony, 10 times, 206. Love that nick uh, the name there, bro. Uh, exciting time to be a hawk. Boy, is it ever. Future looking pretty bright. Thomas says, funny thing is that Stanton says Penix will be available by the second round. He said that the senior bowl quarterback didn't impress the scouts. Ooh. Well, Stanton's usually got a, a bit of a connection into the senior bowl process. I mean, I think he's got even a line to Nagy out there. So uh, if he's, uh, uh, you know, saying that that's what he's heard from him, I'll take take the word of it. Um, I would be surprised. I'd be surprised if he dropped down the second round. I, I To me, Thomas, it, it made a lot of sense with um, Levis and, and why he dipped um, because of what kind of, you know, all the factors at play there. But I just don't think those are the same factors that, that Penix has going on with him. But could be, it certainly is plausible and reasonable to say that those things could mount up to where a team goes, I don't want to take the risk on the, um, I don't want to take the risk on the injury. I don't think it's really the age as much at this point, right? It's really just be the injury and maybe like throwing on the run. Um, but it only takes that one team. And as I always say with this, it's sometimes about the scarcity more than it's about the um, true talent or if a guy's got some red flags and they're not, it becomes, you know, this is, what the, 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 this is what the teams need out there and there's nobody else they have to foot the bill. Gemini Glass, hello, 12. So far, doing well. Hope you're doing well too. Boy, Iron Grenade, Joe Clad had us taking JJ at 16. That hurt. Cause I do, I do love Joel Glad. I think he's awesome at what he does. And, uh, he's, you know, <sighs> JJ McCarthy. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> oh Lordy. I hope not. Uh, it's pronounced dirty. That's right. Dirty. Sorry. I'll get it right here. Jeff. I'm a bad pronouncer at first with names. He just says always a banger thumbnail. Thanks man. <laughs> I was hoping you guys would dig that. I had a little bit of fun with that last night. Uh, Megan, how you doing? It's good to see you in the house. Hope everybody's having a great night. Thomas Cox, Adam Schefter thinks that if that could be traded, but it gets past the fifth day of free agency, it's less likely. I think Geno stays and Seattle drafts a quarterback like Rattler, Travis, or Penix High. Um, I have seen Schefter presenting that. I, I mean, and, you know, maybe he's hearing something from Seahawks in the background. They're trying to dangle a little bit of the uh, worm into the water and get the fish to bite out there. I don't know what team, if there weren't really teams on the open market last year willing to pony up to Geno to, to pay him last year, I don't know what teams are going to be willing to pony up to give up uh, pretty fair trading capital to get him this year. That's the part that, to me, I, I if it happens, it happens. But uh, that's the part, to me, I think that, as you say, it becomes less likely to me too, Thomas. And that's where I, I just, I could be wrong in my outlook of this, but it seems like to me that you got all these teams that are needing quarterbacks. You have few teams out on the open market that or few quarterbacks in the open market to go to those said teams that need those QBs. You have all these quarterbacks in this market that at least relatively have that near first round grade to them. Logically to me, that ends up driving a lot of the, the quarterbacks up in the draft to be picked. 
but I could be misreading that, you know, with it. Uh, CMC later says, long live our rivalry. Long live the rivalry, CMC. I already miss football, though. Any recommendations for time killers? Man, you got some good stuff you can always go back through and check out on your guys' like, you know, I always like those great, great season moments videos that they do for like Super Bowl winning teams, uh, CMC. Um, you know, when you like, we got one for our Super Bowl win. You guys, I think they've done a couple for those Niner teams back in the day. I, I thought those were pretty cool. The ones they did for you guys. I'd go back and check that out. They always put so much work. You get the like actor narrating it and stuff. It was like from San Francisco. Like we had, we had our guy from Seattle. Kind of cool. Thomas says McCarthy will probably be picked by Denver. Peyton like him. That's whew. I I see that I would be shocked if Peyton did with that. I mean, it's possible. Peyton Peyton might like him in that way. And supposedly there's some team that's even high in the draft that's gonna jump on JJ. Um and certainly I'll go back and try to watch him again and see if there's something I missed. But I don't it it's it I find it wild, Thomas. Possible though with, with Peyton. He got by to Thomas Peyton with a, a guy with not the greatest of arm strength and breeze. Who was just, you know, processor in the pocket and all that. So I guess it kind of makes sense. It's not like it is the the maximum prerequisite in Sean Payton's offense that you have to have the big flashy arm. Mr. Isaac says, Good evening, bro. Got a job interview tomorrow, y'all. Wish me luck. I wish you uh the the Tremendous luck tomorrow. May you get the job and may they offer you a hearty salary at that. Subcard craze. Thomas Cox says, what's your opinion of Jeremiah Trotter, Barrett, and Collison? I don't think I've had a chance to take a look at Collison yet. Um... Trotter's got, Trotter, Trotter's got solid star level qualities. Let's start out with that because I think I, I sometimes bury the lead with him on being a prospect I do like quite a bit. There are some star level qualities with the guy. It's worth acknowledging. Um, his, his lateral movement might be as good as you see in this class, you know, whereas a linebacker, you're lined up and you have to shuffle, 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 shuffle. Here comes a lineman down at the second level. Shuffle away. Shuffle back inside, you know, and he's, he's very boundy in that way where he can just kind of bounce around offensive line lineman bounce to the right hole. Um, obviously being a former son of a, a linebacker, his instincts are really good and sharp and he understands how to be on those little, uh, little details on a play to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, solid tackler. He brings even a hit stick that hit stick that can cause fumbles. Uh, he takes on linemen with authority in between when he will dip and drip around the block. So it's not just about him always finessing around the blocks. He's also, even at his kind of limited size, willing to kind of stick it up in there, those linemen, and give it to them and then get off the blocks after that. You know, he's got a rip and dip off of um, off the block, which is unique to him and, and his size, and he does it well. It's a little bit like Ivan Pace from last year when he would do that at times too. Uh, way for smaller guys to be able to, get themselves disengaged at the second level. Uh, zone coverage is where I think Trotter's at his best. He drops, his drops are precise and he usually flows to the right direction of the routes entering the space. Um, he gets to depth in a heartbeat after the snap. Um, 
And I, he may be a very usable skill for him, especially in a defense like ours, where you drop him all different places and he could just get to that place. You want him as a center field, a center field safety, he might be able to get there. Um, it's not that he's fast. It's just as much that, you know, he's got that lateral change of direction, which just always gets him kind of even still moving up and down the field quick. It's, I think the straight line speeds the question. I think he's going to be about 5'11 when they measure him at the combine. That, um, that gets me a little bit worried with him. Um, as far as, is he going to run a four, six at five eleven? You know what I mean? And then we got, what's the arm length going to be then? So there's combine's going to factor in very, very, very big for, uh, Mr. Mr. Um, Trotter, a uh, Barrett Carter is returning back to school, Thomas. So Carter is, um, uh, going to go back for another year. He was a do-it-all kind of guy, um, better size than Trotter had. Um, he could play any linebacker position. Um, you could probably even line him up as an edge, as a 3-4 edge. Um, bounce, change of direction, coverage instincts, kind of add it all a little bit. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that he didn't come out this year, though. It was a bit of a down year from 2022, 2023 for him. So um, if you're talking about Michael Barrett, by the way, I, I haven't looked at him. So I know there's another Barrett as well that I just haven't had a chance to check out. I'm trying to go through the, uh, I'm hoping next, when I take this next week and a half off, uh, heading out on a trip that I'm just going to try to grind on some tape as I'm going and hopefully I can get through a good, you know, 60, 70 prospects on my, in a week if I can to try to catch on up. Dijan says, are we happy with the coaching hires? Me? Absolutely. I think we are. Jimmy Cruz, hey, I have the same shirt. Nice. Black uniforms in our future. Can we embrace the dark side? We might. Unfortunately, NFL tends to be pretty pretty stickler on the amount of jerseys you can use and wear and win. So I think the black jerseys, we're going to have to wait to a far off, far off day. Vegas is not a Marvel fan, B. DC girl all the way. It would be harder for me to do the uh, the DC one. Who would be Superman at that point? Okay, we have McDonald would be Superman. But then who do I got as Batman? That one would have been more complicated. So many more masks I would have had to have dealt with. <laughs> but thank you, Jamie. I think Brian, was it Brian? Fan Sam in the shirt. I like it. Good fit. Thomas Cox says McDonald has the fourth best odds for winning head coach of the year next fall. Vegas doesn't tend to get things uh, wrong very often. Audie Bell, Brandon, I like the change, even if it doesn't end in boom. Better to take a shot than to stay a course that was never going to work again. Well said, Audie. Well said, and I think you succinctly put together just the way my mind was at with where we were at, which was that what we were, what we were having before was more of the floor but no boom. Now we have the boom potential but with potentially no floor. And if it becomes an, uh, 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 that it has to be one or the other that we've got to lean into or that there, you have to make a choice in order to, to be this great of a team, potentially, you have to choose to really be it. You can't go, well, we like the consistent winning angle of it. You can go, okay, we understand now's the time to go. Um, so I'd, I'm with you. I'd rather, I'd rather seek out the boom than, than hope for a floor. Empower Code, how you doing? Hey, y'all, it's been a minute, but I'm back. Yeah, a lot of Coach Carroll to the 49er rumors. 
Sweetie Shinobi, maybe this is just unbridled optimism, but I have a feeling that by year two, this coaching staff will be elite across the board. Go effing Hawks. I like your optimism, Swedish. And I think that they definitely have the potential to be that. And uh, I, 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 like, I like how they put this staff together. It's not been with a fear-based approach. It's been a, with a let's go for it. Let's take the swing. And you might miss. That's always the potential. If you're going to miss, you might as well swing hard. Ain't no, sing, ain't no, thing, ain't no thing is singles in football. Ain't no, ain't no thing such as a ground rule double in football. Lord Boom, Aloha, Brandon. Let's go. Let's go. Power, I love the youth movement on this coaching staff. Feels like we're really rewiring the circuitry and disinfecting the rusty motherboard. What a freaking change. It does indeed. They've taken uh, not just the thing is, I know they talked a lot about maintaining culture and we thought a lot, and, all right, they're just going to kind of get a Coach Carol acolyte or just fit as much the prior ways as you could. I, I don't think that they're necessarily doing that. I don't think that they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and that you're still not maintaining some of that culture and that and, and doing the things right that you can do. I think it's as much as just addressing the things that need to be fixed at the root level. And, uh, and I think that they're showing all the signs of doing that too. Thomas says, how would everyone feel if Seattle had hired Dan Quinn with Witt as the defensive coordinator and Kingsbury as our OC? I would be less excited, but you never know. I, I would absolutely hate the Kingsbury hiring. I, I would go, what, what has this guy done to keep deserving this opportunity? Um, and Quinn would have been okay. But um, yeah, I don't think it, it would not have drawn the kind of excitement that this hire did. I don't. I don't think so. I don't even think it would have necessarily made the, the pro coach Carroll people happy because they would have just said, why don't you just keep Carroll? You know, the people that want new don't get made happy. The people that want Carol to remain don't get happy. You know, I think that's evident. A lot of pride wide didn't go that direction. Uh, card crazed. I think that the Seahawks can have a 10 win season in the fall. I think it's possible card crazed. I think um, we've got to let the, 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 the year unroll, unfurl as it's going to furl. It's, it might be some ups and downs. It might be rough in the opening as you're going from uncomplicated to complicated. You're going from a lack of disguising to disguising. And this is on both sides of the ball. That's a, a lot of fine-tuned details that have to be brought to bear in order to get that right. And so it might take a little bit of time to make that happen. But with that said, the potential is there in a talent standpoint for this to occur card. And you never know on that learning curve. When you look at the guy like McDonald, it didn't take him long to get the, the Michigan defense instilled there and to get them humming right. And though it did take a 10-game stretch through the first part of Baltimore there when he walked in, he did get it right that first season. So um, if that happens, that'd be pretty awesome. William Bryden says, possibility of Pete Carroll going to the Niners. I am blown away by it, to be honest with you. And uh, I could go super geeky deep in this a little bit. But I think what I would say would be this. Um, I would think Shanahan would have looked at the defenses of Coach Carroll over the past few years and said, wow, that defense doesn't work anymore. I've got a whole playbook of Seattle plays that I've been developing since my days with the Falcons. Um, you, would, you would think maybe I would, uh, I would recognize that that's not the coach to bring in for my defensive coordinator position. Um, given that. I've always said, though, a big part of what was the problem with Coach Carroll's defense 
and a big issue of what held back his defense beyond the, the lack of com uh, complexity. The lack of complexity was indeed a problem, but it wasn't ultimately the only problem. And that was that he was a coach that didn't want to blitz or blitz at a league low level, but then didn't sufficiently build up his defensive line appropriately enough to make it strong enough to be able to rely on them simply without having to blitz. And so what does he get if he goes to the 49ers? He gets a front four that's pretty vicious and ferocious. And so his defense kind of gets the thing that, it, that it's been needing for years and hasn't quite gotten to here since we had all of those, old, the other guys went out. You know, when we had the NASCAR package and Michael Bennett's and Cliff Averill and Chris Clemens and Bruce Irvin and Brandon Mabane. And um, even as you move through the years, you usually had a pretty good stack of guys there through about 15, 16 until, you know, you had the retirement of Averill and Bennett moved on and uh, McDonald signed free agency. And, you know, so um, he'll have that. With the, with the Niners. I will give it that. And Carroll has shown that he's been able to get out pretty good functional play from cornerbacks, even if they're not the most talented. Um, so, you know, as much as I thought it was a little bit nutso at first, it could make sense if Shanahan's getting into the deeper, into the deeper weeds on it and, and the consideration of, well, I'll give Carroll the thing that he just wasn't developing enough on that team to hold his defense back. Because I know that if I have a front four generating pass rush and generating pressure instantly, I don't need to run those blitzes of Steve Wilkes. I don't need to be super complicated on the back end. I can run it really still super simply. Um, and maybe that's where he just wants to go with it. But it is weird to me. It's It still is a very, Bryden, it's still, William, it's, it's still a very strange, strange connection on that one. Johnny Utah, excitement's fine, but we should pump the brakes. Last year, we, we went in thinking we were dark horse contenders and by week seven, wanted to bench Gino, trade DK, and fire Pete. Indeed, Johnny, I, uh, I certainly would, um, and I will be pushing Johnny as I will be excited this year and hopeful for the future of this, even this season. But uh, I'm going to be very, very patient with this team, McDonald, throughout the course of uh, this year and into next year um, because it does take time to go from one end of the scale to the other. You know, you don't get from one side of America on the west side of the east and overnight, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to get on to that other side. So uh, I think you're right. I think it's well said. Got to maintain a little bit of patience. And uh, I agree. Um, Brian Blank says, yeah, the thumbnail was awesome. Thank you, guys. I hope it wasn't going too cheesy. So, <laughs> And Power Code, if these guys do have a lot of success really quick, you could be seeing them in contention for that head coaching spot very soon. It's crazy when you go back and sometimes watch like those old Hard Knocks episodes and they'll be showing a, this assistant coach moving here off just off camera. And you're like, oh, that guy went on to be head coach. Oh, that guy was a... Oh, this guy was that, you know, you never know on these guys, which ones we'll be looking at in retrospect. Go, man, that guy was just an awesome coach to have at that time. That was really great. That we were able to, you know, reel him in house here. Empower. I feel like many of these coaches will be in, oh, sorry, Greg, I love how they're, I love there's that one quarterback that you absolutely hate in every draft class. <laughs> in 2022 it was corral 2023 it was bryce and 2024 it's mccarthy all three all three are justifiable though by the way oh well thank you man I, and it is i i thought this year was going to be the one year i was like oh i kind of like all the guys talent up at the top and then jj went from this fourth to third to second to first and it all happened in about a two-week span and i went what what's going on here not again not again not again oh it's it's crazy man Greg. It, every year there's one, man. Every year. It was Wilson the year before that. 
2021 was Wilson, remember? I, I think it's like, it's destined. There's always one quarterback that I just can't, I, I can't do it. <laughs> JJ, JJ is my no-go. He's my, JJ McCarthy is my save word this year. Swedish says, if this defense is any good, we are calling it the dirty D, right? <laughs> I'm on board. I hate against it. I ain't mad at that name. Uh, Kurielson, thank you for the $5 donation. I've seen thrown out there at 16 is, who I've seen thrown out there at 16 is uh, Deshaun Cooper, uh, Byron Murphy. Also, your thoughts on Sam Hartman, Leonard Taylor, Cedric Johnson later in the draft. I don't think I've had a chance to take a look at Cedric Johnson. So I, uh, um, I'll put, I'll put his name down. Um, I'll get him down on my list. Um, so I haven't, sorry, I haven't had a chance to check out him and thank you for the $5 donation. Um, Cooper Dijon is, um, a guy that was played all over the place last year, not this last year, but the previous year and, uh, not to his best, not, not to, not to the best for him. Um, he got moved to the outside corner this year at Iowa and he really, really took to it well. And, um, he's, I think I've got him as my number two cornerback in this draft. To me, him, Terry and Arnold, and Quinn and Mitchell are all first-rounders, all very close to each other in, in where you would look at them. Not quite blue chippers, but all of those guys should be upper-end starters in this league, I believe. So with Cooper, you get a, just a, a real rugged kind of corner on the outside in, in his ability to tackle, play up around the line of scrimmage. You need him to tackle from the outside. He can do all of that. His kick step and feet were really nice on tape. Really fast pitter-patter. Very athletic, change of directions, absolutely there and ideal for the cornerback. Maybe not the biggest sized guy out there, right? Maybe not the, the best of length on him either, but um, he'll have the twitchiness. He'll have the speed. I'm, I should think he'll probably run around the 4-4 range of things, Corey, at the combine. So he's, he's a fun cornerback. Gives you the full skill set there at the position. But, you know, Terry Arnold does too. Um, I like him well. And McKistry's just kind of boringly the best, in my opinion. He's just, he's just kind of like, okay, he's just kind of the best. He's like that guy out of um, the Saints whose name I can never remember. He's just, he's just like him. It's like, okay, he'll be a good cover corner in this league. He can he'll hold it down on his side. He'll tackle good enough. Um, Byron Murphy is a guy being connected to Seattle. I, if we don't sign Leonard Williams, then signing a three-tech with the first pick makes sense. If you sign Leonard Williams, signing a three-tech with any of your first two or three selections is kind of silly, uh, unless the team is looking at moving on from Draymond Jones. If you're keeping Leonard and you're keeping Draymond Jones, going three-tech means you just added a guy that you're going to make the third on the depth chart for the foreseeable future, which just doesn't quite add up to me. Now, as a player, he's very unique in this draft. He's, he's basically what he's doing is, is like a stutter step off of the snap almost every time. So rather than you have a defensive tackle that will tend to try to just get up field into you and get, a, get his arms into you so now he can start working his arm moves and his karate moves, what he's going to do is he's going to come off the snap and it's going to be a little bit stuttered sometimes where it's going to, you're going to get a little bit of a, you know, that, that kind of shimmy shake, right? And he's trying to get the lineman to take a step wrong this way so that then he can come up over the top with the swim or come up underneath with the rip. He'll pair that in between doing that to shooting the gap really hard. And so he gets the lineman in the pickle. Is he shooting the gap with me on this? Or am I going to get the stutter step? You know, 
Because what he can do with the stutter step too is that if you don't buy to a side, now he can kind of bounce and he's got a nice little bounce move he can do to where you've, you've stayed stuck off the snap kind of to where you are as the lineman. And then he's bounced around you, even though you've never, you've never bought to one of his stutter moves, right? You never got crossed over, but he's still able to bound kind of around you and outside of you a little bit in his movements. And so Byron's really unique. There is another defensive tackle in the three text that does it like he does it. Um, and uh, he's got a lot of control in his understanding to play the position from that realm. I, I am, I'm not quite as warmed up on him. It might sound like I am, but I'm not quite as hot to trot him as others are. But I do get it. Why, um, why, why others really do um, get titillated by his film. Sam Hartman is uh, kind of a no-go area for me as a quarterback prospect. I, I think he's a, a fringe fringe NFL player, practice squad type guy at best. Um, his arm strength is limited. His arm strength is limited. His mobile, mobility isn't all that great. He's an older prospect. And then he also has accuracy issues. Uh, it, at the senior bowl, it just didn't seem like he could hit the broadside of a barnyard. And that's on top of the tape showing a lot of that same stuff where even pretty straightforward throws, he just can't hit them. And when he's already dealing with all of those other detriments, for me, it just kind of puts a new point, Corey, where I'm going, okay, I, I, that, that what you got to have something here that, that I can kind of glom onto as your skill set to know that we can build upon that. And I, I don't see it with this, unfortunately. It just, it just, there's not an NFL skill set there. Kind of the best way you can kind of put it at the end of the day with that one. Um, in my, in my deals here on uh, Leonard Williams is um, fun player, one of the best um, one gapping guys you got in this draft from the three tech position. He does a lot of uh, that's where Byron Murphy's a little bit higher because Byron Murphy can kind of do that attack gapping stuff but then has some other secondary stuff that he can call upon. Leonard's more of a just, I'm going to try to be quicker to the spot than you to get past you in the gap, to penetrate, to get my TFLs and to roll it out like that. Um, doesn't always, he doesn't use his hands in the same neighborhood of a guy like Byron Murphy, but his quick, titch, his quick twitch and his first step quickness is better than Murphy. So it's, it's a little bit of, there's more to grow in Leonard Taylor's, Leonard Taylor's game, in my opinion. Um, and what you need to what you need to t- kind of put together, but with that said, he's uh, he is a front prospect. I do have him a second round kind of prospect because that first step quickness is legit, and um, tapes a little uneven at times. You're gonna have to do a little bit of like have some. It'll take some imagination with Leonard Taylor just a little bit, in my opinion. But he's a good player. Grugs is I'm optimistic for 12 and 5 Seahawks. I think the year one defense, year one, the defense will be a top 10, closing on top five, and the offense will be borderline top 10, if not lower end of the top 10. Woof. That'd be a hell of a, that'd be a hell of a season if we could pull that off, Grug. I hope you're right. Holy Anger Nate says, B, you think Pete might give a few pointers for Mike here and there just to make his life a little easier? I know we got Leslie Frazier at the assistant, but we do have a Super Bowl winner in the office. Well, I mean, if he's flirting with going to the 49ers, holy hand grenade, and that this is an active flirtation right now at this point, I uh, don't think that there's a good chance of that happening. And uh, it would seem that there would be some sour grapes involved in this situation, in my opinion, if this is the direction that it's about to go ahead. 
Um, I haven't gotten anything as far as what I've heard from this position that they put Coach Carroll into for it to be anything other than to be considered a figurehead position at best. He doesn't seem to be all that interested in filling into that role, and it doesn't seem like the front office was all that interested in finding him that role. So um, it just seemed like something to soften the blow at the time of letting Coach Carroll go in retrospect. Could be wrong on that, but that's the, that is how it feels at the moment. Roland Connor says, if Pete had won two or three more games in 2023, would he still be here? Well, uh, Roland, the, um, the front office hasn't exactly given us uh, a ton of understanding about what led to the Coach Carroll, Carroll firing other than a couple of key things. Um, none of the things that I've been let, we've been let know about, Roland, have had anything to do with the wins or the losses. Uh, they've had to do with, Coach Carroll, this needs to get corrected. This gets, needs to get corrected. These changes need to be made to your staff. I don't want to do that. Um, now, were they being honest with us? Was there something else that was driving the decision? Could it have come down to simply they need to win two or three more games in the year to get to that uh, stance where um, he would keep his job? Maybe. But it wouldn't seem that that would be the case, being that the conversations that they seem to have going back and forth this offseason, specifically between, as Coach Carroll said, the non-football people being the ownership and, and uh, the people coming from that contingent and the questions they were asking about how things were getting fixed, they weren't seeing things in alignment in his outlook. Um, and if I can speak to just my particular feeling on the matter, Roland, and my outlook of it was that in that two-year reset that I was giving Coach Carroll for the time period of saying, all right, let me give the two years to let you see how you kind of reset this with Russell Wilson gone and to see how you start to... Um, be a man that's true to your word and what you said. And then I've got to do this and we've got to do that. Um, and that, and that I'll, I'll give you that time. And if we're like, all right, let's, let's see, you, you know, input for me, it was show me the signs that you're modernizing the offense and the defensive side of the ball, you know, show me that you're fixing those things that have been issues that have been plaguing this team for years. And uh, for me, that was always above and beyond a little bit of the win loss record is a pure final thing. I mean, certainly if you're winning 14 games and these things are happening, that's one thing, but, um, uh, that's not the case and hasn't been the case for a while that you've been up around that winning that amount of marks. You know, those things are actually actively holding you back. So for me, it was actually specific pointed items. I was looking for him to try to start to kind of corral and get fixed up because those items had been so detrimental to the team in recent years because they hadn't been addressed. Uh, Thomas says, oh, I meant Junior Colson. Oh, Junior Colson. Um, Thomas, he still does remain the best linebacker for middle linebacker in this draft for me. Although Cooper, um, Cooper, Edwin Cooper is right there on his heels. I mean, they're, they're running step for step with each other. And I, you could maybe find me changing my answer day by day on, on the preference between the two. Uh, Junior's got the familiarity with Mike McDonald's defense right off the rip. Hard to beat that, number one. He is um, a pure middle linebacker, just can do it all from the position, uh, sideline to sideline. He can tackle. He's got uh, great drops in coverage, good awareness in space. Hard to get a block on. Um, can can kind of do anything you need him to do between go, go man coverage, I need you to blitz. And, and I'll do it all really well. Um, he seems, uh, as you'd expect from a Harbaugh coach player at this point in his career coming in the draft, to be you know really technically sound and fundamentally sound, and he is. I, I just feel like he is ready, made right now to hit an NFL football field. And um, I'm not saying he's going to be a top-end linebacker or jump on the field, but just that he can be a, a very good player kind of right from the shoot there in that position for you. 
Thomas Michael Barrett. That's who I was thinking you're talking about as the other guy. I'm still looking at, I, I got to look at the tape on Michael. I get so locked in on Junior Thomas, you know. I'm watching that Michigan tape, you know. He draws my eyes so much, it's hard to see anybody else. <laughs> Roland says, Schneider had to say something like that about McDonald, not convinced most of these new hires are not second or third or more choices. Hard to say on that, Roland. Don't know. Uh, I make a big plays. Boom or bust factor on this team is insane. I love it. Very exciting. Hey, I love it too, man. Go big or go home, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm of that mindset as well. What's the worst thing that can happen? You fail? Well, look for a new answer if it fails. Basquiat, if we can acquire another late first and second through trading a big wide receiver, it would be a big... Uh, through trading a big uh, Jackson Powers, D. Newton, Pegs would be that plus. And fortunately, there won't be any uh, DK trades going. I don't think you're getting a first for uh, Tyler. Uh, Empower Code, crazy, but if they could, I guess. Uh, Empower Code, crazy how the most spontaneous random interactions can turn to life-changing moments. Who knew McDonald and Grubbs' talk at the Combine would be the turning point in his decision to come here? Yeah, I, you're right. You're very right. I think it's also like people making their own luck, right? Empire Code, where people go, you gotta have your, you gotta be lucky in life. It's like who you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And what stands out to me about that combine story is that you have Grubb going there first to back up a, a Michael Penix who's not even entering that draft to, to prep him for next year's draft preparations and help him in that process, but also to go out there, gland hand, mix it up with the rest of the coaches there at the combine, you know, start to build some relationships. And uh, that's where that active part of that process from Grubb's perspective comes into play for me, where I'm like, that's, that's a go-getter. That's a guy that's hungry. So that's not a guy that's late, waiting for the food to be slid in front of his plate. That's a guy going out there and hunting for his food a bit. And that's also a big part of, I think, what drives that there. But you're right about the connection at the end of the day that brought those two together from that meeting. Detail-oriented. I don't know if McDonald was his first choice, but I absolutely can tell, can tell you that Grubb was choice 1A. I, I, think I can see absolutely how he is. So it fits the McDonald's ideology on defense, true, right? Like we always think the coach on defense will just be like, you know, my offense needs to just not mess it up. Don't turn the ball over, control the clock, protect my defense. You know, that's kind of the archetype defensive mind that we've been used to. Not just, I'm not talking about Coach Carroll here. I'm talking about defensive coaches in particular have a bit of that mindset if they are as head coaches. So you can kind of tend to feel that way in how they usually will run a program. And so, uh, I, the fact that McDonald would be a guy on defense who runs this very complex approach and it can kind of do anything it wants to do on the field. Any player can be kind of fitted to any kind of role, versatility, flexibility. Why not want to do that same thing on the offensive side of the ball? If that is your true approach to one side of the ball, because maybe it'll be a thing that informs you on how you want to run your team. And uh, I, I think that that's, it's exciting that he's taken this because it is so much of a disembarkment from what you usually get is the tried and true path for a defensive-minded head coach. Joe Pesci, a uh, big focus needs to be on the team's treatment and rehab team, strength and conditioning coaches and nutritionists. This team has way too many injuries that derail any progress this team has. Certainly could stand to take that the, to stronger form there. We've been, I think, one of the more injury-riddled teams in recent NFL history, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at least over the past four or five years. And uh, certainly the team could take some stronger approaches there. You would hope maybe to kind of lessen that a little bit. 
felt like maybe last year a tiny bit better, Joe, but it, I think to your point, it does feel like that on a yearly basis. You end up getting, I mean, how many times have we seen the running back room just get cleared out? Um, tackles this year were cleared out. So. Thomas, I like the coaching staff. It's so out of the box. Heck, Pete wouldn't hire half these guys. No, I don't think so either. Very outside the box. Roland Clark says Nick Wright has a has Bengals as second best NFL team this year. He has Hawks in the do they have a plan too? Okay. They got the same shirt as well. It's a good shirt. Strong shirt. Well, you're gonna, we're going to be the Seattle Ravens if we start grabbing former Raven players. Now they might. Megan says, Peter said no to the Niners from what I've read. Would love to know where it's coming from though with Hawks Nest. Me too. How was it? That one was kind of wild and out of, out, out of left field. I just, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. King Bomber, what's up, man? He says, lots of rumors coming up. Charles London, his quarterback coach, is confirmed. All right. We got another one in the house. Charles London. London. Thomas is when I've been doing a mock, doing a PFF mock draft, and us they have Jaden Daniels at 16. I traded down, and he was at six at 20. I think the simulator is way off this year. That's why you got to probably Thomas play with the sliders. So mess around with the you know mess around with like position positional value slider. Thomas, for instance, probably would help you on that one a little bit more, where you take it and you raise that one up because I agree. There's sometimes it's off. The good thing with PFF that I found in the past, Thomas, is as you go through the draft process, it does seem that they update the uh the rankings a little bit better whereas a lot of those sites will just say sort of stagnant through the whole offseason process the the mock draft sites red bryant brian blank that's right but he was kind of the run game man he was a run game anchor but that's true five tech roland says what success horizon is being considered acceptable for this rebuild um Again, it becomes a little bit like Roland, and this is where I always like to say I, I like to remain consistent. As I know that you're a pro, you're a pro Coach Carroll uh, a guy in your stance of things. Like I had made my assessment of Coach Carroll, that it wasn't on the back of wins or losses, but on the fact of here's some things that are, are plaguing the program. These are issues that are going on with the team, offensively and defensively. Issues that Coach Carroll, Roland himself, acknowledged at the Combine back two years ago and said, we're going to change those things. We're going to implement those things. Um, I've spoken to him, Roland. If you want me to, I'd be happy to bring all of those individual items back up to you again. But of course, I've talked about him ad nauseum for two years. So I'm sure you've heard him up and down, left and right. But I was looking for those things to be implemented. They weren't implemented. You didn't get more complex on the back end. You stayed simple. You didn't start blitzing more. You actually started blitzing a little bit less. Uh, offensively, you, you didn't take steps forward and do more than what you'd done prior. You were still more of the old playbook. So when, I, when you ask this question about uh, the horizon and what needs to be considered for this rebuild to be acceptable, or at least for this next upcoming season, it's about McDonald being able to get his system and Grubb being able to get his system implemented. And what you're looking for, I think, in the first year is though it may be rough at first and there is a lot of growing pains that by the end of the year, you're getting better, that there is improvement that's going along, that players are picking it up, that the mental mistakes are getting cut down. 
the discipline we're looking to instill into the program starts to raise a little bit more to the surface. Then as you get into the next year, you look for more of a hearty um, representation of this throughout the whole course of the year. And hopefully with that, that should equal out to more wins and losses as you even get into year two at that point. But I think in the first year, especially here, it's about getting this onboarded. It's about understanding you're going from simplicity to complexity. You're going from the most simplified scheme on both sides of the ball in the NFL to one of the more complicated on both sides of the ball in the NFL. That's not going to happen overnight with a light switch flick. That's going to take a little bit of time. Noah. Oh, sorry. No, my chat updated here. Threw you back down the board, but I'm going to go find you. I'm going to find you, Noah. Noah says, according to the Seattle Times, Locke said playing time will be the priority concern for where he will sign. Could be indicative of what the plans are if he comes back. Yeah, I think, um, I think Locke is only coming back here if Gino is going to be moved on. And it sounds like Gino's only going to be moved on from if they're going to find a trading partner for him. So I think that that's probably, Noah, the only path that Locke gets back to Seattle is uh, uh, a Gino Smith trade. They bring him back, and then they have a rookie they go out there and they pick in the draft. Um, that is potentially a road they could go down. But I don't think they're going to have the money afforded to them to be able to afford Gino and to afford what Locke's going to cost. Much less, of course, Noah, to your point, uh, be able to provide uh, Locke that starting opportunity he's really looking for. Ethan Hawksnest, hey Brando, you are Schneider on draft day. What is something you would do that the fan base would say, whoa, oh my God, but at the same time would be a reasonable thing that could happen? The trading back twice scenario that I've presented, I think would be the um, fans do not like trading back. And that's not a fun, a fun thing for fans to have happen. They don't, they don't tend to enjoy it. They want you just to pick the pick where you're picking it. And... Um, I, I think that that would definitely draw some pretty heavy reaction. But for me, Ethan, what I really would like to do is in the top 90, 95 picks, I'd like to pick five times. I think that that is the heart of this draft. I think there, there's less diamonds in the rough in the back end of this draft. So getting some more picks at the top could help us out, I think, tremendously, especially finding guys that fit to both of the systems of Grubb and McDonald look to institute on either side of the ball. So I would, uh, I would probably move back twice if I was able to do that in order to retain that bottom line, five picks, top 95 picks. Don't know if I could pull it off, but that would be my intention. Probably is something that would just stand pat and picking Ethan would be to, you know, take like two linemen in the first three picks. I think some fans would be like, oh, linemen. But I would, I would go with that route. Maybe is another one that would be like, uh. Dijon, uh, AI said, Dijon, I, meant, I meant Dijon. I can't pronounce names today. I don't know why. Dijon, Dijon Cooper. Or Cooper Dijon, whatever his name is. Man, people are killing me on the pronunciations tonight, huh? Okay. I'm sorry, guys. It's a lot of names, so. Brian Blank says, you need to cut that shimmy shake and drop it as a short. Laughing my ass off. <laughs> I might just. Um, how do college coordinators adapt to grown men with huge contracts? I think that the uh, huge contract things rolling is already probably occurring at the college level. You know, um, I don't know what Michael Penix was making last year, but all those guys were starting to make pretty good money at this point. So it's um, 
an issue that wasn't is is at least started in its way last you know couple of years here in college to show itself um i you know i don't know I, when it comes to needing to adapt to grown men with huge contracts rolling it comes down to you're paying men huge contracts to be professionals um if they can't be professionals or somehow a coordinator going about doing his job and coordinating has to manage personalities because they can't do their job being paid multi-millions of dollars, well, then you probably don't have the right people in-house to get the job done. And I don't think that I would operate from a, not, uh, a reality standpoint that that's somehow how all players are that make millions of dollars is that they have to somehow be managed like toddlers or something. I think these guys are professionals. I think they're adults. I think they know how to go out there and do their job. They're just looking for the right guidance and direction and the guy that can maximize their tools to the fullest. Certainly there are some guys that require motivation and some guys that you know maybe aren't as all in as you need them to be once they make those millions. But I don't think that that's just somehow the, the, the common way they all are, you know. Uh, Thomas says, I keep grabbing Jackson Powers, Johnson, Fatanu, Barton as a three. I pick after trade back, but I kind of buy Seattle falling in love with one of these quarterbacks. You never know what John, you never know which one he's going to potentially could fall in love with Thomas. You know, you're right. As I would say with any of these quarterbacks, any of them, Penix, Knicks, Jaden Daniels, don't matter who, it just takes one team to fall in love. Yeah. One team to look across, across the dance floor and say, Hey, Hey, and uh, we might be that team looking at one of these guys, especially with the Grubbs background, let's say with Penix and saying, Hey, I know what Michael's going to do at the next level. Let's just get him. Let's do this. Let's do that. And we'll be good to go. But I do like you do Thomas, the, the draw to move back to get a multitude of offensive linemen that can be day one starters and upper level linemen at their positions at that multiples. The draw to do that is, is so much more of a pull for me, Thomas, but it's also that way too, because you, I think you see it as I do, which is get the line in place first and then you get the quarterback. You don't get the cart before the horse. You get the, you get the horse before the cart. You get, you buy a horse and a cart and you put them in the right order. Uh, Brian Blank, who do you see as the best quarterback for mobility and decent arm in the draft? Mm. Well, I, I, I think it, it's Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is, you know, he's so escapable and able to run. You know, I mean, Jaden Daniels is definitely more twitchy and lighter. You know, Williams has got a little bit more strength in his ability to run with the ball. But then Williams, I think, has his, they both have about the same kind of live arm, I think, in their own way. I think it's both, both of them are kind of neck and neck there. I don't know if one differentiates himself from the other. <clears throat> both good. Mr. Gaines is great stuff. Brandon, hit the like button, everyone. Oh, thank you for reminding that. Please do, folks, if you like what you're listening to today, hit that like button for me. I would really appreciate it. Big boy Jess, James Williams from Miami would be a good pick for linebackers, six foot five, maybe Kyle Hamilton type player. Could very well stand out to them as being that guy for him, right? Uh, that I could see definitely big boy Jess, and let's let's probably advocate. We're already hearing rumors that Jamal's likely to be cut, and if Quandre's cut with that, then you know there's going to be a big opening here to go and maybe draft uh, a safety at this point. And uh, you know he had so much success with Hamilton, he might see Williams as that kind of guy. And boy, he is so athletic at six five. 
you know, in, in uh, McDonald's defense, linebacker safety doesn't really matter. It's, it's a little bit more less. It's a little more positionless at times and as much as it can be between those two and his defense. So uh, I like Williams. Um, fun tape to watch. Can't deny the, the size and the length. The ways with the way he can squeeze down zones with that squat size and length at times is uh, pretty incredible. Um, I don't know if he's quite as athletic as Hamilton um, or as instinctive as Hamilton or just kind of just as fierce a defender as Hamilton, but Williams is still a really good player. And if you, you got him in the third round, uh, you get a lot of that skill set by getting him there, big, uh, big boy. Tan fam, we have a chance to be really good. Just need to improve the O-line and D-line. Amen, Tan. That's what I would lean into myself as the, as, as the biggest onus, so to speak, this offseason. Grugs, is this really possible for us to trade down twice in the first round and net two second rounders? I like to think that it's possible, but I seriously doubt it. It all depends on situation and circumstance. Uh, you can point to a last year and go, well, the picks were here when teams traded there. And you can go to the previous year of that and maybe find an outlier that's different there. I think year by year, it changes just a little bit depending on teams' outlook of the drafts, how strong, how weak they think they are. Uh, I, could you have to maybe kick in a kicker from a later round pick this year's draft or find some other, you know, creative ways to get the deals done beyond just flopping a few picks back? Yeah, maybe you got to do a little bit extra to make that happen. I do think that you could at the very least pick up an extra second by trading back, let's say from a 16 to 25-ish range. I, I don't think that that's out of the pocket to think that there'd be a team that would be willing to do that. There have been teams that have done that in the past. Can you get an additional second going back from 26 to let's say three in the second round? Maybe not, but probably at least a third. And even if you, in an early third at that, and if you went that route with the Grug, then you'd still accomplish the outlook that I'd look to, which is trying as close as you can to get into that, you know, five picks in the first 95, 90 picks or so. You know, you, st you still would have accomplished it at that point in that fashion. But I, I think with the trade backs, it's hard because there are times in years you've seen it go down, but there's also times where you get the incredible outside the box trades where guys will just suddenly go cray cray with it. And, you'll, you know, you'll get the Saints flipping a first round pick so they can go get Trevor Penning and kicking that first while also giving up a second round pick in the same same draft, you know? So you, you can also get some pretty wild things too on the other end of it. Albert Nickus, will we get a draft pick if Pete left? No. They would just let Pete go. If he wanted to get a job somewhere, they wouldn't be like, we got you an advisory contract. You know, no, they'd let him, they'd let him go. Uh, Thomas, if it's reasonable, who do you... Who would you be okay to trade up for? I think it's two. Marvin Harrison Jr., Caleb Williams. I would trade up for Drake May. I think Drake May, Drake May is legitimate. I think I think he's I think he's got the goods, Thomas. But I'm with you on the other two. So I'd just add him on, but I'd be with you on, that'd be the only three that I would do as well. I would trade up for maybe Bowers if it was just a couple picks. You didn't move up to like six, but you were going from like 16 to 13 or something. Bowers would be in that role, but not, we're talking about the kind of trade you're talking about, moving, moving up, up. Uh, Greg says, let's, let's not forget that we could potentially trade up in the second round using a third and a fourth or both of our fourth, third rounders. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, you could kind of package in that way too, Grug. I'm, I'm good with going that route too with it. You know, just find that creative path to kind of do as, if it's not five is reasonable, maybe four, you know, just find a way if you can to get into that four picks in the first, in the first three rounds. I, I would try to shoot for that at least as kind of a low end 
the option spot. And I think that there's a realistic way of getting it to five. Even if that means that Grug sacrificing a future four, a future four or, you know, this draft four and a six and a three and a, you know, find some way. And Bauer says, Junior Colson's a realistic prospect for us. I think McDonald will be compelled to pick him from his time at Michigan. Can't help but think there'll be a draw there in Power Code. That's what I think as well. Uh, you know, you need it. Guy knows him. He knows what he's getting. You know, it's, it becomes, boy, very tantalizing with the guys on the board. And it does seem like he's going to be dipping down the board a little bit to where not a first-round guy on anyone's board and kind of a mid to, set, mid to late second on uh, most that I've seen. Brando says, is there any interior offensive linemen that you like that are expected to go day three that are scheme fit, starting to look into offensive linemen after the top couple of rounds? Good question. Very good question, actually. Um, let me see here. Most of them I've, I've found so far, I'm going through my notes on this. Most of these interior linemen I'm finding it in later on points. How about, uh, all right, we'll give you a, a Charles Turner, left guard prospect. Nose together on some of these guys. Maybe like a Brandon Coleman. Be honest with you, I'm I'm still a little bit behind on getting to that level of the draft on the linemen. I'm still kind of picking through the top end guys because um, it's a pretty deep class. So I've I've been a little slow. Part of it too is trying to work through the the tackles, which I wouldn't normally be looking at, but trying to figure out which of the tackles do have that upside to being able to move into guard. I don't know where necessarily Matt Gonclay Calvis is going to go. He might be like a fourth rounder kind of guy that that I would would be very interesting to me as a guy that could transition inside. His arm look arm length looks small on tape, but I couldn't find his measurements from uh, the senior bowl. Bill Castle says, love Pete, but it vexes me how a run first coach doesn't have an offensive line. How do you do that? I don't know, Philip. I, I feel the same way about the fact that he's a, a defensive coach that wants to trust his front four and then doesn't get the proper assets invested in the front four to be able to trust them. I think that it, 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 as you say, vex is a good word. I'm vexed as as well. It kind of goes counterintuitive to how you be, would believe that the coach would be believing to go about his business on those sides of the ball. And I, I don't have a good explanation for why they didn't over the years. It frustrated me endlessly. Thomas says, I wish Seattle could go after Williams, but I'm not selling the farm to get him. Nor am I. Nor am I. 
But yeah, he would be pretty awesome. Darren J, yo, I just, I just now see in the stream and this video picture is crazy. Laugh my ass off. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. <laughs> I had a little fun. It was, I was up at like three in the morning last night. I was probably going a little too crazy with it. <laughs> I get an idea in my mind and I just got to take it to the end, end degree on it. Cameron says, I'm very excited for this upcoming season. Had we kept Pete, I would not have had any hope we'd be good. I think that there's a lot more excitement from the fan base than I've seen in recent years for the reasons that you mentioned is I just think that they had reached a point with Carol of, you know, or just where, not just Carol, just where things were at, where it had hit that stuck kind of stagnant spot of things and um, uh, needed, needed to move into a different new degree, different, just a different area, you know? And um, I'm glad they have as well. I think it's excited everybody have a good notch. Spencer says, what up, Hawks Nest gang? Long time no see. What's up, Spencer? Greetings from the League Champions. Special thank you to the Elite One, Joe Flacco. Uh, that's right. You get the you got the fantasy this year? Did you get that fantasy dub, Spencer? We got the champ. The champ is here. The champ is here. The champ is here. Uh, power code, do you think we extend Leo? I think it's a must, given his excellent run defense and immense draft capital invested. Yes. I think it becomes the um, probably the big signing we make of this offseason, I think. Probably going to be Leonard Williams. And I think the team's going to make him the biggest priority before we get to free agency in power. Will Valdez, rumor mill has it that the Seahawks might trade up to number 10 with the Jets to select Michael Penix. Wow, John going back to the Jets, huh? Is that Joe Douglas, Will Valdez doing uh, John uh, Snollard for schnookering him a couple years ago in the Jamal deal? Like, all right, all right. Okay, I owe you one, John. All right, you got me. I know it's been a couple years. What do you guys want? All right, you want to get to 10. Okay. What do we get back? Okay, a third. All right. That'd be hilarious. It's like a trade that we like obviously win with the Jets. <laughs> Just did just a one hand, one hand washing the other. You do for me, I do for you. I don't know if the Jets would do that either. So then the Jets might just as much want to jump on a QB too. A lot of rumors at this point. Philip Castle have been watching the coaching staff. It's different, but I think it'll work well. Paul Amala was a good pickup. Paul Amala's doing some good work out there and he's been doing it for a long period of time. And it's, it's not just a guy kind of lucking into the talent of the backs that he has to work with, but a guy that has a real active process um, for how he trains his backs and, and especially footwork drills and stuff like that. They all got those individual drills, but he seems to have some special sauce involved with his uh, and his track record. Corey Vaughn, thank you for subscribing to the channel. Appreciate you for doing that, Corey. Sean Proper says, Sports Kita is my favorite mock site. A little more realistic and a good layout. I'll try it out, Sean. I've had some problems in the past when I've tried other ones out from PFF where they just, they didn't update them at all. And you're like, yeah, okay. Jaden Daniels in the third round. But uh, that's what those sites should be doing is the ones that update the most. You know, these people run, everyone wants to run their mocks, you know, 24-7. It's like having yours updated is very important. 
Roland Connor, why so many injuries in the NFL now? Uh, lack of training, Roland. Um, so when we've had the past two CBA negotiations that have occurred over about the last 13 years in the NFL between the players union and the owners, the players have driven for one thing at both negotiations is the main point of what they wanted at the head of what they wanted. And that was less practice time. We don't want to be in pads as much as we don't have to hit as much. Uh, we want more time away from the sport um, to quote unquote, rehabilitate our bodies and freshen up. And this has worked for the players, Roland, because the owners on the other side of it don't care about practice time. They just want to maximize how much of a profit intake they can take on the other side of it. So it's not a, a point of negotiation that gets clipped up at that point. So um, you, uh, you end up with the players now practicing less and less. And there's a reason that those old schoolers had to practice this as hard as they did because it prepared their bodies for game day. You know, you can't go out, out onto the battlefield having never been out there running your miles out there in boot camp, right? You've got to prepare your body. Is it, does it suck going out in boot camp? You're out there running in boots for six miles, your feet hurt, your knees hurt, but you're preparing your body to be able to do it on the battlefield. And that's, that's the whole point of it is it's going to suck. It's going to be painful preparing your body to do that, but it's required. And I think what's happened though, is the players have kind of, they don't put that two and two together. They just think me practice more. You're taking more tread off my tires. My career lasts less long. You know, they're doing it with a kind of a simplified math to it on that point. I just don't think it's, it actually works that way. It actually works against them more, I think, than they would think. Thomas Cox, I was one of the first to say grub should OC. Laughing out loud. Heck, I got called out on X, even though Dan Vine and uh, numerous pro Husky sites were saying grub is on Seattle's mind. Yeah, I didn't understand too. There were some people that had a little bit of revulsion to it. I, I couldn't understand that, Thomas. I understand not being hyped by it, but um, certainly not, it wouldn't seem to be a bad hire. And if you have a team that's looking to instill an offense that is a forward-looking scheme versus one that hasn't in prior been at that spot, it would uh, it seem to be a pretty bright possibility to uh, me as well. Uh, but uh, that's funny. James Stradley says, what would a Carroll McDonald defense look like if you were able to combine them? Go Hawks. Uh, you'd be watching schizophrenia on the football field, I think, or a bipolar team on the football field. I don't know which one, but one of those two. Certainly you wouldn't see a cohesive singular strategy of approach. Uh, Yui says, there are zero expectations for next season. The only question that matters is if this team and roster building towards being a championship level. If it's, if it is, let's keep moving. If not, fourth year is make or break. Like the outlook, I'm with it. Thomas thought Ben Johnson would be a coach, but once he took his name off the list, I hoped it was McDonald. Kevin says, did you see the Christopher Walken commercial during the Super Bowl? Hawks Nest fans out there. I did see that. I did see that. That was awesome. Put a big smile to my face, Kevin, because then I can keep doing it. I can do the impression and he's not old. He's not from back in the day. It's now. You hear him now. Zeitgeist walking here. I did see it though. That was awesome, Kevin. And he's going to be in the new Dune movie. I'm the bad guy. Say hello to the bad guy walking. I need the spice. 
the AAS All Around Sports. Hey, Hawks Nest. I'm a Seahawks YouTuber as well. I go over everything Seahawks along with other teams around the NFL, NBA, and NHL. So I wanted to throw that out there. Well, uh, that's awesome, man. Um, I'm trying the NFL. Cover a lot of content then, huh? Jeez Louise. I have a hard enough time covering the, the team. <laughs> that's cool, man. Props to you. I uh, hope, you're, hope you're rolling along well out there. He doesn't want to move back at all. We've complained for years about not having high picks. Let's add high pedigree players to start. Just keep stacking top tires. No more drafting depth. Uh, Noah, I know you probably already said, but what do you think will happen or want to happen with the quarterback spot? Interesting to see the range of opinion between Stanton, Brendan, etc. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of it. I think a little bit of on how you base a lot of other philosophies or where you see the quarterback position. Um, I tend to be a guy that I think when it, when you talk about measuring it up against what tends to be a standard of opinion out there in general, uh, the quarterback has been sort of raised up and elevated up to a place of, you know, very, very high prominence over the rest of the team. And, uh, almost in a way to where I, I feel like from some, they make the case or will make the case that you, you got to get the quarterback first and then you get the rest of the team taken care of. And uh, my opinion on it is that you take care of, especially on the offensive side of the ball, the offensive line, but the team in general, you get in a place in a position to be really good. And then you go get your quarterback. I think, uh, one in one scenario, you're, you're driving from a point of almost desperation. Like just got to get that quarterback. Just got to get that quarterback. The other one is one from a point of, we got our team in place. Whoever's going to come here is going to thrive. Whoever's going to come here is going to do well. We have put that play person in the right position to go out there and succeed. I think you can make a choice between those two directions. And I would choose that other path. So uh, I think that the offensive line and the shape that it's in right now, Noah, uh, considering the way that this draft is going to probably break down with all of the really good quarterbacks taken at the top of the draft ahead of us. I just think that you got to stay in that pocket, build the team up, be patient in your approach and that the quarterback will present himself. That option will present itself and uh, have faith in that point. Um, so I, I would lean in that direction myself. Zadam Pax says, if the offensive line can't take care of Gino, why would it take care of a rookie quarterback? Bingo, Zadam. And sometimes you guys have the greatest of comments on that pair with just something I just talked about and, and fits so perfectly into what I was just saying. That's exactly right. That's why I don't advocate or want to just go for the quarterback first. And that's where that, that, that Zadam, that's what happens is sort of there's this disconnect of the quarterback flies on high. The quarterback is a superhero. Therefore, the quarterback can get his head's his brains bashed in and he'll still be great because he's got the superhero outfit on. It's like, and I think you and I, we think of like, no, you've got to get the line taken care of first. That's the first thing you do, you know? And um, I'm a very big believer in that. I, I think we've got so many, Noah, we've got so many examples of in, in, in NFL history, just the last 10 years alone, of teams that took the track of just go get the superhero quarterback and all will be well. Versus the other teams out there that built up the line of scrimmage, that built up the supporting parts that then allowed whatever quarterback they put in position to thrive. And, and, and I think the data is pretty stark when you look down through it all the way down the line. Um, but I know that that's what does persist still is that sort of, I call it the superhero quarterback, uh, you know, mentality on things. And I just don't, I can't buy into it. Cool breeze. Thank you for reminding me that. Please do folks. If you could for me, it's just a little thing, but a major thing in my heart. But if you could slam that like button for me, I would really, really appreciate it. 
Thomas says, I just don't pick a quarterback just because Seattle needs one now. I don't like the quarterback I'm not selecting. I'm happy enough with Geno, and I feel Geno will thrive in Grubb's offense. Me as well. Me as well. Um, Thomas, haven't seen Mustafa yet. Sorry on that one. Cameron Kitchens is awesome. Uh, I've got a second round grade on Cameron Kitchens. I think right now I've got him placed as my number two uh, safety right now in this draft, though Javon Bullard's making a big case to be able to maybe overtake him. So he might even be sliding into more of a, eh, he might be fourth-ish. I might even put Bullock even up ahead. Um, Good ball skills, uh, tremendous speed in center field, can cover all the territory you need for a free safety back there that you can require. Also really athletic, willing to come up and hit um, and tackle. Um, uh, you know, sometimes the run game instincts aren't perfect on where he's going and where he wants to choose to be and, and all of that. But uh, when he comes up to make contact, he'll bring the guy down. Unusual sometimes for the free safeties, of course, that can sometimes be a little bit light in their tackling, uh, which helps to maybe some of the promise that he could bring of being maybe a bit of that cover two shell guy that can do a bit of the both skill set at the safety position. But good enough size. Got some flashes at times, Thomas. He is not Ed Reed. I don't want to say he's Ed Reed. I'm not putting him in Ed Reed's camp, but he's got some flashes at times where you, you watch the tape and you go, wow, that looked almost Ed Reed-like in the way that he played that or his instincts on that play um, and where he, did, where he was determined to go. Uh, really does a good job, especially at the free safety position, Thomas, of reading the quarterback's eyes. You've got to have great eye discipline with him. You've got to look him off um, or he will, he'll pick it up. He'll, he'll, over the course of the game, he'll start to get closer and closer in on the, on what you're doing. Uh, AAS all around sports says this team has so much talent that could be unlocked. Hope McDonald can lead us to the playoff berth and potential win me as well. AAS, I I'm hoping so as well. And I think it's a good chance of that happening. No guarantees of course in this sport, but you just make as many good decisions as you can up river and then hope downstream you're seeing the returns of that. And I think that the team has done that throughout this offseason in their courses of action. And uh, I think that that has the best chance then of meriting out a team that's going to win and win in the near future. Win the near future, excuse me. Connor says, if Bowers or Fawanga are at 16, are you taking them or are you still considering a trade back? The only reason I'm trading back at 16, Connor, is because I believe that all the blue chip talent in the first round will be gone by the time you pick at 16. I think that you have 10 players in this first round that I would consider blue chip talent. So when I look at it from that standpoint, if one of the blue chip guys falls to me, I will take the blue chip guy because the value is there. Because that, of course, more than the outlook of how many blue chip players there are in a draft, I would look at a draft and say, let value drive your board. Who is the most valuable guy you got on the board? And if he is that much more insanely valuable than the tier two guys you'd have as an option, and yes, I do believe Brock Powers or Fuonga would be blue chip prospects. So if I have the opportunity and there's this much of a difference, because what... My thinking on this is like this, Connor, is that you have 10 blue chip prospects in this draft. And then from about pick 11 through about pick six, call pick about 70, 75. It's kind of arbitrary, but it gets pretty deep into the second round, even touching into maybe the top of the third. You have tier two. And I think a lot of tier two is very similar, similar rating, similar upside. Okay. So if you get to 16 and you know, you're going, okay, well, uh, you know, Jared verse, Troy Fatano. You know, or 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 Jackson Powers, uh, Jared Verse. It's like eh, it's very different. But when we're talking about Fulonga Powers versus those other guys here, I'm talking about star potential versus upper level starter potential. 
And so if one of those guys falls, I take him because I do look at him as one of my few blue chip guys in this draft. All sports, you could definitely go after college quarterback, wide receiver duo. You could do the uh, Penix McMillan, Penix Polk. You could do the Franklin, Franklin Nix, the Leggett Rattler, the Daniels Neighbors. I predict if the Seahawks didn't trade back, it'd be kind of stupid not to go O-line unless there's a blue chipper. Yes, sir. We think alike on that. Thomas Cox says some scouts are out on May. It might change once the combine hits, but I think May close up, I would trade up. If May close up, I would trade up. I would do Thomas. I've, I've watched his tape and it's, it's you know, he's, he's not like a, a Mitch Trubisky or, you know, it's, he's not Carson Palmer as well. Like the people were trying to make those, re, you know, references earlier in the year and, you know, but um, can I see some slight, Stuff to a guy, you know, recent guys like Trevor Lawrence or recent guys like Justin Herbert that have come out. Can I see some stuff within his, the way he moves, the way he throws, the way he processes, you know, throws on the move, deals with pressure. I can see some things with that a little bit. Uh, Ewey says, I know May has the measurables, but I didn't really see him being special in college. Daniels is much more impressive. Hell, Penix was more impressive and showed more capacity to make all the throws. Yes, uh, but of course, it, it's a bit to me of the sporting cast those guys have around. Um, Daniels is throwing to two first-round receivers. Penix is throwing to three guys that are going to be taking the first three rounds. Um, I, I can say that I understand the outlook of there being some inconsistency on Drake's tape. I don't think that that's, I don't think that that, I think that's very fair. Huey. Absolutely. That's very fair. Um, but it's, it's to me about the projection of where they go as a pro. And sometimes there's guys at college level that don't exactly like a Justin Herbert light it completely up at the, at the college level who might have some inconsistent tape. But then when you think about where they're going to go to and okay, now I'm in an offensive scheme that that's going to really work for me. Okay. Now I've got the more of the supporting talent around me. Does that player start to take off and take a little bit more of a, uh, a you know, firmer, firmer hold and reach that ceiling that they kind of promise? But I get it. There is definitely some of that on tape, and you do like it. Does make people feel a little bit more comforted when you got a little bit more of that true production coming out for a couple, you know, year period at a very high level of production. Thomas, based off highlights, May looks close to Allen. I don't want to put that on the guy, but he has similar talent. I, I can kind of get where you're coming from with it. I, I feel a little bit the same way. Big quarterback that can move with a big arm, makes good decisions in the pocket. You know, Allen's another good, uh, uh, another good representation of a guy at the college level that was, didn't produce at a high level. You know, fifth, barely 50% completion rate. You know, doesn't have a lot of talent around him necessarily or great upside. 
I mean, even you, a guy like Tez Walker that he has to throw to that's like an NFL drafted receiver coming up here in this draft is like, man, the, the guy, that guy is so inconsistent. And that was like his number one ride receiver was like gone for half the year, I think, due to like suspension. And his hands are inconsistent. He gets open, but he can't catch a, can't catch a breeze. Corey Olson, thank you for the $2 donation. I appreciate you for that, Corey. What do you think happens with Jordan Travis in this draft? Ooh, good question. Really good question. Um, it's it's a bit of a two thing. Two things are pulling at each other on it for me with this one because I, by the time you leave essentially halfway into the second round, you're going to have... Let me count it up here. So one, two, three, four, five. You're going to have six quarterbacks gone by midway into the second round. And I think you could make the strong argument then that the next, the next most talented quarterback once you get past those guys is Jordan Travis. But then Jordan Travis has got the broken leg, but then he's undersized for the position. He's not going to test at all. So then, Corey, it does become a bit of a tough question to answer because of I have some uncertainty of how NFL teams will look at that. Do they do they look past the ability to test, the size, the broken leg, they see the production, they go, hey, this is a guy we can take third, fourth round though, who's got he's got some potential. Could this guy be a Jalen Hurts type? Um I I I think that there could be a team that that kind of talks himself into it a little bit. Um, specifically again, cause I, I think a lot of what drives this, this quarterback draft and who will pick who and what gets picked when I look at previous drafts, you know, when I look at that draft, we had those, what, five guys, three, three quarterbacks taken the first three picks or something like that with you had Lawrence Wilson and Trey Lance. And then you got Justin Fields and then you got Mac Jones. Something that this has told me in recent years is that the NFL teams will push to draft higher than people may see those quarterbacks accommodate on boards by their talent. And that it's about supply and demand. And so if that's the case with Jordan Travis, I would expect him to probably go even up in the back into the third round. First, you might normally think with that leg injury and size and no testing, it might be more middle fourth to fifth. But he gets to kind of be the bit of the bell of the ball after all these other QBs are taken through the first uh, round and a half. And that you're going to still have teams who do, do need a quarterback who weren't one of those magical teams to pick one of those QBs up, who's now kind of left trying to sift through the rest, so to speak. Uh, so I, I think that it's going to go fourth rounds where I got him as a grade right now, personally where I got him. But can I see a team jumping third? Cause the scarcity of the position in this draft by that point. Absolutely. Yeah. Great question though, Corey, tough one to answer. Thomas Cox, what's your opinion of Mayan Williams or Frank Gore Jr. Who can kick return specialist that Seattle will go after? Uh, I've been meaning to get around to Gore's tape. Haven't gotten to Gore's tape yet. So he's still on, uh, on the, on the radar. Mayan Williams, I always liked from the jump. And it's funny because you put Frank Gore and Mayan Williams together. And to me, you go watch Mayan Williams, um, running style at Ohio state. It's, it's just like Frank Gore. He runs just like Gore. You know, it's one cut, get up field, run behind your pads, you know, run strong, run hard. 
it, it, it ain't fancy. It ain't a lot of shimmy and shaking and, and, you know, spin moves and juke stick buttons, but it's just effective and strong runner that can, you know, to me kind of help to wear a defense down a little bit, a good sort of change of pace kind of back. And with mine, when you're going to be able to get him in a little bit of the later rounds, I, I would love him as a value pick to stack in there behind, um, Kenny McIntosh and then let those two kind of battle it out for who will be the number three. And then you got a solid stack of four guys at that point. Frank Gore is on my list though. And uh, within the next week, I will definitely have him scouted. Thomas just haven't had quite, quite the chance to get to him yet. I think I'm at about, I'm at about last count 160, I think 170 on my prospects. So I've been lagging a little bit here, but uh, the coaching search kind of has putting the coaching videos together and stuff. has kind of slowed me down a little bit, but I'm a hammer at this next week. Thomas says, my problem with May is that his North Carolina team wasn't as talented. Penix and him switched. What would those their stats be? Yeah, a big, big point to my point on that too, Thomas. It's supporting cast matters. This is where we get back to again that there is an inherent debate here that I see at the core of a lot of these quarterback discussions that exist. And you fall in my camp on this, Thomas. But it's that, you know, the quarterback flies on high. The quarterback is un unfettered by his supporting cast. It doesn't matter because if this guy is as great as he's supposed to be, then he should be able to fly through the night and, you know, save lives and stop crime. Versus those of us that say the supporting cast actually is inherently important. And if you don't take care of that, your quarterback position will fail with it. And uh, yes, Thomas, I think that that's an important part of the evaluation of May is understanding a little bit of what he has to work with around him. Um, and that it is not all just top notch and he's just, you know, riding with all of the easy parts and pieces and it's all just made super simple for him. Monica J. Kansas says, I was much more excited last off season and the one before, especially after moving on from Russ and getting the hall of draft picks. I didn't really want to move on from Pete, but I like the new path. Uh, well, you're not alone, Monica. I mean, I, I, we even have a few people I'm sure you can see here in the chat right now above and below your comments that um, are certainly of the pro-Pete uh, pro outlook and didn't want to see him necessarily moved on from. And um, I understand, you know, I, I'm, I, it's, it's one that I've, of course, is a stance I don't quite agree with as much because I think Coach Carroll at the end did more than enough for this and the team and the, and, and the, to move in this direction of things. But I understand that, that, there is a special amount of endearment of Coach Carroll in many people's hearts and that, that he had earned a right to be here for a very long period of time um, beyond just being let go this offseason and that he still had, the, he still had which I, I guess I can understand that outlook more than I understand the, the outlook of he was going to get this thing fixed because that's the part that I come to is go, well, where was the proof that he was getting this pushed into the right direction or turned into the right direction, um, especially on the back of his words from a couple of years ago. But I understand. I totally get it, Monica, and uh, definitely there's a few folks that feel the same way you do on this one. More than a few. And sorry, yep. Don't have uh, Max Belton. I've looked at, let me see here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. I've looked at 18 cornerbacks in this draft, but have not done the Max Melton one. James, he is on my list on it. Um, and again, I'm, I apologize. I'm a little behind on the prospect search. 
It's just this off season has been a bit of an odd one because when you have the coaching, just doing content creation stuff, coaches get fired. Everybody wants videos on the coaches. Everybody wants the, the videos on the, the, the coordinators and the assistant hires like we're doing today. So it ends up just kind of pushing a bit of the time frame down to being able to scout the guys as long. Usually this is like James, the, the dead of the off season. So I have more of a chance to just do kind of nothing but scout, but it's been good. I like that it's this way, but it is put me a little bit behind. So on the, some of these ga- names you guys are mentioned, I'm still not going to quite have it. I'm trying to fast and furiously go through it, but I- I'm hoping here in the next week and a half, it'll probably be about another week and a half before we get a show out here, potentially outside of the B&B show on, ben- on Tuesday. Um, so um, I hope to have a little bit more of these names kind of filled in at that point, but admittedly, just a little bit behind on, on that side of it. Uh, banana bad guy Williams. What is your thoughts on the hirings today? Um, don't know about much about the London guy, quarterbacks coach. So I, uh, I don't know. I didn't see. I didn't see anything before I went live on the, the recent guys they got. We had the uh, frizz. Desmond Fitzsimmons, Jake Peets, and Frisman Jackson. Peets and Fitzsimmons, there's not a lot there to be said. Frisman's done some good work with receivers at Pittsburgh recently and Carolina before that. Like the Paul Lomalo hiring, he's got a great track record too with running backs. But uh, I don't know too much about the London guy as far as quarterbacks coach go. Comes to some of these court, these coaches when it gets down to that line of it. I've I've got pretty good knowledge on the NFL, but when it gets down to insert a quarterbacks coach from given B program over here. It, it's pretty far down the line on that one. I'll try to look a little bit more into them for the next one though. Dax says, I really appreciate that you don't just talk football, but you educate your viewers on the game as well. Making us all understand the game a little bit better. Well, the chat does the same thing for me too, Dak. You know, I mean, it's a give and take situation here, I think. And then uh, I always say when I come away from these streams, I come away from a little more better educated as well. And there's always something that I've learned or wasn't aware of or, you know, there to pick up. And so it does become, as I always say, in this place, Dak, it's a think tank. You know, it's a processing of ideas and thinking through situations and solutions and possibilities and iterations. And that's uh, what I love about it here. You know, it can kind of go in any different direction in that way. Thomas Goss, if I had to choose firing him from four years early or now, I picked now because like McDonald hire. Yeah, I'm okay with them taking the time they did with Carroll. And I think even when they let him go at the time they did, it wasn't an easy let go as evidenced by the fact there is so much of the fan base that still was kind of like, well, but maybe we'd still like him to be there. I don't want him to move on from Coach Carroll yet. But uh, they have transitioned to, I think, is as good a hire as you could hope for Thomas moving from Coach Carroll to the next in McDonald.
Dewey says Texans offensive line was terrible or a Bengals offensive line was terrible, but took quarterback. It, it's worked. Waiting has worked well. The thing is, is when you identify the quarterback and go and get him, you don't wait for the perfect situation. I think you can find outliers in any situation, Dewey, and then there's rules of thumb. And I always say, I don't try to operate in the outliers of situations. When you talk about the Bengals offensive line, I don't know if that's the greatest representation of a success story because they've been able to stuff the camel through the eye of the needle. And the first year that Burrow was there, they got his ACL torn by how he was getting bashed as much as he was getting bashed. And while the Texans were able to avoid it for the most part last year, Texans have done certain steps to accommodate their offensive line in certain ways over the past couple of years. And we'll see how it works long-term with them there with um, CJ Stroud. He certainly got knocked out a game last season and we'll see if uh, that doesn't mount up because part of this UE is not just about a one-year basis, but about a cumulative effect that undertakes and happens if you're not going to be a team that addresses the offensive line. I'll also say that it, it seems to me weird then, Yui, that the Bengals don't seem to agree with what you said because I think you'd also agree that they've taken pretty strong steps since Burrow walked in the door there to go and get an offensive line in place, almost recognizing we can't let our quarterback get bashed like this. Because Yui, if your point's to stand up and be legitimate, then why wouldn't the Bengals keep teaching, teaching or uh, treating their offensive line like a redheaded stepchild? Why not look at that and go, up? Eh, we're going to let that just continue to be what it is because we got Joe Burrow. What, what we got to worry about? Could it almost be like, man, we got to not let our quarterback get broken? So again, they, they went counter. You're using them as an example, but that's an organization that ran counter that. And again, uh, for every one time that you can find a success story, Yui, of a quarterback that was a rookie quarterback put up between behind a crap offensive line who found success, I can show you 10 that are failures. It's, it's much more of a true truth the other way. Can you find an anomaly the other way? Yes. But like I say, don't count on anomalies. Those are hard to find. Fit more to what would be what called the rule of thumb. Boy, Anger Day, he's an embodiment of uh, meme. He's a man of commitment, focus, and sheer effing will. Give this man a coaching position in Seattle already. Oh, thank you, Boy, Anger Day. I like it. <laughs> I love it, man. Let's go. Big Hawk, I take Bowers in a heartbeat. As would I. Last is Joe Burrow got killed his rookie year and had to miss the rest of the season. And the Texans O-line is still better than ours currently. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, I don't, it's it, it, agreed, 100%. But Flash, this will be one of those, one of those debates with you I've gotten into for years with him. So I'm sure it'll, it'll just keep going round and round the same old direction. Rockman Drums, how you doing? Good to see you in the house. Flashes Trevor Lawrence isn't that good. Plus, he's about to get paid. I don't know. I think Trevor Lawrence is a pretty good quarterback. Flash, uh, another guy whose franchise went out there and made him the number one pick in the draft that, uh, again, a little bit to the point we're making here, like you're making above, uh, wasn't put behind the best of offensive lines to begin things there. You know, um, last year, I believe that he had the most catchable passes in the entire NFL dropped, if I'm not mistaken on that stat, uh, which is certainly going to harm your ability as a quarterback if your guys aren't catching the, catching the ball. Um, but I think he's going to be a still, I, I've been pretty on Trevor and I think he'll be a good player and continue to be good. But it again, becomes back to, don't matter if you're the number one overall pick to me, flash in the draft or not, you don't get the supporting cast built up in front of you. There's a limitation to the heights that you can reach and, um, that it will, uh, eventually limit you as a QB if you don't get those deals dealt with. 
Can someone explain Justin Herbert to me? I have no clue how to view him. I know he's talented, but every time I see him, he chokes too hard. Am I just catching him at the wrong moment? Well, um, I, I think the thing we'd have to do with Herbert is take a look at, uh, you know, last year was, I guess, a bit of a down year, though he missed a couple of games. Prior to that, he had thrown for 4,300 yards the very first year of his career, 5,000 yards in the second year of his career, and um, 4,700 yards. He's got almost a 67% completion percentage, 114 touchdowns to 42 interceptions, uh, 95 rating. He's run for almost 1,000 additional yards in his four years. Um, Clutch factor, I guess I can't really reference to, but I guess I would just say, has it been, has the, have the Chargers been let down in recent years by their offense, or has it been more let down by the defense, or is it more equal? Um, and I don't have a certain answer for that. I don't necessarily study him up. Um, not able to run the ball 25th rate last year, and you're 24th in the league in points against. Kind of steal, it seemed like Staley was never able to get his defense really inputted there and that's really if you look at the last couple of years the there's maybe a variety of places maybe it's some of its clutch Herbert's clutchness but maybe it's also the fact that the you know no running game and a defense uh that's not holding up its end of the bargain and this is a bit back to the quarterback can only do so much just to my feeling on it you know even the star quarterbacks it's like in, there's there's got to be things working in their favor helping them to get their job done too you know but Connor says, does that logic stand for Olu Fashano if he fell to 16? Bet on the tackle and maybe try to move him to right tackle. I would be drawn to it. I would, Connor. It'd be a little bit of a harder move for me on that because then you're, you're what are we doing then? Right? Like, is who's moving to guard? People keep saying, keep kind of pushing forward a little bit of Abraham Lucas moving to guard. I just don't know how a six foot six guy who's got knee problems is going to go down to squatting down to becoming a guard now. I don't know if that quite adds up to me. So then it becomes, well, then you've got to move on from Lucas. And then if you move on from Lucas, what are you, what are you getting back in a trade return for that right now with a guy coming off surgery like he is and with maybe even a chronic knee injury? Um, but to your point, Connor, there is, he is a blue chip guy in this draft for me. And, and we would have to kind of, it would definitely require some conversations in the draft room about that one if he was to fall to him. Last Justin Herbert's elite quarterback with all the tangibles is Sporting Cast just has not been healthier or that good. Banana the bad guy, Williams. I think Mike Salka has something bad against DK. He always seems to put him in uh, trade scenarios. I'm going to try to put together a video, and I'm, I'm working through it right now. We'll be after we uh, sign off tonight, actually, on the DK, a DK video, trying to address some of this stuff that keeps getting presented or stuff that Mike Salk presents. And um, yeah, I, I don't, 
I would like to be the most fairest to Mike, just chalk it up to trying to get some clicks going and, and viewership and engagement, you know, and that that's what he, why he pushes it forward is he knows it'll uh, send the fan base up in a certain way. And it's it sort of, you can kind of gaslight them a little bit, I guess. That's the only thing, I, that's what I would hope it would be. It might be like you say, where there's some bone that he has specifically to pick. Um, I, you know, there are just some players that at times from front fans that they just don't like a guy and that that's just, you know, it's like with Gino, like I just don't like Gino's face, you know, or something that this is what you get from sometimes people on it. I feel like, and it's, that's just the way it goes, I suppose. But, uh, I, yeah, the, the, the trading of DK thing is, a especially doing the research for this article and looking at DK's productivity and looking at what he's done at the, as a player, looking at some of the stats that get presented about DK, it's, um, it doesn't fit to the, one narrative doesn't fit to what is the reality. And um, don't understand it because he's such a good player. You think he'd be more revered and loved locally. Rockman Drums, trade DK would be a huge mistake unless the team gave us the moon. It would take quite a bit. Nick, I really think the top six quarterbacks could go in the first. We could use that to our advantage and potentially have to trade, to potentially have two trade downs that give us a second and multiple day three picks. This is the, uh, you, you're seeing where I'm looking at it as well, Nick. That was my, uh, my hope for our outlook in this situation too, that that's the way that this works. You, you see the quarterbacks picked at the top to your point. This pushes down better value and better players to you into your depths of the draft than you normally would have gotten if there weren't the five or six QBs taken out ahead of you. And now you take advantage of that maybe to move back. You know, if an Undunzie drops to you at 16 and some teams got them got him as their number two receiver in this draft, team like Green Bay that's maybe a playoff team looking to bump on through and, and, and sees a great outside guy as a way of, uh, you know, busting through at that point, would they make that trade? I think you'd be able to find one to do so. Flash, Max Mellon's a great slot corner. I'll take a look at him. I mean to get to him. I just haven't popped over there. Tan Pham says the Hawks can win it all next year. The NFC is wide open. It's definitely still a very a much weaker conference, I think, as opposed to the AFC right now. And that does mean there's a little bit more of an opening than you might normally have there. Yui says, May plays in the AFC, ACC. It's not a juggernaut, and he was good, but so was Levis. Well, Levis wasn't particularly good in his final year, and even in the year before that, he was, he was good, but it wasn't exceptional numbers. Yeah. Um, both of them did have to deal with Yui and the fact that they didn't have the supporting cast around them a little bit, but I, I think Levis, even in that last season, performed worse, much worse than what we saw from the play of Drake May. I think Drake handles pressure better, and uh, you know, able to move through it, navigate it better, under capability, just better feel in the pocket. But again, I know that there's there's going to be those certain debates we're going to have on that that we ain't going to come a common ground. Love your optimism, Tan. 
I love your optimism, man. I think your outlook is correct on this. I think it is open. Don, Don, how you doing? Yeah, you either, what I was saying was you're saying is you're wanting to go to the quarterback before you get to the offensive line. Making the active choice to disregard the offensive line instead of getting the quarterback, instead of expecting that you're going to be able to accomplish both, especially with our limited cap budget this year. So it's it's that you're making an active decision and going for the quarterback to neglect the offensive line. And because the Bengals were able to ram the can the camel through the eye of the needle, and because Burrow is somehow able just to get through all that pressure and bashing that he's gotten, which we don't know what the cumulative effect of that'll be, Yui. I mean, some of this is not just what happens in the moment. It's also what goes down through the course of the years. You know, how about you don't put your quarterback in a position to break him first and foremost, get that stuff handled first, and then get the QB. I don't understand, Yui, the, the push here to have to get the quarterback first and foremost before taking care of your problems in-house. Clean up your own backyard and then go get your quarterback. Why the rush? Why the jump? Why does it have to be right now rather than first investing in that? Will not any quarterback that then plays behind that offensive line be better, better, better suited for success, be better treated to, as far as the injury potential? Again, you though, you're grabbing again with the Bengals thing, man. You're just grabbing an anomaly. And I, 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 We've had this debate so many times, I can't do it again with you. So go for it. Go knock yourself out. I, I don't think we're, there's no common ground for me or you to have on it. So I'm not going to progress. You know, you're grabbing anomaly situations. You grab some, Friday out here, I can grab 10 other ones that are more of the common rule of thumb. You, you reach for the anomaly. You reach for this like, well, it worked like this when they could just perfectly glide through this and then perfectly slide this way and then dodge this and dodge that. And they barely, barely got through. It's like, rather than do all that, you know, dodging laser stuff, Let's just be smart fundamentally in how we build the roster. And while there are many ways to build a team, there are stupid ways and there are smart ways. And putting your quarterback behind an offensive line that's going to get his brains bashed in in his first year is a dumb way to go about it. And I don't think you would argue with that. Which is why I'm kind of shocked that there's people that still push for this. The quarterback is the end-all be-all. But again, I appreciate your thoughts on this and uh, I know where you're coming from on it. I just disagree with you really at a fundamental root, root, root level. Kirk Stemmer says all he said was the DK is the Hawks only trade big trade piece, not that he wants him traded. Um, I, I think the the fierce, the mere fact, Kirk, that he's presenting an article to trade one of your best players speaks to the fact that he's an open guy to, to wanting to see him traded. The fact that you put the article out there in itself, it's not like, well, I'm just writing an article. I'm just, it's just putting this as a possibility. It's also a little bit of an advocating for it at the same point in time. And it certainly seems that way, Kirk, for instance, when he's ignoring, for instance, the dead money hit. That, that seems to be the part about this DK trade thing that Stahl couldn't even have been bothered to think for even like two seconds deeper on of, oh yeah, there's a $23 million dead money hit if we move on from DK. How does that work? Oh, details, details. I mean, he's just, he's a trade asset. Well, wait, that's kind of a big part of this puzzle, isn't it, Mike? No, not to me. I can only bother to think about it on a surface level and then I just move on to the next thing. Okay. 
Well, then it's going to be called out as being stupid at that point. You, you presented a stupid idea, Mike. Congratulations. You know, and if I present a stupid idea, you guys are free to call me on it. If I don't think, think something through at all, at even a base minor level, then let, let, let me have it. And Mike deserved to be let it have by the fans after that one too. The DK trade thing is, is so silly, Kirk. It's so silly. He's advocating for moving and trading DK so you can put resources into other places. The problem has not been that you've overput too much resources into your receiver position, and that's why you haven't dealt with either of your line of scrimmages. That has, one does not have to do with the other. The reason you haven't dealt with your lines of scrimmage is because you haven't made it a point of emphasis. Make it a point of emphasis. And then you can have improved offensive lines, and that doesn't require DK to be moved. It's a little bit, I'm, I'm making the reference in the video I'm going to put to DK like this. It's like you're climbing Mount Everest, right? And you go, okay, we got to climb Mount Everest. We're going to go up 30,000 feet up in the air, wherever high you end up at going up high, uh, whatever the hell it is. And you're like, okay, I'm going to sell my oxygen so I can buy a pair of boots. Yeah, but you're going to need your oxygen. Rather than sell your oxygen, why not keep your oxygen and buy the boots? That's what I'm advocating for here. But I, I feel like if he's presenting it in the way he was, Kirk, there isn't advocating for the trade on that. And just because you, this guy might be your biggest trade piece doesn't make that in itself smart to want to consider to trade him. There's a reason he's our biggest trade piece, because he's our best player. Teams don't tend to do too well when they trade away their best players just heading into their prime. Max Bailey, hoping we get a big man, defensive tackle, defensive end, or offensive line in the first round. Also hoping we can trade back for an extra pick. Do so. Late first, early second round. Has lots of picks that can help us right out the gate. Well said, man. I am hoping for the same, Max. I, I see it the same way. We're having a good night, Don. Flash is what year was Mahomes taken? 2017. Also, Mahomes was taken the era before Mahomes. We are in a new era of quarterbacks. The way positions evaluated, taking the top ten. Yeah. Don Don Hawksnest, I'm doing amazing. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. Have a good night. Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you for that. Garth says, uh, nothing would make me feel more secure about the Hawks than Brandon being part of their scouting department. I'd miss the content though. Sadly, yeah, I don't think they'd let me do the Hawks Nest uh, live stream if I was doing the uh, scouting stuff, but I'd have fun doing it. I'd do it in a heartbeat if they wanted. So I'd, uh, I'd, put down the, I'd put down the microphone and grab my binoculars, Garth. That's what I had to do. I'm not against the process. I'm with it. Good to see you in the house tonight, Garth. Hope you're having a good evening. I do indeed. That'd be a dream job, man. That'd be a dream. 
Phoebe Morsiak Joe Burrow would have hit Jamar Chase down the sideline for the, the game-winning touchdown, but was destroyed by Aaron Donald to sack Joe Burrow. Certainly that's what ended up clipping the Bengals in the Super Bowl and keeping them back from winning was that offensive line and its pass protection issues there, especially in the way they were trying to deal with uh, Mr. Donald up front, to your point. Philip Castle says, Brandon, know what Van Halen says right now? Hey, for tomorrow. <laughs> right now. Dak, it's like when the Titans traded A.J. Brown. Yeah. This type of stuff is like smart sometimes on paper, maybe even a little bit, even though this one on paper doesn't add up, but it doesn't, in the practice and what you get back doesn't bring the returns you think it will. It's It's kind of... You know, that's one of the things, again, where it's, it just you got to think of it a little more deeper and it's thought of like, wait, what does it mean to do this and to do that? And what is this going to cost? And how's that going to work with that? You know, but certainly, yeah, the Titans trading A.J. Browns and I was like, probably didn't not not the route to go. And that's certainly what they were trying to do with it. It's like, oh, we won't pay him the money and then we'll offer the resources into other areas. And then bingo, bango, we'll be better. And now that offense is stuck on a weekly basis. Seahawks gaming, are the Seahawks really the favorites to get Patrick Queen? I don't, I don't know if we are Seahawks gaming. Some of this depends upon if they're going to re-sign Leonard Williams, much less than Bobby Wagner in addition to it. If you sign both of those two players prior to free agency and then you put a couple of uh, restricted tags on certain guys like Mike Jackson, I don't think you're going to have the money to go out there and spend on Queen. Sports Drag has him about ready to earn $18.5 million per year on a new contract. I don't know if the Hawks could come near that. And there's a lot of teams with money to spend this offseason, Seahawks gaming. So I think it's going to be hard to uh, reel that one in. But it's there is a connection between the coaches. Steve says, imagine Carroll going to the Niners. We still can't beat them. What a kick in the nuts that would be. Yeah, it would hurt. Tan fan, Seahawks need to get Queen, Clowney, and Van Noy. I definitely don't think you'll have all the money for that, Tan. You could probably get maybe Clowney or Van Noy. I don't think Patrick Queen, though, that, that's probably going to be a bit too costly. It's all good, Megan. And Tan Fan, I think we're going to, there's still a lot of good middle linebackers in this draft. I mean, you might have Bobby Wagner for another year. I don't think you're re-signing Jordan Brooks. I just think you're going to be stuck a little bit contractual-wise. You don't have endless amounts of money to spend this offseason, Tan. Remember, you're in negative cap space right now. So you're sitting on negative $2 million of cap space as it stands right now. We're talking about a player to be that you're speaking of in, in, Jordan, in Queen's case, $18.5 million per year. Just where's the where's the money come from to make that happen, you know? Um so I like Queen, don't get me wrong, but you just, you don't have the money to go hog wild crazy this off season. It's got to be kind of certainly within a bit controlled, uncontrolled manner of uh, spending. And some of Bobby is about putting him in the right position, Tan. I'm not saying he's as fast as he ever was, but he's also, I don't think, necessarily unable to run um, in a good defensive scheme again. It's about utilization and maximizing what he does do well, minimizing what he doesn't do as well. D-Cuts, thank you for the $5 donation, D-Cuts. That's a very kind of you, man. You think Pete's exit will result in the full realization of John Schneider's draft scout talent? Curious also how much input McDonald will have. Um, yes, I think that what's been part of the impossibility here prior to this D-Cuts is understanding what 
John Schneider really is as a GM in full because you don't know how much Coach Carroll's impact has come in to either hamper him or help him. Not just a negative, but a positive too, right? It could have been on both sides of it. We don't know. And yet we would have had to have been a fly in the wall to really understand the full truth as to why these drafts rolled one way versus rolling another. It does seem like D-cuts two years ago, there was some power removed from Coach Carroll in the drafting process. It seems to be that this is at the, what was at the head of the team moving into more of a value-based approach when it came to their drafts and, um, and trying to make sure that they just trust the value of their board rather than reaching for a player lower on the board because they can fill a need. So it seems like two years ago, they started to make a bit of this transition. Um, now, we're going to get it underfettered completely at the here in D-cuts. There's going to be no, I mean, even like last year, while having that draft um, success or having the value-based draft approach they did, you still had those Leonard Williams type trades where you're going, well, did, would John have made that second round trade midseason? Would that have been his, would he have gone that route? You know, was that, was that in, or was this a Pete thing pushing him? Um, so it's, it's, it's really, you know, as much that with it um, as much as anything else. So um, we will get to learn a little bit more of who he is now, D cuts and him. He's purely run as a GM. There is no, um, patsies or scapegoats for John. It's, it's on him. And, um, we're going to learn about who and what he is as a general manager in full. And, you know, as far as league circles go, John is highly respected, no matter what maybe local Seattle fans think of him. He is highly respected in the league circles. He is looked at as a top end general manager. Um, he's part of why I believe D cuts this, this job was an attractive one for coaching hires out there. But yeah, now we get to learn about who and what he really is, uh, as a general manager. Um, I think what will help McDonald in this case, DC cuts is that, uh, or D cuts is that he comes into this situation as a first time head coach, one who might normally not have any real sway with the general manager. You know, he gets some 60 year old general manager who's been in the sport for 30 years. Who's like, you know, uh, you're going to, you're going to like what I give you. You're going to use what I give you and you're going to like it. And I think what you're going to get with John Schneider is a guy that's had the unique background in the last 14 years of not having a, a situation where merely as a general manager, he has to be um, giving the coach the players and doing the general manager job, but he was beneath the coach. It forced him into a role of finding that, working to find that common ground there where they could work together in that partnership. I think that it's in that difficulty of how it has that general manager operate in that situation. It sort of, if it makes sense, made him a better general manager and to now set up into this situation where the coach might not have as much power, but he understands the value of the back and forth, the tit for tat the getting the coach what he's asking for and wanting. First, sometimes I think the, 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 the sort of the dead spot that it can exist with general managers where they, they're invested in their process and their manner and who they're going to pick. And uh, the coach is going to say what he's going to say, but he just doesn't have my perspective or understanding on it. So kind of what does he know? I'll, I'll give him what I give him. Um, so I think that'll help out tremendously. But you know, obviously now Schneider's going to have the power decuts. He's going to want to also be able to wield it. Yui says, not saying the Seahawks should have taken a quarterback with their first pick. I'm saying if a team identifies the quarterback, then pick him. There are different ways to build a team. Hell, the prevailing idea is not hire DC as a head coach. That is a prevailing idea. Absolutely. Um, and that it is more offensive coaches being hired. It's a completely valid point on that side of it. And I appreciate you um, uh, elaborating on what you exactly were meaning with it. I just get the worry, Yui, at times, and it's not just necessarily on you on the draw, but sometimes the draw from general fans that they're, the draw becomes to the quarterback and the offensive line and not to understand it. You're like, you're 28th in pass protection last year. You know, you bring a new quarterback in here with the first pick. You don't pick then through the second round. Or even if Yui, let's say we moved up in this first round and we took a first 
and we took two thirds and we took a future second and we said, okay, we're going to move up in this first round for the quarterback. And now we're not picking a lineman until the fourth round. We're not going to be able to really buy one out in free agency because we're not going to have the money to spend out there in free agency for an offensive lineman. So now you bring the rookie in here to basically get, like I say, his, his brains bashed in behind this offensive line or hoping that somehow Grubb with his spread concepts can just get the ball out of the guy's hand so quick that he doesn't get bashed. And that's my worry is that I've seen so many quarterbacks in my life who've seen their, their rise or their you know coming together as a prospect and becoming a great pro broken and shattered and they can't get to the player that they could have been because they were just beaten up in their first stop. And it sort of ended up turning them into a bit of a shell of what they could have been as a quarterback. And I'm worried a little bit about doing that when getting out ahead of it. And Burrow has been able to magically somehow avoid that. But even a guy like Mahomes going, for instance, to Kansas City, you know, he walked in the door with Mitchell Schwartz and Fisher there, you know, two top-notch tackles on the edge. And the inside of the line was set up and, and put together really well as, uh, in addition to that, you know. Um, and it just goes back to part of this, Huey, is that more than it's being about just the quarterbacks, Huey, that get you know, beat up and bashed. It's about those quarterbacks that you see who go behind good offensive lines, who then flourish and find tremendous success when they're given that to walk in the door. When you're, you're affording them that, how much better it makes them, not just in the long term, but the short time, how much it helps their process, I believe, in their developmental factor and, and progressing as a quarterback. You know, for instance, we talk about a, a Russell, you and I have talked a lot about a Russell Wilson and him being under a lot of duress and him being under a lot of pressure throughout a lot of his career. I think that was a big part of Yui that held him back and allowing him to establish himself as an on-time quarterback, a quarterback that could throw on script, three-step, five-step drops, let it rip. That, that It started to mount up that pressure over time. It started to just, too many, it's like punch-drunk fighter, too many hits. You know, you start to sense pressure that isn't there sometimes. Um, it's, that, it's that accumulated effect that can happen to a QB real quick. Um, I think to a small degree, it started to happen to Geno over the last year and a half where he's just taking too many, there's too many hits, too much pressure. And it starts to, it starts to get those bad, build, bad habits built. And I think it can sometimes ruin, ruin the um, upside of a quarterback. But I appreciate where you're coming from, man. I do. And you're not alone, as I always say, not alone out. There's many that look out, have their outlook on it in the same way. I know I disagree with it, but I, I acknowledge it's not a crazy outlook and there's plenty that uh, see the game in the same, same kind of fashion. Donnie Douglas, Gino has better stats than Stafford and Carr, uh, almost uh, and almost similar to Goff, and way more running yards than all of them. Two plus Pro Bowls, and now stop the run. Now stop the run. Protect a quarterback. Gino is just fine. Agreed, Donnie. That's uh, definitely the uh, drumbeat that I've been hammering on for uh, a good couple of years now here with Gino, and I am not going off of it now. Get him. Part of getting this line is not just to help the next quarterback who's going to come along here, but it will also be to help Gino and help him immediately for next year. And with it to immediately help this team for next year. So uh, yeah, I I'm with you on it, Donnie. Hundred percent in agreeance. Megas says, in your opinion, B, if if we hadn't made the trade for Leo, would we have the money to go for Queen? It's certainly possible. Um, you would have the money at that point to go, but then of course, Megan, you'd have a pretty big hole, I think, then at the three tech. I mean, I, it, Draymond Jones is going to stay here, but I don't know if in the long, long-term future, Draymond Jones' body type is the type that McDonald's looking to fill to his three tech, who tends to be a little bit of a bigger, bigger cat down there. Bit like, like a Leonard Williams, no pun intended, Megan. 
Um, so it's, is it possible you would have gone after Queen? Sure. Sure. It's, it, that does open you up because that's a, the difference of the money is almost just, just about tit for tat between what you're paying. I mean, Williams will make probably 15, 16 versus Queen at 18 and a half. But um, again, then you're still going to have to find a way to double back down to that three tech and find the impact in that three tech position, Megan. Right. And like we've talked about, you aren't going to then find that in the second round of this draft. There's not a guy that's close to Leonard Williams in, in this draft at the defensive tackle position in particular at all. Even Zerzon Newton is not Leonard Williams. I don't believe that Byron Murphy is Leonard Williams. I think he's a, a superior player to both of those two guys, even at his age right now. That would have been the other issue with that is that it opens back up the other, there's another hole that does then become open. D-Nugger Brandon, Brando, how do you make these cool YouTube video pictures? So fun, the Avengers today. They should put it up at the VMAC. <laughs> uh, I've been having fun with it through the years, man. I've I got little techniques I've been able to implement now bit by bit. And uh, they got all these cool things you can do in these programs now to make it, you know, make it work and make it succinct and, and go together. And um, I don't know. That's, it's where I, I think I have my funnest almost at the channel at this point now is when I'm in, it's like 1.30 in the middle of the night and I'm just here just kind of giggling to myself as I'm putting together a thumbnail. <laughs> You know, <laughs> Big Ox's upcoming draft needs more cowbell, please. Ding, ding. Let's get it going, please. More. Ricardo's is just saw another streamer claim that it's very likely that they'll trade Gino and make Penix the starter. Seems bad to invest the future in my in injury concerns. Yeah, and I'd, I'd be worried a little. I'd be I'd be hesitant a little on too many of the believing of the rumors at this point in time. The Seattle Seahawks, especially like the moves they're talking about, Ricardo, which is you're moving up to 10. You'll see a trade happen where a team might move up to one two months in advance of the draft. Not really going to see a team moving up to 10 two months before the draft because you don't know how the draft is really going to square out at this point. So these rumors are, I think a lot of people are just kind of putting two to two together. Grubbs is here. Penix may fall near to where Seattle's at. Seattle, Grub, Seattle, Grub, Penix, Grub, Penix, Seattle. I think there's some just kind of general connection happening here. I don't know if there's really a ton of smoke on this particular fire. Big Ox, Hawks are like Bowers, Cannonball, Cannonball. I'd love that. I'd be so happy. Yeah, Ricardo, I think he's just, the, people are putting two and two together out there in this hemisphere on these trades. I don't know if they're really basing a lot of that upon anything. What's up, King Bomber? Still no tight ends or defensive line coach? Not yet. Not yet. They're getting there, though. Those will be the next ones up, I bet. Flash is trading Gino, who has shown the ability to be a top 10 to 12 quarterback for a 24-year-old injury-riddled one-dimensional rookie quarterback is illogical. I agree, Flash. That's why I say I think that there's not a lot to this one. I think it's just a, a little bit of a wild speculation going on with these kind of rumors. Max, I can't wait for next year with all the possible new guys and coaches, but especially excited for a year or two of Witherspoon. Seeing him light up the Cardinals guy in the last game got me hyped. He laid a couple hits last year that were legit, Max. I'll tell you what. And uh, 
I think the fan base in general is a little more galvanized, electrified, turned up more than they've been in past seasons. I think I've seen plenty of usernames coming back to the forefront on the channel here alone of folks that I think had just kind of, if not just bailed off, soft bailed, you know, been kind of just a, you know, I'm watching the team, but I'm not super invested like I've once been in the past. Um, and that seems to be where people are right now. And I think that excitement's an example of the fact that some things are being done that seem to be very smart on the surface of thing uh, on the surface of it. Um, it's got to play out now, got to go down now, but uh, at least you can see some where there's a sense of care and a sense of we want to drive this in the right direction and we want to get there as fast as humanly possible. And um, that's very encouraging. Cameron says, been a while since I've been in one of your streams, but I just had to come in and say that thumbnail is immaculate. I know you put a lot of effort in your thumbnails, but this is your best work yet. <laughs> well, thank you, Cameron. I appreciate that, man. Uh, I had fun putting together, man. I'll try to do some more of those where I have a little bit more fun with it for you guys, if you guys are digging those. So I want to make sure it wasn't cheesy and, uh, you know, whatnot, but I appreciate that. It was fun putting it together. And you guys watch me, you guys laugh your ass off. You're watching me giggle here in the middle of the night as I'm just <laughs> getting the face put on right on the deal, <laughs> you know. Appreciate you, Cameron. Uh, Philip, if our offensive line last season was a bucket, it was punched full of holes with 20 penny nails. Yeah, 100%, Philip. It's not just merely like, well, it's kind of a bad off. It's like one of the worst, if not the worst offensive lines in all of football, bar none. And it needs to be taken a, a, a very long degree from where it is to where it needs to be from a talent and ability standpoint. He says, I'm all, uh, I'm all about the offensive line. My whole Wilson stand was, he wasn't the problem, but rather it was Seahawks' total refusal to commit to the offensive line throughout his career. Uh, agreed. Yeah, I, I, I get you on that. I get you on that. It, it's a, more of what I was talking about was not your take on where your position was with it. It's more of just about that that could also, on top of make your job hard as a quarterback, hold you back from progressing as a quarterback. And a little bit of those steps that I think we would have looked for in Wilson's game to come forward, right, Huey, where at the same draft where Kirk Cousins is coming out of the same draft as Russell Wilson. And last year, Kirk Cousins, is if he doesn't have the, the torn Achilles, he probably goes on to have maybe the best year of his career. While at the same point in time, Russell Wilson seems to be a reduced version of himself. And it's, why didn't he take those steps forward? You know, why, why didn't he master as much pre-snap to post-snap and his ability to go through reads and to play on time? I don't think it's just the short issue or just the size limitation of Wilson. I think a little bit of it was that cumulative effect of an offensive line that had him under duress often and so very quick after the snap that it limits then that upside. It limits that ability of that quarterback to progress. And then it starts to build those, those deep, bad habits. And a little bit I was saying on that is that then those habits, 10 years down the line, you go, wow, he's got these inherent bad habits in his game that even a guy like Sean Payton can't fix. Like, where did these bad habits come from? You know, it doesn't come from the fact that Russell's a bad player. It's, it, it comes from that offensive line that you point to that becomes the, the, the factors not only inhibiting the success of the QB, success of the team, but then the success of the progression of the QB. And that's the worry I have for if any QB you bring in here, that occurs again when you put him behind that quarterback. Um, but I get where you're coming from. I do, man. Uh, Max, expecting more consistent pass rush from Derek Hall. Hopefully new coaches will do stunts and creative things to bring out the most in him. Stunts are definitely coming. Uh, Dirty, uh, the new uh, defensive coordinator with the Cowboys, Max. That's the bread and butter of what the Cowboys did. They, no team stunted more than them along the defensive line last year. You want stunts, you're getting stunts. 
stunt. More stunts than a 50 cent concert. Do you not get DCP going into the media? I personally would love it. Mm, I don't see him doing that. I think he wants to remain in coaching. And if he's not coaching, it'd be like, I'll take a year off. I'll refresh. Bam. Coming back next year. Big Ox is Brandon. We need more Christopher Walken cowbell. I'll tell you this draft cowbell everywhere, mostly on the lines of scrimmage. Ding, ding. Here's my center. Ding, ding. Right. God. Left. God. What do you want? Got them all. It's a bouquet. Philip, hope you're right. Max was way disappointed with Hall. Yeah, I do too, Max. Hall let me down a little bit too, Philip. I, th I saw way more initial upside off of him than we got. And uh, hopefully he can tap into that better next year, man. Garth, thank you for the $5 donation. Brando, what are the odds you end up with more than 10 blue chips by draft night? Pretty low at this point, Garth. Um, I would say like 20%. Most of the top end guys at this point in the draft, it's really, I'm into like round three and onwards for the most part. There's some guys that'll sneak up into the top of round two that I haven't looked at yet, but most it's, it, that's where the area of the draft I'm in and about in my evaluation. So is there a chance a guy could come up and surprise me and jump to the crop? Maybe, but it would have to be something really strong. Um, it would have to be a very, 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 very strong argument made as to how uh, that would happen. So usually by this, by this point last year, I believe Garth, I was pretty locked into my blue chips and I don't think it changed much. Maybe one or two guys, maybe. I don't think there'll be any blue chips that fall out of blue chip status. Cameron says, I'll, I'll just say that I think peak Gino is top 10 quarterback play. That's great value considering he's got the 18th highest cap hit among quarterbacks 2024. Incredible work from John Schneider. One of the reasons I like Geno Smith quite a bit is that he gives you the bang for buck here, Cameron. And it's when it comes to team building, I think there are many different ways to do it. And that if you have a quarterback that's taken one of those few deals in the NFL that is team friendly, that works well with the team to be able to build out the rest of that team, why not take that other path? Especially Cameron, since 10 years ago, we took this very same path to the ultimate success. Russell Wilson ended up being a very good quarterback in 17, 18, 19, 16, playing at near MVP levels at that time. When he walked in the door at 12 and 13, he was a very good quarterback, but more into that game manager kind of role. So, you know, if you've done it before in the recent history, why can't you do it again 10 years later? And uh, it's really on the onus of that is either you get the rookie contract where you're paying nothing, or you get a contract like Geno's where he seems to have recognized and understood if I take all that money or try to take all that money, this team can't get the, the job and the work done they need to get work done to help me out, put me in a better position to succeed. Um, so um, I'm with you, Cameron. I, I think the bang for buck is one you got to consider with Gino on this and, and that it's a big difference when Gino and you're paying even at 30 million versus looking at the quarterback contracts being handed out to all these other quarterbacks throughout this, this year. Uh, it's, it's a big difference in cost to what you're paying to Gino versus what others are having to pay for what they're getting from the position. Um, and I say that I think the top 10 is a, is a fair place to put him on it, Cameron. I think he's even a guy that can scratch into top five. My backing for this is that through those 12 games that you gave him to start, start out, not this last year, but the prior year, those first 12 games, right? He had an offensive line that was actually holding up pretty well in pass protection. It just started, it totally failed out by the end of the year, much like it had some run blocking that it was able to open up early on. And then by the end of the year, 
the run blocking had completely run out. Your running backs had gotten beaten all the hell. And it was Say uh, La Vie. So when I look at his performance, those 12 games at that time, Cameron, I say, man, it, I feel like he was at a, just about a top five performance at that time as a quarterback. Set memory, he was at like 73% completion percentage, not throwing hardly any interceptions. Um, and I think if you give him the right supporting cast, the right offensive line around him, I think he can get back to that kind of spot again. King Bomber, do you have JPJ as a blue chipper? Not quite. Not, not quite, King Bomber. Close, very close, but I can't quite get there on the tape that I've watched. It's got to be uber clean for me to get to that spot of things on the blue chip. Flashes, that's a tough one. Oh, sorry. Uh, Janeth Kumar, Rob Stanton thinks he's been a Geno critic in the past and thinks he's decent, has been a Geno critic in the past and thinks he's decent. He doesn't seem to have any answers on replacements and forgets that quarterback is the toughest position in all of sports. Yeah, that it's a little bit of that Janeth again comes down to there's this proverbial quarterback that sometimes exists in the imagination of some fan's mind that exists out there. Um, and it's one that almost, it, it gets very close to me, me thinking that there's sometimes a theory out there that these things, that they sort of grow on trees, you know? It's just a matter of you just need to go be willing to pick the fruit and you can get the fruit. Not a matter of that there's a finite amount of fruit growing off that tree that there is there to be plucked and that you may not be in a position to go and pluck that, um, which I think is a factor that gets a bit lost in the wash on this. To your point on that, Janeth, to your point. Um, it's why I'm such a backer of Gino. The price is right. He's performed very well under a blowtorch of fire. Not merely like, oh, well, yeah, he's had this, but a blowtorch of fire. And he has still performed well within it. And uh, there's so many easy things to fix that have nothing to do with Gino that I just feel like you fix that, you fix that, you fix this, Gino will rise. And uh, I know there are many that disagree with me on this. I know there are many that say, no, he's only a bridge. He can never be more than this. I get it. I, I've already heard it many times. You don't have to repeat yourself again. I've heard from you contingent out there that, that think differently of this. But I, I feel like I present a pretty good argument as to why I think that's the case here. And I really do hope, Janet, this offseason that they just hammer that offensive line because then it will take it that much further to proving my very case on this. You know? Steve says, funny uh, how nobody's thinking about the fact that we have a mishmash of new coaches that have to all learn how to gel together before we can even think about becoming a top-tier team again. Uh, well, I mean, um, I, I'm thinking about it, Steve. I, I've, I've spoken about it three or four different times today on the live stream show. So um, I, I've spoken about it multiple times every time I've broadcast for the past couple of weeks. And anytime, Steve, I'm asked in regards to about the potential of us being really good next year. Uh, no matter the potential of that, I think we could be good next year, that I also am not going to be surprised and will be patient if the team takes a little bit of time to learn itself and learn that time. I think, uh, you know, I can't guarantee all people feel that same way, Steve, but I do think that the, the, the fans will be a little bit more patient in this respect. I think it's going to be a bit of a different situation from the one we had with Carol, where you had a guy here for 14 years who had turned it over multiple times since the Legion of Boom, you know, where you got people to the end of their patient rope at that point because, there had been a long period of time that had been up where they've been given that patience. I think McDonald gets a little bit of a reset in that time. I think there's some great optimism out there. I don't think we should try to step on all the optimism, Steve, you know, in the name of like, let's be a realist. 
I think we can be optimistic. And then we also say at the same time, but if it doesn't go in this direction, it's understandable. And it's, it's certainly uh, uh, maybe potentially an inherent part of this process. And that's okay. But I don't think there's anything problem with people being optimistic too and having high hopes. Staniel, we keep in BT Jordan? I hope we are, Staniel. We should. But I've not heard any confirmation one way or the other on that one. Regardless, says Gino Doubters need to watch his West Virginia film when he was in an open offense. That's right. A lot of spread concepts in Gino's offense out there at West Virginia. I hadn't thought about that, Ricardo. Great point. Phoebe, Brock Bauer is also very young. Yes, he is. Mr. Dog, how did Bullen have such a good, good first season and then a bad second season? That typically doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Um, I will say he held up still pretty good in coverage overall last year, Mr. Dog. He had a couple of interceptions he dropped, which would have maybe made his year look a little bit better if he ends up with four or five interceptions. Uh, does that put a little bit of the tackling problems in better perspective? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, it's tackling that becomes the big issue here. And on a season where you had a lot of bad tape of players not looking as engaged in their willingness to tackle in the field, Woolen had his place right along with that group. Uh, was it because he had a shoulder injury or something kind of bothered him in the shoulder? Maybe it was that. Is it that he still learned how to tackle being a guy that's a recent receiver convert to the cornerback position? Could be that. But I think that that's really what stands out is that just the tackling went so far down. It wasn't really the coverage stuff. It was the tackling stuff. And that becomes a little bit of, I think, the worry going forward because in this system with McDonald, you've got to tackle as a cornerback. There's, no, there's nowhere to hide, especially as an outside corner. Um, he's big, 6'3". He's, he's got the you know theoretical size there to, to make it happen, but it's, it's a want-can-do issue when it comes to tackling oftentimes. Copperwise, I really hope that Woolen's issues with tackling are a result of injury and not being fully recovered. If not, he may have to go. I think that's the best bottom line way to put it, Copperwise. Much better than I just put it. Um, he's got to improve the tackling stuff or it's not going to matter what he does in coverage. You just, you can't be kind of the non-factor there in the run game. Offenses will go after you. They'll attack you incessantly over and over. Corey Olson, thank you for the $5 donation. He says, it's insane how much we blew up this coaching staff. So it shows just, as, shows just how much control Pete had. I'm so excited for the change, the league change. I'm so excited for the change, the league changing. So are we. Yeah. I think you've uh, reached out to a variety of different areas here, Corey. You haven't just gone down one tree of coaching, right? And we'll get this guy and that guy, like all guys that are down the, the coaching tree of like a Wink Martindale or something or a Harbaugh. You've gone from a variety of different sectors here. It does seem like they have really pounded the pavement and tried to, you know, find truly the best candidates for these positions. It seems like that to me, just being that you're going from all of these different directions to find them. It's, it, it has felt like a very exhaustive process from the beginning. Um, be it their coaching search, the coordinator search, and now these coaches. There's no part of this that's been like, let's get this done fast. It's, it does feel like a let's get this done right and let it, ta it takes the time to do it, then so be it. We'll take the time to do it. Um, we're changing. We're changing the stuff to try to draw to more of a forefront on how we operate on both sides of the ball. And uh, I, do, I do agree with you, Corey. I think that that's the, the big thing that brings the biggest benefit to us beyond all else is that you're modernizing your approach not on just one side of the ball, but on both sides of the ball. How quickly that um, can ramp up and that changeover can happen, we'll see. But 
with that changeover, we should see some mighty returns from it, if not in the immediate, in the long term, in my opinion. Because that's such a substantial step to take from where you were to where we're trying to go. Thank you, though, Corey. I appreciate your donation, man, very, very much. In fact, you dropped a couple donos in here. Thank you, man, for all that. Uh, King Bomber says Volant didn't even have that bad of a season. His inability to tackle down the stretch got overblown. His entire season and his entire season turned bad. He needs to hit the weight room this offseason to recover uh, the shoulder. Um, yes. Um, I, I think, number one, I'm, I'm agree with you. I think it, it got worse as the year went along, which is proof positive a little bit to your, your point about the fact that he, um, about the fact that, you know, maybe it was that shoulder surgery, shoulder injury that was really wearing him, bearing him down. When you look at these stats that I'm presenting up over here on the, on the side, King Bomber, the thing you'll notice that in addition to the tackling numbers, the run defense is also not good. Getting off blocks, getting your head in the running game, being aware in space. These items that you would get graded on, he was both in the 30s level as far as his rating goes. And you can see that here on the, on the run defense and the tackling columns that you would go down here for PFF by the weekly grades. Like you say, it got worse in the run defense as it went along, but the, the run defense in general just wasn't necessarily solid um, all the way around. And this does fit into tandem with last year, where last year he was also 47 in his run defense, so a little bit better as an overall run defender last year. This speaks to a little bit of maybe there being a little bit more want and will from him last year and how much he was going about it, but still the tackling numbers about the same place. So it does come down to, there was an issue with this last year, even in the tackling numbers. You know, when you're giving up all those yards on the ground last year in the running games, right, to your, to your Donta Foremans and your um, Josh Jacobses and your Cordero Pattersons, the lack of him out there tackling last year too was, was not helpful on that. Um, I'm not saying he had a bad year. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't present that as that at all. Um, but the, the lack of tackling can be a thing that, you know, again, becomes the, the bit of the deciding factor on the Woolen's upside. It doesn't become about how good of ball skills he has, what he's able to do in coverage, but it becomes about the, the detriment of his willingness to, to play the run. Gibson says, I feel like tackling and undisciplined play was more of a team issue. McDonald hopefully cleans that up. Agreed. And McDonald's going to run a little bit of a tougher training camp. There's going to be a little bit more of a challenging challenge to get these guys better prepared. I think that's part of what will help this as well. I still have high hopes, Kim Bomber too, for Woolen. So I'm, I'm not out on him. I need to say, Brandon, I've been listening since about 7.30 while working on the house task. Your comments about Mike Selk maybe laugh my ass off for real. Hope you did a video that puts him in his place. Well, I'm doing the, uh, I'm definitely going to reference him in the uh, DK Metcalf video that I'm going to do here, uh, hopefully get out this week at some point and uh, talk to that a little bit. But um, yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't like the article. I've already dealt with so many people coming in the chat talking about DK and that's what that does is it just stokes the flames of trade DK. And uh, it's, it's weird to me because it's just like, we have players on this team. 
I'm not going to say that suck, but have kind of been a failing part of this team and parts of this team that have been failing parts of this team. And there's been other spots of this team that have been doing really well and good and have been helping the team out. And in some cases, helping out the team tremendously. And there's a push at times to run from the players that are actually helping or spending as much time on the issues and the problematic areas uh, on the other side of it. And that's caught me a bit off guard, especially on this DK thing. My man's having like, you know, you can make a very strong argument. He's having a top 20 start to a receiver's career in NFL history. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a sneak peek here. I want you guys to see this. I'm going to include this. You guys have all, I'm sure, seen the recent meme uh, going around of the Metcalf Megatron comparisons through 27 games of their career and how close they are. Well, here is the comparison between the two of them through the first five seasons of their career. Not, 23, not 27 games, right? Which would be a little over two years. Here's through five years of their career, the comparison between the two. And <laughs> we can see Metcalf has more receptions than Megatron. Megatron has slightly more receiving yards and has six more receiving touchdowns. The part that makes this very interesting, though, when you compare these two through five years in this given statistic between Megatron and Metcalf, is that Metcalf is that Megatron, I went and looked this up for the video I'm preparing. Megatron, through all of those years he was producing there and putting up those high statistics, the Detroit Lions offense was usually in the top five in the total number of plays that they had. Total number of snaps, total number of bites at the pie, total number of potential catches thrown your way by the extra number of plays that your offense is running, right? Detroit's behind in games. They're going to throw a lot more than they're going to run. Stat Padford out there throwing him the ball every which way but loose and bingo, bango, he has all these numbers, right? DK Metcalf on the other side of it. Over the last three years alone, the total number of offensive plays that you ran last year was 31st in the NFL. The year before that, 20th. And the year before that, 32nd. So DK Metcalf has put these statistics up that are almost matching step for step with Calvin Johnson while doing it on an offense that's a league worst on the number of plays that they run versus Megatron, who was on an offense that was at the league uh, least, or, or sorry, I got that flip. He was on a league least amount of plays was DK and the amount of plays he's run to get to that productivity, whereas Calvin Johnson was on a team that was running a maximum number of plays to get to that productivity. Yeah, DK is Calvin Johnson. Maybe he doesn't look the same, doesn't play the same way. Maybe he's, well, Johnson did this and did that and Johnson could do this and do that. Basically, same player. I agree, King Bomber. It's okay with Wollin to take a bit of time on this because he is so new to the position. And maybe with the injury brought into this as well in addition. I think those are completely valid points. Megan, it's okay. We're okay on it, Megan. It's all good. If I'm not going to get roped in the Geno talk. So um, Megan's trying to protect me a little bit though. So her, her will is in a, in a good spot because... She knows a little bit of where my head's been out on the Geno stuff. And I know that that's going to be a conversation that's going to um, burn up at times the, the, the chat and the comment section here throughout as we go through the off season. 
Um, there are subjects I, I'm willing to talk about a little bit, Megan, but I'm going to be fine with handling it on my own on it. I can pair this off and, and push it off my way. I'm, I'm not going down the line on the Geno stuff. Um, and folks, when we bring it up, understand just, I know you may be in here for the first time bringing it up, but it's been a subject that's been endlessly rot for two years. And I've spoken about it um, till I'm blue in the face. I've spoken about it at times, seven, eight hours. Um, I've tried to elaborate up and down every which way my position on it. Um, and I don't think that at the end of the day, for the folks that are on the anti-Geno camp, I don't think I've moved the ball much for them in, in bringing them along and, and hearing those points. I think for them that the points just don't resonate. And I think when we come to the Geno thing at this point, it's this. Uh, it's not shade at any one camp or whoever thinks whatever they think. I just think that wherever you land with Geno at this point, you're where you're at. And what I mean by that is I don't know if anybody's going to move you one way or the other with it. And while I know it's a conversation that's burning up a lot of people's mindset here, it's one that doesn't get anywhere because people are so firmly entrenched in their positions. And so it's going to be one that I'm going to try to tend to kind of avoid when we do these live stream shows, because it's just not a productive conversation. It's quick to turn toxic and it's not got a lot of substance to it. There's a lot of other stuff for us to cover. We're heading into free agency. We're heading into the draft. We're heading into other ways this team can improve itself. Um, I, I think there's plenty of other topics for us to cover. But with that said, Megan, I'm okay if people bring it up. Not everybody understands these rules in, the, in, in place on this and how it goes. Um, so we're all good with it. Like, I know you're trying to be funny on that thing. It's just, that's where we're, I'm going to try to be a little bit of, okay, we're going to put down the, I'm, I'm pulling down the, the sliding door on this one a little bit because... It's just, I've, it kind of got to a point of uh, clarity for me in the last show when we kind of got round and round. It's just where it's like, look, it's people feel passionate about this subject, but there's just some subjects there's much more to talk and discuss about than others. And this is one that there's just not anything else to plumb, I don't think. I think we plumbed it. We plumbed it deep. We plumbed it deep. Joe D. Duncan. Ricardo says, I find the analysis of predicting that Penix will be drafted by Seahawks to be very simplistic. It almost never works out that way. No, you're right. It, it's an easy thing to connect, but it's not something that just happens. Copper Wise, Brandon, what are you focusing on at the Combine this year? Are there specific players you're targeting or is it just a general overview of what's out there? Um, well, I'm obviously a general overview is going to be a bit of the centerpiece to it. There's obviously going to be players that I'm going to be taking a look at that I'm going to be paying attention to their numbers in particular because I, I just want to see where they're at. Um, so, you know, does, um, can Romeo Adunzia get a near 4-4? You know, um, how do the offensive linemen test in their mobility? Because this is such a centerpiece of what we're looking to do now. Guys I like, like Graham, like Cooper Bebe or Jackson Powers Johnson or, you know, how do they move in space to fit to this scheme? Um, uh, testing numbers for them are going to be, I think, uh, tremendously, tremendously uh, important. Um, defensively, at the edges, explosiveness. Latu, Lat, Lati, Latu, Braylon Trice. Um, those are guys, do they have the explosiveness to get off? You know, the 10-yard split. I, I know that I believe that Jared Verse will have it. Chop Robinson will have it. Uh, Dallas Turner will probably have it. Uh, but what about those two guys where they stand with that? You know, um, Tyler Newbin, he'll be an interesting guy to be taking a look at how he tests. Junior Colson, how does how does he test? How does he look? You know, there's some variance on those guys and and what they bring. Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Does he uh, where does he come in as a height, weight, size? Is he under six foot? Is he five ten? You know, is he that small? So a few of those guys will be kind of you know paying attention to those there. Those will be the main positions I'll be taking a look at. 
Line especially for the linemen that can move. Because I think that we're going to attack offensive linemen in this draft. And I think we're going we're gonna to have mobile offensive linemen be at the forefront of what we're looking at. Philip, I'd love to see more Levi Bell. He's going to get his chances. Hawks, you can bring it up, but we're not buying. And Megan, we're all right on this. We're, we're all good on the. I, I'm I'm good on the Gino talk, Megan. I got it on. If I see it in there, I'll I'll nip it in the butt. I want to make sure I have a moment here to catch it, so I can bring up exactly where we're at on it, just so that we officially people officially know kind of where we're at. Big Docs, Brandon, yeah, do a video with conversation between Pacino and Walken discussing DK trade Mike Salt. It would go viral for sure. <laughs> I could probably do something like that. I'll try to see if I can put together. Uh, DK more mercurial than CJ, though. Yeah, if he could get his temper under control, he could be the best wide receiver in the league. Possibly so, yeah. I, I think that definitely there's some room to it. Um, you know, and there's been some moments I know that aren't the best and brightest for DK. I'll, I will say we don't have any moment of DK Ricardo where, you know, he's over with Travis, like Travis Kelsey over on the sideline, just about to throw his elderly coach to the ground. You know, it's the thing where I wonder about with it on this is like, we have the moment Ricardo like last year where Fred Warner tries to attack DK behind his head and s slam his head backwards and been surgically repaired. I, I can we blame DK to get up and get fiery about that? You know? Um, I, but yeah, I, I think he's had like 200 yards and penalties in five years. If I'm not mistaken with DK. So it's, it, has it been something that's popped up here and there? Has it really held us back from winning any games or losing any games? I don't think so. You know, but to me, it's really, I think to be the one of the best in the league, it's more Ricardo about their usage of him and putting him in more of a, a featured role. Like most number one wide receivers would be. It took him four and a half years to realize they could utilize DK Metcalf out of the slot, for instance. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, grenade. I've got to admit, I was on the rust side of the Pete Russ debate. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> uh, Copperwise, to be fair, I was not a fan of giving Pino the job after Russ left. Now that we've seen his production over the last couple of years, I'm good with him as a bridge quarterback. Do we find our young stud? Looking forward to the combine. Really want to see the linebackers and quarterbacks. Linebackers are big for me too, Flick. Hell yeah. Flashes, I wonder how far Trotter will fall. His build is so lanky. Lanky? Flash, he's, he's sub six foot, man. It's a sub six foot human being right there. I, I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to be 5'10". I think you meant stocky. He's more stocky than he's flanky. Look at the switch. I think Trice looks pretty good. Uh, fast off the line of scrimmage and keeps churning. Yeah. So if he comes out, I think flick of the switch and comes out with like a one, five, six, ten 10 yard split and tests off good with some lateral movement. That's a guy who solidifies himself as probably a top 15 pick. Uh, if he comes out with like a one, six, three, 10 yard split and doesn't show as much of that athletic prowess on the outside, they go, oh, well, he's really good with his hands, you know, and becomes okay. Maybe more of a first round guy. Uh, Primo, thank you for the $5 donation. This is an elite receiver draft, isn't it? Yes. I would definitely call that that. I have, I have more grades for wide receivers in the top three rounds than in any position at the moment. 
I have uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I have 15 draftable receivers in the top three rounds right now. So yeah. Anyone outside the usual UW, Ohio State, LSU guys you like? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Keon Coleman is a little bit tough. He's got some advanced analytic stats that don't necessarily measure up well to him, but the physical ability and potential, high pointing, adult, high pointing the ball, contested catcher, uh, can jump through the roof, explosive and athletic. I have him as a second round guy, but he is, uh, he to me is very interesting. Um, Lad McConkey right at the top of the second round as well. Um, sort of a do it all receiver that, you know, just understands how to with wiggle and, um, with, with a nice little, uh, you know, a nice little bit of moving laterally off the stem of his route, especially where he's just hard, impossible to read. He gets up the field on his route and where he's going to cut his route. You can tell as a cornerback that's going to get him open at the next level. Another guy that's going to be very, a lot of people watching him with a lot of interest to see where he tests as far as his speed goes to see if he is a guy that's going to be able to play on the outside or <laughs> be looked at as maybe more of an inside guy um, at the next level, but tremendously consistent for Georgia. Excellent route runner, really good hands, uh, understands how to sit down in zones and find open holes in zone coverage. Lad's a really good player. Uh, Jacob Cowling, more of a bit of a burner out of Arizona. Um, Mecca Abuka, I'm not as high on him, even though I got him in the second round, but he's a do-it-all guy, good after the catch, strong, strong base to him. Um, can play inside, outside, good player. Texas has got a couple of receivers that are really interesting. The, uh, you know, you got Xavier Worthy's the speedster. You got Adonai Mitchell, who's, uh, he's got a lot of physical gifts. Another guy can just jump through the roof. Jamari Thrash, Louisville guy, fun, fast. Roman Wilson, the small kid out of Michigan, who, uh, just a hard worker, as you'll find, and absolutely, uh, He's going to find like, he's got a minimum upside to me of like a Cole Beasley type with even some more high sides to that. So I like them, man. They're fun receivers. And that's not even getting to the, the upside of a Tez Walker or the six foot six nature of Johnny Wilson from Florida State. Malachi Corley, who looks like a kind of a combination between Anquan Bolden and Debo Samuel. It's a good draft, yeah. Really good draft, Janeth. A lot of a lot of guys I like in this draft wide receiver. Really good value. And you'll be able to get a guy later really good value because it'll push some of those guys down that are still really good down into the later reaches of the draft. Thank you, Janeth. I uh, really do appreciate you for that. John, Re John Reynolds, let's be honest, this is the biggest change in years, but all things point to great. It is that, John. It is that. And there are no guarantees to greatness in the future, but it does seem to like they're pointing towards trying to reach to that area with as much things as they can control within their grasp. There's a certain element of this is luck, timing, things working out just right. But the things that you can control, they're controlling. And uh, that gives me much more hope and faith for this, this future of this team, John, like you. And Levi did look uh, good in the preseason, Philip. He did. KJab, I appreciate your work, passion, and straight talk. You're an honest and fair guy. Much appreciation. Thank you, KJab. I try to be that way on it. I sometimes have, even the criticisms, I know I will throw them out there. I try to be as fair as I can with them. I'm not trying to just 
uh, talk crap about somebody if I'm talking negatively or disrespect somebody if I'm trying to talk negatively about it. I'm trying to keep the gloves up and make sure that we're, you know, kind of keeping it on to what it's about, you know, which is what's going on in the field, what's going on with the team, you know. But thank you, man. I appreciate you. Very kind of you. What is the value we will get in returns from Diggs? Nothing. He still carries about a base salary of like 10 or $11 million this year. Um, and it's just a position in the league that not many are paying for. I don't think that there's any team that's going to want to even have that in the books at that level of a base salary, Banana. He's 30, 32 years old, 10, $10, $11 million base. Nobody's really going to be trading for that. Especially with him not coming off the strongest year of his career last year. Randall McDaniel. Hey, buddy. Jumping on late. Give me a breakdown on the new coaching staff. Uh, quarterback, coach, O-line, et cetera. Jay Harbaugh seems bright. Um, well, I don't know too much about London yet. I haven't had a chance to really look into him. That hiring just kind of came down fully confirmed here as I was kind of prepping to go live today. Um, we've got uh, the O-line, O-line coach. Good stuff from him, Scott Huff. Huskies last year, seven sacks all season. That was the second fewest in the nation. That Husky offensive line, Randall, won the Joe Moore Award for the, the best offensive line unit in all of college football last year. You know, you got Tro, Troy Fatano and uh, Roger Rosengarten that are going to get selected in this upcoming draft. He's also been responsible for helping Jackson, not responsible, but helping hand and getting Jackson Kirkland, uh, Nick Harris, Trey Adams, all getting up to the next level at the NFL. Uh, since Huff's arrival, Randall, the Huskies have had at least one first-team all-pack 12 offensive linemen each season and two first-timers, first two first-teamers on three of those occasions. So three of the six years he's there, he's produced two all-pack 12 offensive linemen at the same time in a given season. So uh, that's pretty impressive on, on his track record, what he's been able to accomplish recently here, uh, Randall, which... Um, also speaks a lot that he, of course, was inherited there with DeBoer. Randall, DeBoer didn't hire him. He was already there, and DeBoer sort of kept him on as the offensive line uh, coach. Um, Jay Harbaugh does seem pretty bright. Uh, of course, coming from his father and uh, just a heavy amount of coaching underneath his dad there in Michigan. Running backs coach, safeties background there before he eventually settled in as a special teams coach. According to PFF, uh, as far as the rating of the special teams in Michigan last year, they were 27th in the NCAA, 24th the year before that, and 12th uh, in his first year as special teams coordinator with the Michigan Wolverines. So uh, at least as far as PFF, he's turned out pretty good units there as a special teams unit, though I will say, Randall, I was lamenting a little earlier about this, that this is the one place where I feel like maybe we've gone a little bit backwards, just a hair from Larry Izzo. I think Larry Izzo was an outstanding special teams coach, and I would have loved to have been able to retain him with this transition. But um, we'll see what uh, the young Harbaugh can bring on that part of it. You know what I mean? Um, we've got also Kennedy Palomalu Randall, uh, who is got, of course, 32 years coaching college NFL level. Helped out with Fred Turner. Once Fred Turner turned past 30 years old with a lot of carries on that body, a lot of wear and tear on that body, was able to turn out 2,348 yards in two seasons and a 5.2 yard per carry average in 20, 2006 and 2007 uh, under Kennedy Palomalu's watch there. You've also got Maurice Jones-Drew that came along after Fred Taylor. Uh, Maurice was good coming out of college, no doubt about that, but then got him up and rolling to where he reached in his career. Three of the best years from Dalvin Cook under Palomalu's watch. 
Josh Jacobs' best seasons under Paul Lamalu's watch. I'm really excited by this running back hire. And, and, you know, as you can say, Randall, as, as someone can be as excited about a running back hire, I am in regards to this one. So uh, I think that's a really good pick for them. Frisman Jackson, the receivers coach, recently with the Steelers the past couple of years and the Panthers before that, and doing a bit of a deep dive on him. He had, um, he had almost three receivers going for 1,000 yards and DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Chosen while Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback there. Pretty impressive work on his part to get that productivity from those guys. And then, uh, of course, helping on Deontay Johnson and George Pickens there with the Steelers. Uh, once he went to them the past couple of years there. Um, I don't know too much about uh, Devin Fitzsimmons, the special teams assistant, Jake Pete's passing game coordinator. There's not a lot there with these guys necessarily in their past history. Kirk Oliva Doty is going to be the inside linebacker uh, or linebackers coach for the, uh, for the Seahawks. He um, got London Fletcher and Brian Arakpo their first Pro Bowl years, Garth. Um, he's been working with Quay Walker, Devondre Campbell, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith with the Packers. So it's a little bit like, Randall, what you get with Dirty, where when you look at Dirty and you look at the defensive line unit with the Cowboys, you go, wow, he got really great productivity from not only the front line guys, but he also got productivity from the depth. And then when you look at Kirk Oliva Doty, you say, wow, he's gotten some great productivity from the front line guys, and he still finds a way to get uh, you know usefulness at times here, even from some of the depth when they come out. So that, that to me is one of the great indicators of a really good coach is not just that you can teach up the, the, the fantastic talents, but you can get those guys that have to fill into play and it's still a very high level when you uh, have to flip out the starters for uh, the backups. So he's done really well on that. So really good hires, really interesting hires from a variety of different backgrounds here, Randall. Um, some with a lot of background experience, some with just experience in one given area, some just college experience, but it's a kind of a smattering of everything which to me spoke to the fact that maybe that was as much to do with Randall, not it being about let's go with the youth movement or let's go with just a bunch of old war horses that know their way and more about let's get the right candidates for each position. Let's just, you know, one by one this uh, to, to find and derive the best candidate. But uh, thank you, Randall, for the $5 donation. I'll, be, uh, I'll try to look a little bit more deeper into the uh, quarterback coach hire. I'm not sure on that one. Jack Maloney, I'm pretty new to football, but I've noticed a lot of the great quarterbacks sit behind a good veteran for a little bit. Geno can be a good, men- a great mentor. Definitely could be Jack. And that's where I had always thought that the situation was going to go. I had a little bit more confidence that we were going to take a quarterback a couple months ago when I thought there'd be a little bit more of a uh, fuller amount there in that third round-ish area where we might want to pick one. But uh, whoever you go to bring in would be, a, be great to be able to, I think, sit him for a year or two. You know, Patrick Mahomes benefited from sitting for a year. Aaron Rodgers benefited for sitting for a couple of years. Jordan Love looks to be like at the end of the year here that he was benefiting from having the opportunity to sit for a couple of years. I'm a big believer in it. I, th- I think that when you throw these guys out and they're just trying to learn how to be a pro and you put them behind and make them play the hardest position in football from the day one, it's a lot on those guys. And I think it's better to give them a little bit of time to kind of learn their way. Dak says the league has a bias against DK. When Kelsey almost assaults his coach, they call it passion. But when DK has a history of neck injuries and grabs Warner's face mask, he gets ejected. Yeah, it's the part where it's, I don't get the fans on this one. You have Shanahan talking about after the game that they were trying to instigate DK Metcalf. You have Fred Warner who DK Metcalf tackles on the play. He's just trying to get him to the ground. DK, Fred Warner's like keeping his feet and fighting against getting tackled, right? And because Fred Warner's trying to pitch the ball to somebody. And DK can't see that. DK's just trying to tackle him. DK tackles him. 
BK's sitting there, Fred Warner comes behind him and like you say, ratchets him on the back of his neck. It's the thing that I, I say to the, these fans, I had so many fans come into my stream after that game and like, this is why we've got to move DK. It's like, what would you have done? You had your career almost ended in college due to this surgically repaired neck and you have somebody take a cheap shot at the back of your surgically repaired neck and you're just supposed to be, you know, be bigger in that moment, you know, be bigger in that moment. Just, just, no, it's a passionate sport. And if you let guys punk you on a field, they're going to punk you all the time. It's like prison, man. You let them take your jello, they're going to come take your jello every day. And uh, I understand it doesn't always like sit right for people and they want to see them under a little more control, but like sometimes the nature of the sport, you know, it's a chippy sport, it's a physical sport. It's mano a mano. It's men beating on other men. And that takes a mentality at play sometimes that requires you to play with a little bit of an edge, especially if you're going to do it right. But yeah, Dak, I can see definitely there being a, a bit of a, um, you know, one guy gets one pass for doing it. The other guy's, you know, this for doing it. And I can't help but feel that way as well. If DK had done something like what Kelsey did to Andy Reid on the sideline, he would have been crucified. And that's where it's like, I, that's why I have said, that's why I do take some umbrage with it. Like, I don't know if that, that adds up for me. Josh Reynolds, John Reynolds. Thank you for the $2 donation, John. I appreciate the uh, first dono on the stream, brother. I salute you for that donation. Very kind of you. He says, we will rule, rule this division. Well, I love the confidence, man. And I hope you are right about that, John. Certainly they're taking some strong steps to hopefully get to that place. Uh, is Emeka Buka, is he returning to school? Let's look. I might be behind on that one. Oh, man. This kid's name is so hard to spell. Oh, there you go. I'll take him off my list, Josh. All right, uh, Nathan, thank you for letting me know on that one. I'll get that marked. Mecca, you're gone. Man, a lot of these guys went back. Philip Castle, Paul Malm, I'm watching heavy. I think he will help all of our guys. I really like his track record. And boy, Corbin was hot trot on him, speaking about him, on some of his techniques he's used on his own guys and uh, at the high school experience, utilizing some of the uh, footwork drills. Addict Docs, Brandon, I like, like your mocks. Like you, my mocks, I trade down twice in round one. But today, the simulator let Jared Verse fall to 16. Any thoughts? Uh, I have Jared Verse in the first round of the draft. I don't have him as a blue chip prospect. I do have him in the middle of the first round. So, I mean, to take him 16 is not bad value from a standpoint of that's what the Hawks decide to do was that this is the best guy on the board for us. I don't think he has star potential, upper level starting potential in the league, maybe. Um, so he's, he's a good player, but not quite in the blue chip range for me, addicted to Hawks. I don't think he came back this year to school and took a big step forward in his development. Uh, I think he very much got much of the same kind of year you got the year before. Greg Kemp, Brandon, another thing I think that is being missed on the trade DK folks is how many wide receiver Hawks Pete went through to find an X before getting DK. X receivers are way harder to find 
in the NFL today. It's a great point. And uh, Greg, of course, is referencing the fact that you have your X and your Z wide receiver when you typically at least have two wide receivers on the field at any one time. Your X receiver is going to be the guy that's on the line of scrimmage because you have to have a certain number of players on the line of scrimmage. And then you can have a couple of guys off the line of scrimmage. So your Z receiver, for instance, on the other side, or your Tyler Lockett is off the line of scrimmage by a yard. This is a small, little important, uh, important detail that Greg is referencing because what that allows is Tyler Lockett the free release. It gives him the opportunity to get off the press coverage, whereas DK being the X means you're right on top of the press coverage. To Greg's point, that's why it's so hard to go find X receivers is because receivers have a hard enough time getting into the routes, running the routes great, being fast, and then making the catch. To then have to work off press coverage and physicality on top of that is just a whole nother layer of difficulty that you have to overcome. And uh, I think that's a great point, DK, Greg. Great point. And yeah, another, another big part of DK's value with that. Philip Castles asks, could the Hawks draft Plummer late in the draft, Brandon? They could. I do have a late round grade on him. Um, he's got a weird habit of dirting throws over the middle that are pretty simple throws. Uh, his, his delivery is, it's not elongated, but it's a little long. You know, it's, it's like the delivery is pretty efficient in its movement, but it's like sometimes the arm's going like this to get the ball out of his hand. I don't know why it kind of feels slow going through the roll, but it just, it does. Mobility, not the greatest, not the biggest arm, but uh, seventh round guy, sixth round guy, maybe. Dave says, don't let him take your cornbread. Can't let him take your cornbread, Dave. You'll never eat it. You'll never eat cornbread again. You let him take it once, you'll never get it back. You'll be going without cornbread for the whole rest of your incarceration. And it's the one good thing you got, right? Desserts all you got when you're inside. Big Docs, wow, this is the first time I've heard about Warner and DK's neck. Amazing. Shaking my head. Yeah, it's that context thing that doesn't seem to matter to folks at times with this stuff, but to me matters tremendously. And that was a moment where there had been a couple of moments this year that had set people off. You had the Witherspoon hit in the first game of the week where DK Molly whopped him and everybody freaked out. Didn't get penalized for hitting him on that one, but it freaked everybody out. You have the Cincinnati game against Cam Britt where he hits Cam Britt on a play where the play's still live. He's still fully in his well within his rights to, to be blocking as hard as he is. And um, both of those two plays already started freaking out a lot of Hawk fans anyway. And then they get the Fred Warner play and it just sends them over the, over the, over the line, right? Just, oh my God. You know, he's just a thug. It's like, that's what I would hear. And I'm just in there shaking my head going, man, this is football. We're not out here to play patty cake. There are plenty of sports where there's no contact and everybody can be nice and gentlemanly to each other. And you can shake hands and clap hands in the game. This is a sport of violence, hitting, and physicality. And that is what you're going to see on Sundays. And I know the sports lightened up and, and eased up on that at certain points in the past couple of years, but that still remains where it is. It's a grown man sport. You got to walk in there and, and be ready for it. And uh, DK does. One thing I'll say too, with the DK blocking and stuff, it's, it's a bit like uh, Mike Tomlin said, I'd much rather, I'd much rather tell him woe than sick him. Very important. Can't get those guys to sick them. They don't have that in them. If they don't have that dog in them, you ain't going to get them to it. 
Much easier to say, whoa, boy. Whoa, whoa. Megan says, uh, where would you see Odunzie going? Top 13 picks. I think he has an upside, Megan, that's very similar to like a Drake London. Drake London went, what, seven or eight, Megan? So he goes probably like 10 or 11. John says, we've made all the right hires and we have the general manager. And we have the dogs. Let's go. Robert Rankin, Jordan Davis quarterback. He's being overlooked. Good player, Robert. Um, when you get past my initial top guys on the board, the pretty supremely like easy guys to, to evaluate here as far as here's your top end talent. These guys will all be gone in the first two rounds. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Spencer Rattler. When you get past those guys, I feel like pretty much Robert Almost every team in the NFL will probably have Jordan Travis as the next most talented guy on their list. But then he becomes in it, it becomes hard to evaluate exactly where that puts him as a landing spot because of the fact that he's undersized, because of the fact that he's coming off the major injury that he is. Not exactly sure of where that sets him out in the long term at that point. But I do like him a lot, Robert. He's a good player. Very smart in the pockets. Got some Duke, Doug Flutie vibes kind of back there and scrambling around at times. Uh, great improvisation, still can play on time as well. Great trust ball thrower, great back shoulder thrower. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff to Jordan's game. Pretty decent arm strength too, for being a little bit of an undersized guy. Uh, John Reynolds, uh, thank you for the $2 donation. He says, uh, we have a head coach who offense fear, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I love it, John. I love the enthusiasm is, is awesome, man. Um, and yeah, we have an, a coach and an offense and a defense, John, that's not fear-based in its approach. It's not trying to prevent the mistake. You know, offensively, we're going to sculpt this offense around minimizing mistakes and trying to run away from the dangerous zones on the field. Defensively, we're not going to, to risk this or risk that so that we can prevent a big play. There's no more of sort of the fear-based approach coming into play. Instead, like you say, it's more of you will fear us and we're going to take it to you. We're going to dictate turn the terms to you. We're not going to be back on our heels. We're going to be up on our toes. And uh, I love that approach that they've taken too, John. It's gotten me jacked as well. Appreciate the donation. Burlack, hey Brando, did you know that J.J. McCarthy had the highest completion percentage having to move outside the pocket and no other quarterback was close? I did, yes. He's a very, very good thrower on the run. Um, I will say it's a little bit, I think if we took the number of times that he had to move around on the pocket and move out of the pocket and throw on the run for lack, I think there's two bit, two parts of the denominators on this that have a little bit of an issue. Some of uh, really the JJ McCarthy stats that are presented are, are presented on the percentage basis, right? He doesn't have the stark numbers. So everything's got to be into the percentage. And the issue I have there is that when you have so many limited dropbacks and snaps of you dropping back and throwing the ball, that means that's that many more limited attempts for lack of you then having to move out on the run and make those throws. You put this in combination with having one of the best offensive lines in all of the sport. And to me, it's oftentimes meaning that there's even times where you're moving out where you're not necessarily dealing with a ton of pressure while you're moving on the run versus maybe some of the other quarterbacks who would have, who didn't have quite that same kind of, you know, pass protection in front of them. But I don't want to kick out the stats completely under it because they're valid. Um, 
and, and they're stark. I think the other one that stood out for Lack was the third down percentage snap that gets presented on McCarthy, which again, completely valid and should, should certainly be a measure of worth to his value. Um, the thing I'll come back to again is that I just can't remember a quarterback in recent history who was being looked at as going in the first round whose team actively seemed to try to find ways as often as they could to limit the number of attempts that he had to throw in a football game. Um, people present to me it's Harbaugh just playing the Harbaugh offense and that's his way and he's not going to throw the ball. Um, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily buy as much into that. Um, I understand leaning towards your defense and, and you know, doing what you have, you know, knowing you can win in other ways without the quarterback getting it done, that's fine. But then that doesn't have anything to do about the value of that quarterback being built at that point because you didn't lean on him. So I, I've never seen quite a guy like this being looked at as first round discussion in recent years who doesn't really have the productivity to back this up. And so that leads us to then start reaching for percentage-based uh, production in specific moments, uh, throwing on the run, third down completion, that type of thing. Um, again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm kicking out that stack completely, but I just, I feel like there's a little bit of that dance there with McCarthy of, and it's all comes back to the thing of like, you know, bottom line is the team did not trust him to get back there and throw and let the ball rip. You know, they trusted him to hand the ball off and he did that well and he performed and he's a winner. And it's not even that I'm completely out on a prospect, but first round top 16, first round pick for a guy that's going to run a four, six, five, 40. And who's going to have one of the weaker arms of the top quarterbacks in this draft. Like you have Michael Penix go throw. You have Caleb Williams go throw. You have Drake May go throw. You have Jaden Daniels go throw. You then go have JJ McCarthy throw right after him. There, you will see the layman fan will be able to watch and see a stark difference in the arm velocity and arm strength and talent of what McCarthy brings. And so I, I don't know, man. It's just, as I say with this Furlack, it's going to be one of those guys that, as somebody was joking about earlier on the stream, there's always a guy every year for me that I just get out on at the quarterback position that so many others are in on. And I've watched McCarthy's tape and gone back to it like three times over to see if I'm missing something. And I just don't feel like I'm missing something. I just don't think he's that good. I think he's getting highly overrated in this draft. Garth, uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation and all your donations tonight. Garth, Brando, are there any of your number 10 blue chips you wouldn't draft for the Hawks due to position or would you be a hardcore BPA? Uh, admittedly, I haven't thought a lot about this as much, Garth, because the blue chip linemen that I, I like, I think are going to be gone. Um, I think when it comes to Fashano and Joe Alt, they are pure left tackles. And if they were to fall to you, I don't think I could go ahead and take those two, Garth, because I think that they can't play guard and I don't want to kick Charles Cross into guard and that wouldn't work. I do think Fawanga could be kicked into guard. And then he does give you then the insurance policy for Abraham Lucas on the outside. So if you were to have him fall as one of those blue chip offensive line guys, I would do it. Um, Garth Marvin Harrison, yes. Um, Malik Neighbors, Adunzier, no. You drive value as hard as you can, but there will always be moments where you can't go that hard into it. And those would be those would be kind of the four guys would be maybe just neighbors of Dunzier, um, Fashanu, and Alt 
of my blue chippers would be the only ones, Garth, that I, I, I kind of would be no-go on. But Bowers, Buanga, obviously all of the quarterbacks I have on my list, they would, I would go be jump, jump for them. But I would think, Garth, if those blue chippers you talk about are sitting there at 16, uh, if Fashano's uh, if, uh, there at 16, I feel like you would be able to get a trade up at that point for somebody to come up who'd get their left tackle and, and would give you something for that. As opposed to taking, that's how we get back to that, Garth, of move, how I get to moving back. It's like, well, there's likely to be a player there that's of enough value to drive a team that's in the back to come up. A blue chip-like prospect, let's say. I'm kind of thinking that's how this is going to break down in the draft. But I get your question, man. That's the hardest part about driving value purely and operating from value purely is that there's got to be certain moments where you, you, you go as hard as you can to it, but where you go, okay, I can't, you know, we just took our tackles the last two years. I can't go take a tackle that's going to be sitting on the bench potentially this season. I can't, I can't go that hard into the realm of it, right? But it's a tough, that's a tough one because man, Garth, I'm pulled so much to just stay value, stay value, stay value. That's the way. This is the way. Appreciate you, Garth, so very much, man. Thank you very much. Robert says, I'm, I seem to say mine, Gino, for a year, so injury doesn't matter as much, and he's already up and running. I mean, then. Travis? Yeah, I'm okay with that, Robert. And getting him in the, you want to take him in the late third round. I, Robert, I'm with you on it. So uh, I'll, I'll be completely supportive of the pick. That's where they took him. I could certainly see Robert, if you're looking for a, a facsimile of Russell Wilson here in this draft, and, and John Schneider is looking to kind of replicate the Russell Wilson situation a little bit, a Jordan Travis move would be pretty on point. That'd be the closest you're going to find in this draft to a somewhat apples for apples kind of comp. Copperwise, I'm interested to see how Pratt tests. He might be a later round quarterback to take a look at as well. I've got him in the fourth round as well, Copperwise. So Jordan Travis and Michael Pratt are my two fourth round quarterbacks in this draft. I've got him behind Jordan Travis, but uh, he should be a fun tester, Copperwise. Another guy in this draft that's got a lot of live arms. He's another guy to add to that mix of very live arms. Um, in fact, I think he's going to throw better than even a J.J. McCarthy as far as at least arm strength goes. Uh, don't know where he's at on the mobility. He's okay mobility. Not a statue, but also not upwardly mobile on the other side of it. But ballsy, gunslinger type in the, in the pro, uh, pocket. He'll let it rip. He ain't scared in the least. And you do like the good live arm you'd get for him in the fourth round. Hard to find that there usually. Primo says, no trade on DK. Not going to happen, Primo. Amen. Dewey lie. what do you think the Hawks record should be to be considered a success? And what record can be considered as a total failure? Um, Dewey, for me, it's going to be less about the win-loss record for me. It's, it's more about what you're trying to implement, right? So we're trying to go from uncomplicated and schemes that do not try to attempt to disguise pre-snap what they're doing to now trying to become completely very complicated post-snap and disguise everything you're doing on both sides of the ball. You're trying to take yourself from one of the more undisciplined football teams in football and rise yourself up to a point of being disciplined. So what I'm looking for, Dewey, is for the team to have the buy-in of the coach, uh, for the improvements to be incrementally going on throughout the years, you feel the impact of that coach starting to set the tone, starting to implement his scheme. And so it's really about 
Are you creating that complications that I'm talking about offensively and defensively? Are you making things easier on players? Whereas at times from a coaching perspective, we're making things hard on players. Is the discipline get better throughout the course of the year? You know, you're looking for those things of, you're looking for more the transition to be taking place. I would say, Dewey, you're looking for improvement. If it starts out rough, it gets improvement. You're obviously not looking out for it to start out great. And then it gets rough. That would be a bad sign of things. Um, a total failure though, I think would be just that you don't win at all. And that you just don't, aren't able to in, get either side of the ball implementing either scheme, you know, offensively, you're not getting those built-in advantages. And defensively, it's just nothing but miscommunication and nobody on the same page. But I'm less doing it's it's totally to me a bit about those specific things more than the win-loss record. Because I think that if you're taking care of those things, the wins come with it, be it next year or into the future. Robert, if Gino can slow the game down for him, Travis has elite release and mobility. He will need some learning for sure. Worth a fourth from sure. Maybe a third. IMO, huge upside. I'm with you, Robert. 100%. Full of greens on you. I'm full of greens with you on that one. I like Jordan. I've liked him a lot since last year. Hanger just bowling, not care about ball. No, I think he cares. He's just, he's a former receiver transitioning to cornerback. And talking to my cornerback friends through the years, they've got, you know, they look at these receiver mentality guys as it takes them a little bit to get their hardened edge, you know. There's a different kind of mentality on defense at times. Gibson, I've seen Jordan Travis drop to the fifth round projection due to the injury, but if he can recover, I see a lot of upside with him. Me too. Love where you guys are at on him, man. He's a good player. Doodle Bob, what do you look for more in the draft, offense or defense? Well, it's a value-based system for me, Doodle Bob. So um, this is a little bit like the question you could be asked of like, what should the Hawks make their first three picks in? Um, I'm going to try to, it's, it's why Garth's question was so good on the above and that it's a it's tough, tough question to stay in this value approach, but it's a value-based approach. Doodle Bob, two years ago, John Schneider reportedly took over more of the duties from Coach Carroll when it came to drafting. And what he did at that time is he moved them away from a need-based approach, need-based approach to a value-based approach. So if I'm saying I want to target a middle linebacker, a defensive tackle, and a wide receiver in the first three rounds, that's a need-based approach. If I say I want to attack an offensive side of the ball in this draft or attack the defensive side of the ball in this draft, that's a need-based approach. What I think the better way to go is you take it pick by pick. Who is the highest valued player you have on your board? And as Garth was asking about in his question, there are certainly going to be times where that highest value guy on your board, you just can't go that route because it's just going to create a log jam and you're going to end up with a really good player not on the football field playing. But as hard as you can drive in that direction of letting value drive the board, I wouldn't care doodle bob if it meant all six selections had to be on the offensive side of the ball. If value is driving the day, I think that that brings you out ultimately the best successes of football team. I think that builds the strongest football team. And I think that the worst teams, the teams that draft the worst, the teams that struggle to find that next gear, that next step up, are the teams that operate too often in the need-based approach when it comes to the draft. Brian Neese says, I don't want to draft quarterback at all. He's got a known quantity quarterback. We have so many other holes to fill on both sides of the ball. Only if it's BPA in whatever round. Agreed, Brian. I'm of the same, I'm of the same mindset. Gar says, Hawks Nest. I hear Penix has crazy big mitts for a quarterback. That's got to be good for accuracy. 
great for accuracy. Uh, yeah, he's like 10 and one eighths inches hands, huge, huge hands for a quarterback. Uh, and this is very big because you need, especially if you're going to go to inclement weather areas, you want a quarterback with big hands so that he can get real good control over that football. Wet weather place like us, you know, part of him having the success here being in uh, the Pacific Northwest over the past couple of years where it can get very wet and and, uh, and whatnot is ability to control that ball even in those wet conditions. So uh, having big hands is seen as a very, very, very big plus by NFL teams, uh, not only for being able to throw in those bad conditions, but also because your ability to hold on to the ball when you're getting hit. You know, part of what, of course, upended Dave Craig and, and his fumbleitis through the years was that he had really, really tiny hands. So he'd get hit, and it would just jostle the ball free completely, Garf. I don't know if you remember those where he would just like, if he was going to get hard, hit hard, the ball was coming out. And uh, with Penix, he's going to be able to maybe you know hold on to those a little bit more because of that. Very good accuracy, though. You got the con better control of the ball. It's like he's throwing a, a Nerf ball, Garth. You know, imagine when you go one of those little tiny Nerf balls and how much more control you feel like you have over it and where you can put the ball. It's kind of like Penix with those big hands. Robert, you recently uh, did a mock draft. We picked so many of the same guys. Must be something in the water down here in uh, Eastern Washington. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to comment. Hey, my my opinion, Robert, and I've got to be honest. I feel like uh, yourself and many of us Hawk fans are kind of thinking alike on this one, which just it it really uh, is part of why I said not just because people are agreeing with me, but because I think it it shows the smart approach by many of the Hawk fans out there, and and especially some of the deeper diving folks uh, like ourselves that get into this uh, deep into the weeds on this type of stuff. Um, but it's, it's something that just seems to stand out to many of us as a, a straightforward approach to fixing what ails this team and maximizing this team into the near future, next season and beyond. And it's also, and on top of it, Robert being a place where the things that we're looking to deal with, the positions we're looking to address, the positions of strength in this draft, um, are also ones that, I mean, it's just the best value. Therefore, you're going to be picking at times, you know, some of these linemen are going to fall probably that you're going to be getting some tasty linemen that probably shouldn't be where you're going to be picking, like let's say in the third round. And I can't, I got to, got to jump on that. If we can get a couple of starters and upper level starters on the offensive line in this draft alone as a centerpiece, look out. But thank you. I appreciate you. Must be in the water, man. You know, we got a lot of that extra calcium in the water. That's what it does down here. John, uh, sorry, John, a little bit late on the acknowledgement, but thank you so much, my, my brother, with a $10 donation. Very, very kind of you, John. Very kind of you. Says, Brandon, thanks for all the coverage. I'm very appreciative of your shows. I know it was just an interview, but I felt like Grub blows Waldron out the water. Guy just seems confident and self-aware. I think confidence is a great word to mention, John. I think that would be something that strikes me as a little bit of a difference in what you get in body language is body language and it's subjective and we all see different things on this stuff. But certainly when you had Waldron, there's a little bit of a, you know, there's kind of a quiet sort of a, you know, soft mannered approach in the way he goes about it. There seems a little bit more of an active intensity uh, with Grub. I mean, you get this from McDonald too, right? Intensity for right, you know, no BS, just let's cut to the, let's cut right to it. And uh, everything that you hear about, especially John Brock, you were talking about, Grub on the sidelines at practice at UW and his manner and his fiery approach and his willingness to, to you know, get after it as a head coach. Uh, I do think that, that seems to go a little bit in difference of a guy like Waldron that just seemed kind of like, you know, do we need to check his pulse there on the sideline? <laughs> you know, maybe a little, a little too even keeled at times considering things going, going down. 
But uh, confidence, I think, is a great word to use, John, because that definitely is something that I think emanates from Grubb. And uh, I think that he's got the right kind of a of approach to being an offensive coordinator in this league where it's going right now, where the game's going right now, what you need to do to accomplish. Um, and there's not just one style of offense that can be successful in the NFL, John, but they're this type of offense with the air raid. Well, if you're going to do the air raid, you got you to take out the quarterback runs. You've got to still build in the shot plays or teams are just going to come down and compound the short routes. You've got to have a commitment level to the run game. And it's got to not be the simplified run game that like Chip Kelly had with the inside outside zone runs. You've got to work in a variety of different runs within that from the counters to the powers to the gap, right? Keep it all mixed through. He does all of this stuff, you know, which is if you're writing it up for the spread concept guy of what he has to do to make a spread system work, John, inside of the NFL, because it's one where you don't have those wide hash marks that you have at the college level to take advantage of, then you've got to make these kind of, have these kind of adjustments to me built into it um, to make it a, a more of a functional-based offense. And he's on the surface of that, already has done that before he's come in here. But um, I, like, I like how he's put together, John. I love the hire. It's a high upside hire. Yes, there's some risk involved. Yes, there's some bust factor there. But I've stood strong on this and saying, man, make these hires about the boom, not about the bust. You know, not about the floor, I guess. Rather than saying floor, let's say about the floor rather than the bust, John. You know, don't bring, don't bring me floors. Don't bring me high floors. I want the high ceiling. I want sky high ceiling. And if it doesn't work, you know, you can always move on to another one in a year. You're not married to them. All the more reason to take the big swing and the big shot. But, uh, I I'm, I'm loved everything I've heard about him, John. Guy has nine sacks last year at UW. His offensive line, Joe Moore award-winning, the best offensive group, offensive line group in the whole nation, outpacing Alabama, outpacing Georgia, outpacing Michigan for their performance. And uh, that's certainly something that we need right now is a, a, just on the forefront of whatever coordinator we bring in, a guy that can better protect his quarterback if even just by the schematics of the designs of his plays, which is a big part of what Grubb can do, especially John within getting that ball out of the guy's hand so quickly post-snap and scripting something up that can tend to be just wide-ass open. Appreciate you though, John. Thank you very much for your donation. Very kind of you, man. Very, very kind of you. Uh, Dick Docs, Brandon, you mentioned Lucas and Fuanga. Does every passing day without hearing an injury update on Lucas make you nervous? It does me sigh. No, I guess because we're just in the off season right now and I don't think that there's much active reports going on about that stuff or reactive updates to be had about that stuff. We'll learn more about that down in the wash and certainly Addicted Hawks. We'll learn more about Lucas and where he is with the injury uh, by the time we do get to the draft. So um, it remains a concern though. It does remain a concern. Uh, Greg Kemp, Drap, Brandon, have you heard of Trevin Wallace? That name sounds familiar. I don't have him down on my, uh, I don't have him on my list from the senior bowl though. I thought I had gotten all those guys written, written up. Trevin Wallace. I'm doing a uh, trip out to see my mom out uh, this next week and a half, Greg. I'm a, the goal is going to be this for the next week to just hard line through these prospects. I'm hoping to get somewhere in the neighborhood of like 60 to 80 done in a week um, and really be on top of this by the time we turn this into, into March. You know what I mean? 
So uh, I'll try to have a few more of these kind of knocked out. I got a couple of the ones you'd brought up before um, peeled off recently. So I've been getting a little bit through the list, but I haven't gotten Trevin, Trevin Wallace yet. But he's added. I will take a look at him. <clears throat> Randall McDaniel, thank you for the $2 donation. Is better prospect J.J. McCarthy or Matt Corral? J.J. is a better prospect. Slightly better mobility. Slightly better arm. Just about the same kind of build. I think the, 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 you had Matt with a little bit more of the injury concerns coming out, Randall, but that was also because of the fact that uh, he had been put more in harm's way behind his offensive line than, let's say, J.J. was behind Michigan's. But J.J. is a moderately more better prospect. It's a great question. They're very similarly built, Randall. They're much closer in their build and their, in their, you know, who they are as a player, I think, than they're further away. I do believe that. Thank you for the donation, man. Great question. Uh, Gar uh, Megan says, can you explain the Jordan Travis hype B? Was watching him a little bit today. Wasn't sure what I needed to look for. Yeah. Um, as I said, I think that he is the kind of closest you have in, in this draft, Megan, to a Russell Wilson type of player being undersized, but yet still brings a pretty good arm and really good mobility to play. So that's the first thing you like is having a QB that you don't have to make the, the, the sort of the sacrifice between mobility or arm strength as we sometimes so often do have to do with these guys. Um, little Russell Wilson, little Doug Flutie kind of vibes to him. Um, certainly much smaller than his listed height at 6'1". You know, he's 5'11". That's going to be what he is. I think he's very sudden in the pocket. And that's where the Russell Wilson comps come for me, Megan, is that you can have a defensive player that's a yard away from him and he can create separation from that defensive player much like Russell could by just being kind of a jackrabbit in the pocket. Um, I think he stands really strong in the pocket as well. Really good poise and guile back there. Um, he'll take a hit. Um, he'll he, he'll stand in, you know, very fearless. Um, he recognizes and beats blitzers really well. Recognizes the hot route. So I love how he processes against the blitz. Um, he can get through multiple reads very often on plays. A lot of these quarterbacks, Megan, have pre-scripted stuff. I mean, this is a little bit of my J.J. McCarthy thing is when J.J., first and foremost, he's not asked to throw very much. And then when he's asked to throw, it's a lot of, Read option, throw the slant, right? Read option, come back to the crosser underneath. You know, it, it's it's a little bit of just everything pre-scripted up really nicely and easily for him. Um, where with Jordan, I don't think that that was as much, you know, the case with him. A great back shoulder thrower. Um, I thought in particular, Megan, you, what you want to do is go look at uh, the game against Clemson this year. A, a Clemson defense that's got a lot of really good players on it. Um, I thought he made some Big throws across the board, including just a magnificent fade route to, to Keon Coleman to win it. Um, but he just throws a really great trust ball and delivers it with accuracy. Again, we get back to a bit of the Russ Wilson comps. Trust ball, great accuracy. Those would be the main things. Again, Megan, understanding too that when we type, we talk about hype on Jordan Travis, we're talking about third, fourth round quarterback here. You know, we're, we're firmly out of tier one. We're almost out of the edge of tier two in the range of things um, as far as the, the outlook on the guy. Uh, Furlax says, I, uh, I didn't say draft JJ at 16. I was just pointing out how his percentage was over 70 and all others were below uh, 40%. No, it's, it's a good, and, and that's why I say it's a good stat for lack. I don't mean to seem like I'm knocking it out at the knees. 
Um, and I wasn't trying to reference necessarily just you at it. It was, it's come up a couple of times with, um, uh, Joel Clapp putting, uh, mocking him dust at 16 in his recent mock draft. But, um, no, it's, and it's a valid, a valid stat. And I think that stat for lack, the third down completion stat that's also presented out there are both ones that are, um, certainly eye-opening ones for sure, you know, but I, I'd also like to see on that a little bit too as well. And I'll try to dive into this as I can for lack of how many attempts did he have on those kind of throws versus the other guys and how many attempts they had on those kind of throws. And it'd be nice to know how many of those throws he was under duress versus how many throws they were under duress, you know, when they made those throws. But um, it's a valid stat to use and certainly one should be taken into account with him because throwing on the run is a big part of what you've got to do at the NFL level. It's, you're not just going to be able to sit in a pocket all day and just let it happen. You've got to get out of, out of the pocket, move around, and um, be able to throw the ball accurately. This, of course, for lack is a big problem when you look at a Michael Penix, where Penix has a big issue when you get him out moving and throwing on the run. The ball just tends to sail on him, and the accuracy just kind of goes into the tank at times. <coughs> Janet says, can you believe UW had Puka Nuka, Trent McDuffie, and the same team? Such a wasted opportunity for Jimmy Lake. Jimmy just wasn't the right guy. Coaching matters, Janeth. Yeah. I think he had the other, other guy that was drafted too, uh, in addition to Trent McDuffie over on the other side. Um, just Haley says, I, I hate that Radler is bumping his value into the second in some media. Just Haley, it's happening. It's happening. Radler is going to be a second round guy and strap in, Haley. This thing could very well go up into the first round with him. If what's going to happen, if what happens, what I believe happens occurs, which I do believe right now that you're going to have five quarterbacks taken in probably the first 15 picks. I think the likelihood of, if that does happen, I think the likelihood of Radler going in the first round raises exponentially because he becomes immediately the next hottest ticket item on the board. And that fifth, that fear through option that you get with the first round quarterbacks might prove too enticing Haley to not let him drift into the second round. I'm not saying he's going the first. Boy, it's kind of starting to trend down here. It's second round minimum right now as far as I'm seeing. Chase Stern, thank you for the $5 donation. He says, I'm seeing mocks that have JJ going eighth to Atlanta. On a scale of one to 10, how hard would you laugh if that happened? Uh, 10. I, I think if I had, I, I think Chase, so we go back on this, you know, 2021, you know, Brandon goes through the gauntlet of people telling him that, that Wilson's going to, is better than Lawrence and not just people in the chat, but of course you have pundits and all of that, you know, Wilson, 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 I was out. I was out on Mac Jones in that same draft. You know, I, I, I did like Trey Lance. We'll see with where he goes, but I loved, loved Trevor Lawrence. And I even liked, you know, uh, Justin Fields and his upside. So feeling pretty right about that one. I've had this happen a couple of years. And if I had gotten bit in the butt, if Mac Jones had gone out there and lit the world on fire with New England, maybe I wouldn't be so emboldened in my confidence and my outlook on the quarterbacks. But because recently it's been pretty right on the button with my outlook, I feel very solidly on my outlook of JJ and don't think that I'm necessarily missing something on him with this. I think this is one where it's a, you know, the evaluation process starts to get a little bit too much into looking at the beautiful things the guy does and not really understanding a bit of the limitations there that exist, mainly because the team didn't put him in a position to feature those limitations, which is great. Uh, Harbaugh was able to pull that off, but it's one thing to pull that off at Michigan with a, 
a cupcake schedule at times. It's another thing trying to do that at the NFL level where really there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Um, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes on this one. But I would laugh my ass off, Chase. I would think it'd be very funny if Atlanta takes him at eight. Going from Desmond Ritter to J.J. McCarthy. <laughs> be even funnier when Desmond Ritter beats J.J. McCarthy out in camp. That will make it even more hilarious at that point. Karen K. Kratler. Thank you, Chase. I appreciate the don't know, brother. Just Haley says, any concern with the Zinter's mental, metal rod in the leg? Friend of mine has one in his arm, says it hurts like hell if it's bumped wrong. Have to think that'll happen in the chaos, chaos of line play sometimes. Well, is it, um, I, I have not, uh, Haley done a big deep dive on Zinter's uh, rod in his leg, but I, I do remember that we did have, um, Daryl Taylor had that rod in his leg. I think they eventually take it out, don't they? Like, I don't know if it stays in there permanently for the professional athletes or just to, they put it in there just to stabilize the bone. But yes, uh, the medicals on this would be tremendously important where if you're looking at the, out, the outlook here being that is, he's not going to recover fully, that he's not going to be able to regain um, the mobility or, or flexibility, then he's got to, he, he will drop in the draft. And it's, it's got to be one where you take now kind of a flyer at the end of the draft, no matter the talent he does have, because the likelihood is he's not going to get back to full health. But I would lean back, of course, Haley on that one with what the doctors say, you know. Um, but I'm, I haven't done the deep dive on the metal rod. I wasn't aware he had the rod still in his leg, but I think that they get him taken out. I don't think that that thing sits in there permanently. I can't remember the last player I've ever remember playing with a rod in anywhere. John says the Hawks will own this league. Let's go, John. Brandon, another player I want to ask you about is Jay Lynn's hunt. Who's a safety that's been moved outside linebacker was at the senior bowl. Uh, he's been moving up drafts. Let's see if I got any notes here. On, that name sounds familiar. One second here. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, Jalen Hunt. I Jalen or Jalex. Hunt, um, Houston, Houston Christian. Um, so I, I'm going to have to operate. That's where I, I went to go look up his tape and I couldn't find any of the snaps there, Greg. So he's a, it's a Houston Christian just doesn't sometimes is what I can find online from, from games. And some of these smaller schools, you just don't have much film to go off of. I'll try to look a little bit more what he did the senior bowl, but that's going to be hard on that one to make an evaluation of just because you don't have the game tape to go off of, you know. He's on my list, though. I just couldn't. I did look him. That's why I remember him now. I was, I was Google searching him around to see if I could find nothing, nothing out there for as far as I could locate anything with Houston Christian. Combine's uh, next week-ish. Yeah, next week, I think, Haley. It's at the end of the month. Will says, the rumor I'm hearing is Seattle might trade 16 both third rounders in a 2025 fourth round pick to the Jets for the number 10 picks. So they can draft Michael Penix. This isn't necessarily something I would do personally. Yeah, we're hearing a little bit of this. I think, Will, people are just kind of putting two and two together more than they're operating with inside sources. I, I don't know if that trade, 
I don't think that that trade makes a lot of sense to me, the Seahawks doing that. Having already moved their second round pick, number one. Number two, you're giving up your whole draft to go up and get Penix. How are you dealing with the offensive line at that point? I mean, well, we don't have a starting left guard. We don't have a backup left guard. We don't have a starting right guard, and we have Bradford backing him up. So what are we going to do at that point? Like, we're going to take fourth round onwards. We're going to fill out the rest of our interior offensive line. Because I don't think we're getting it done on free agency. I know you're not advocating for it, but that's where I think that this is just a rumor that's being drawn out as sort of kind of a clickbait sort of thing. I don't think it's really based on much. Other than someone trying to kind of put two and two together. Copperwise, we are short on draft picks with a lot of needs. Let's trade up most of it to move up to 10 for a chance to draft Penix. No, thank you. <laughs> Amen, man. I don't, I just, woof. Woo. Evan says, thoughts on Joe Milton? Good size. Uh, another guy with a really good arm strength. I mean, something this draft has in spades is arm strength all over the place. Uh, you can find it up and down, even into the depths of this draft. Guys that can let it rip, spin it as they say. Uh, Joe Milton hit the top GPS speeded, speed time of um, any quarterback at the Senior Bowl, even surpassing just a little bit past Michael Penix, 19 miles an hour. So, you know, he can move in addition to that. Um, his feel at the position, you know, his poise in the pocket, his processing in the pocket, um, leaves a lot to be desired. It's He's a guy that will make risky throws when he doesn't have to be. He'll He'll throw to where one guy has got tight coverage, where there was an opening somewhere else. You don't see him going through his reads as consistently, and that's an offense that's very much an offense with kind of training wheels on it and how simplified it will make it for the quarterback position at times. Uh, to me, at this point, Milton's just a real toolsy, rough, raw quarterback uh, that, needs a, that has a lot to clean up. Um, but I do see him as a draftable guy. I see him as a kind of a fifth-round graded guy. But uh, I just don't think that there's too much to clean up there to look at him as an elite prospect. And uh, he did not really, he did not improve his stock at the senior bowl, but probably reduced it. Haley says, I want Rattler after watching some breakdown on this play. Another guy they might possibly look at for sure. He's got some great throws. And I'll tell you, there wasn't a quarterback in this draft, Haley, that was under more duress or being hit more often. Uh, on a drop-back basis than Rattler in this draft. Will says, I'd, I've never seen John trade up in the first round, but this is a new regime, and it can become unpredictable. It can. It can. You never know, man. You never know if this might be the year to do it. And, and all it takes is John to you know, fall in love with the, with the right type of quarterback. You know, just If he has one that he falls in love with and says, this is my guy, then the ends justify the means potentially there. But we've never seen him do it again. We've never seen him do that before, Will. And uh, I do maintain that I don't think he's looking to do that as any kind of forefront philosophy here with this, with this new change. Millet 06, I don't live in Washington, so not a Huskies fan, but still am a Seahawks fan. Really do not want Michael Penix. Sorry, just doesn't look right to me. I get it, man. I'm, I'm not hot to trot on him either at this point with it. So... Um, I think he can find success in the pros. I think he's a really good prospect. I think he's got to go to the right place. I continually go back to saying, man, Denver. If I was Denver, I would be all over Michael Penix. 
Greg, Brandon, what I like most about Jordan Travis is while he'll give you some rust vibes, I like his ball placement and jump balls way better. Yeah. Trust, trust throws are fantastic from him, Greg. And he's definitely not a, I, it's a kind of a, it's like as close a comp as there's to Russell in a draft where there's not really a rust comp, I would say too either. Um, but, the, but a guy, if you're looking to do that thing, Greg, like I say, which is, you know, fit to the blueprint of what got you there before, you know, you know, a guy like Jordan Travis is certainly in line with how you did it before a little bit. Just Haley, seven quarterbacks in the first. I would put it at uh, Caleb Mays, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix, and Bo Nix would be five, and then Rattler would be your sixth at the end. So I don't think we'll get to seven, Haley. But six is six is possible. Definitely possible. Um, what are my thoughts on Bo Nix? Um, solid, solid quarterback prospect, Corey. I, I think that like J.J. McCarthy, he's getting elevated a little bit higher than he should be on boards um, for what he's going to bring to the table as a player. Um, He's a little more built upon needing to, I think, work off of being on script. He's going to need a very smart offensive mind to get the most out of him. And a guy that's going to, I think, need to make the game a little bit more easy on him. I also don't think he's the greatest of processors in the pocket. Uh, really good mobility. Could be one of the better quarterbacks as far as his 40 time goes and the 10-yard split, some of explosiveness. He's got 57 starts at the college level. So you're getting a guy that's very seasoned and very ready to go, ready to step in and can handle the duties of being a starting quarterback in this NFL. Um, there's something about him that just doesn't quite get me fully bought into him like some do get bought into him, Corey. And uh, it's something I can't put my finger on as much. I probably just have to watch more tape to get the better feel here. Um, I'm not like out in a way like I'd be kind of on J.J. McCarthy. With Bo, I can get it because you can see the physical skill there. He's got the nice size and build. He's got the good, strong arm. He's got... You know, he's going to run, I think, closer to a 4.5. I think J.J. McCarthy is going to run like a 4.65, a 4.7, 40. I think there's a bit of a difference between their giddy up and go. But a good prospect, I, I have more of a, I'd have more of a second round grade on him when it's all said and done than, than the first round grade he's being given. Garth Knight, thank you for another $5 donation. Very kind of you, Garth. Rando, what's your target for number of players scouted each draft? Also, McCarthy, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, or Minshew? <laughs> uh, thank you for the donation. I, uh, I try to get somewhere between 325 to 350. I'd like to get it and have a real thorough idea of all those players in that range, Garth. So 325, 350, I'm, I'm about at one, I'm about 160, 165, 170 right now. So, you know, I'm about halfway from the mark of where I need to be. And I got, I got about, you know, a little over two months to get there. So plenty of time, still knock it out. Um, McCarthy, Jones, or Minshew? I guess I would go with McCarthy, but I think all those guys are, you know, I wouldn't want any of those guys running my show, Garth, you know what I mean? But 
Wilson just doesn't have a feel for how to be a quarterback. Mac Jones doesn't have the mobility or arm strength. And I think Minshew's a plucky story, but I, I don't think Minshew's much more than that, right? He's a backup in this league. So um, I'll go with McCarthy of that crew, but talk about picking between the four, four of bad options. Garth. <laughs> Having to pick the, the worst, of the, the best of the worst. Just Haley, Trey Lance is a free agent after the season. Could John Schneider fix him? Uh, I possibly, yeah, but I, I, I still like his talent a lot, Just Haley, and I just think that he also was given a bad hand by that Niner organization. I don't think Kyle Shanahan was ever really invested in getting him developed in the way that he needed. Um, one thing with that to monitor, Haley, is that I think Dak's going into the last year of his contract here this year, getting close to it, and the Cowboys seem like from the day they signed Dak to that deal that they've been looking for a way and means to get off of that contract. So if they do that, I think that they're going to want to double back in on Trey and, and stay with him, uh, especially if they like what they've seen of him these, these couple of years while they wait. But uh, I would take a flyer on him, Haley. I certainly would. Will says, yeah, Schneider has traded back or stayed and picked, but he has an aversion to trading up in the first round. Exactly. I, it's one reason I've been very hesitant to make the prediction that he would do that on any given draft. Like you say, 14 years of a track record is pretty, pretty hard line. I don't think it was just Carroll holding him back from trading up. You know, I think that's his decision to do that. And that's the way he prefers to go. And not only has he not traded up, Will, but he has shown a, a tremendous want and will to go out there and accumulate more picks, more bites at the apple. Um, so not only not to trade up, but the more of evaluation on like, give me more of those picks. And uh, that also just makes you that much more hesitant to then trade up. Cause then that's the thing that that's going to remove is your amount of total picks. Haley says, I like the irony of being Sh beating Shanny with the guy he almost sunk his franchise for. That would be pretty awesome. It would be poetic, Haley, that's for sure. Will says, but if trading up the first round is what McDonald wants, he might do it. He might. You're right. Or it's, it's also too, Will, maybe it's like other people have said, where it's like if he falls in love with one particular quarterback and goes, no, this is my guy. This is the one to make it happen, you know? That also could draw him up to go do it as well. Uh, Haley says, they take the rod, take out the rod? Yikes, that's wild. That's what happened with Daryl Taylor, uh, Haley, is he had the rod in his leg from the broken leg to stabilize it, and then they eventually took it out. Now, Taylor at the time said he wasn't sure if the leg was ever going to be 100% right, I think. So it's back to your point of, is there permanent damage in there? Is there, you know, that's where you got to go to the doctors to find out what they what their outlook is on it. But it's a possibility that it could be something that he has to roll with for the rest of his life. Gar says, keep the rod in for stability like Wolverine. <laughs> he can use it like a weapon, <laughs> leg whipping people. <laughs> Isaac, what's up, B? Been a while in the chat. Super Bowl is over. Niners lost. We have a Super Bowl coaching staff. Let's go. Twelves, go Hawks. Need the whole city and team to buy in. Amen, Isaac. Well said, man. And I think that the, uh, certainly from the fan standpoint, you're feeling a sense of buy-in here this year that's unique to what I've seen in previous off-season years. There is definitely a connection with what's going on with the team and a big-time interest into the ongoings of what's going on with the team. 
Haley says, if only Dixon can kick field goals, best player not playing. If our offense does well, feels bad. That'd be the ultimate value is to get a, a field goal kicker that could punt to Haley. I wonder if eventually we'll get that. That would be pretty cool. Greg says, Brandon, yeah, it's hard to find stuff on Hunt. I've only seen three YouTube videos talking about him. Yeah, I was looking it up and sometimes you can find some stuff. I, I don't have those real, like someday on this, Greg, I'll get all of the subscriptions to the college games that are out there so I can just get a, access to all the games and make it easy peasy. And I don't have that quite yet, but um, Hunt's going to have to be one we're going to have to lean on the Senior Bowl stuff as much as anything and what we're seeing with that there. But boy, you talk about a where does that guy go at that point? Does it convert to linebacker, small school guy? If he comes out there and tests well at the combine, does that put him into third, fourth round discussion? Are we talking about fifth, sixth round guy at that point? It'll be a bit of a question, Mark. Hey, this is the only time you trade up the whole draft to move up is if you're in a win now mode with no holes, including quarterback. Could see him do it next season, maybe, but JS definitely misses draft picks from the last six years. Yeah, agreed. I could see next year being a lot more of a potential from there was a year to do it. That might be more of the year to do it. Team Bomber, I'd get Milton. I'd love to get Milton. Tools guy. I'm okay. Fifth round, I'm fine with it. You're right. Definitely got the tools there. Just about grabbing him in the appropriate valued round. You don't want to take that guy in the third. Radu Hawksnest, AB, what do you think of Andrew Chatfield from Oregon State? He's a linebacker, and I was wondering if you did a deep dive on him. Nine and a half sacks on the year. I have uh, not gotten that one in yet, but uh, Radu, I'll absolutely add him onto my list here. Let me see if I got Chatfield up here. Chatfield. No, don't have him on my list. Andrew. Got it. So he's on there. I'll take a look at him. I'm a little bit behind on Rod doing my prospect stuff right now. Just a hair. Gibson, I loved Penix at UW the last two seasons, but do not see his talent translating to the NFL, and especially not behind our poorest offensive line. Certainly think a big part of Penix's potential success in the NFL, to your point, Gibson, is where he lands. Landing zone. Yeah. Haley says, I want a quarterback that can play on time and progress through reads at an elite level. I want Geno. Rattler is the player Geno was coming out. In my opinion, to that point, his attitude was an issue. Yeah, all fair. And I like Rattler's talent. Definitely Haley. Not in the first round, but, you know. He's done a good job out there. There's still times, Haley, when I turn on the game tape with Rattler where the body language is sometimes, and look, I get it. He's, he didn't have a great supporting cast this year. It's going to, especially in the SEC, that's going to break you down after a while, right? <laughs> a lot of people are going to be like, oh, I got to get beat up again today. But um, sometimes the body language is always the best with him. Big Andrew says Minchu, not being biased either. I could be talked into it. I don't like any of those options presented, so <laughs> I sort of felt just drawn to pick one. 
Greg says, uh, Brandon, the other info I could find on Jalen Hunt is measurables according to Senior Bowl, 6'3", 248, 34-inch long hand, arms and 10-inch hands. Well, I can see why they've definitely, he's coming up at that point, Greg, right? Because hard to find guys with that kind of build. You know, that, that's kind of the ideal from arm length, hand size. 6'3", 248 is kind of a perfect weight. Hard to find those 34-inch long arms, guys, and so much, so very important. It doesn't matter what position you play. Try to see what we can find from him on Senior Bowl. He's going to be a bit of a question mark, though, Greg, going all the way into the draft. Haley says, if we trade down and Rattler is still there as the next guy, would you take him in the first and then fill offensive line, uh, linebacker, edge, and safety after? No, because I just don't have a first-round grade on him, Haley. I think what you're doing at that point is we're, we're back, in, and it's always, remember with me, I'm, it's very much of I believe that drafts are ran by need or they're, dran, or they're ran by value. And the more that you get driven into need, um, I think the worse that you get as far as your draft outcome is concerned. And what would be drawing Spencer Rattler to be taken in the first round at that, at that point, Haley, is not the fact that he's just merely a first-round graded player, but because of the scarcity of the position, because so many guys got selected in the top 15 picks. So you're being driven, not you are, but we would be driven by, at that point, more of a need-based component than we would be by, um, by a value-based component. Um, the other part with this, Haley, that I, I really truly believe in my bones is that you, the offensive line, linebackers, uh, uh, nose tackle, um, you know, these are the positions that are much more needed to be filled. And if I'm not going to fill those positions for a quarterback, then it better be a value-based model I'm taking that quarterback from, not a need-based model. Which again, to my point on this with it being that I have Rattler with the second round grade. You're taking him up in the first round. You're grabbing him by need at that point, which means you're lo overlooking better value that would have been available there for you at that pick at another position, in my opinion. Um, I do like Rattler. I do. But it's just, it's getting elevated a little bit too much, as tends to happen with a lot of these quarterback positions in these drafts, where at the end of the day, it's not about the valuation of their ability, Haley, or what they could bring to the field. It ends up becoming about the supply and demand aspect of it. And that's how we get to selecting quarterbacks at bad spots or making bad picks because of that. Megan says, B, amen for about the same as you. Maximum 375. We'll start for real when you're away. Yeah, I'm going to hit it hard too when I'm, when I'm out for a week here. I'm going to really hammer the hell out of this thing. But uh, yeah, I think 350 is a good amount. I think when you start getting into this, too, too many of the sixth, seventh round guys, it's kind of irrelevant because there's so few of those guys that ever really wash out and turn into a diamond. So why not better concentrate on the guys that are more, have the potential to be those guys and get a better look and view of them. I'd much rather have a more thorough view of the top 325 than a casual view of 400. Uh, Yamala Levick, I think we're going to go Fatano at 16. He'd be a cornerstone for this offensive line and familiar with the system. Yeah, a lot of people have been making, including these recent rumors about Penix and Grubb being connected back together, but I've thought like you've thought, Yamamama, uh, that uh, what's really likely to happen here is uh, it's Troy Fatano that is the guy that they, they look to go out there and grab before Penix. He's more of the guy Grubb will be like, let me go get one of my guys from college. That's the guy he'd want to go get. Uh, I'm with you on that. And I can see it happening. Boy, well, yeah, Grenade, you have a great evening. Appreciate you. Gom Cow, what do you 
what do you think the best worst piece of our ooh what do you think is the best or worst piece of our new coaching staff oh um i think the best piece of your new coaching staff is leslie frazier because he provides mike mcdonald the now youngest coach in the nfl exactly what mike mcdonald would need as a first-time head coach wisdom um, advice, uh, a shoulder he can lean on that has been there and done it and seen it all. So I think that Frazier is, is the best of this group um, with notable mention to um, Ryan Grubb and, and uh, Kennedy Palomalu. Um, the worst of the bunch, and I guess I'll call him the worst without, I'm not trying to say he's the worst. He might be really good, but just the guy that hasn't necessarily done as much as some of the other guys to get the job he's getting here would be, I think, Jay Harbaugh. You know, there's a little bit of some nepotism here in this hire where, you know, his special teams have been okay at Michigan. They've been fine, but worthy of a promotion to the NFL level in that same position, I don't, I don't know on that. Um especially with who we had here in place, Calm Cal with Larry Izzo prior. And you could have retained Larry Izzo and he's been performing and producing really great units here for a very long period of time. Or at least since he took over the position. So uh, that'd be my, my, my plus and minus, guys. Gar says, so Lincoln Riley had Rattler and Caleb Williams at Oklahoma. That's correct. Another reason to not watch college football or at least take it seriously ever. <laughs> Yeah, Caleb took over for uh, Rattler uh, was underperforming and Caleb took over for him. Garth. Uh, Haley, I ask more because JS says he was going to take Russell Wilson in the first then wanted to take him in the second. If he's got a second round grade on him, for example, would it be within value for the fifth year alone? Um, maybe. Maybe there. Um, it, it's certainly not out of you know, it's not out of the measure, Haley, of as far as being unreasonable or or it being something that feasibly could happen. You know, could could it occur? You know, yeah. I mean, it 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 could occur. Um, but remembering Haley with this, that you know, because John Schneider is such, I think, a, a, at his core, a hardliner on the value based system. Not only did he not take Russell Wilson in the first, not only did he not take Russell Wilson in the second, but he waited all the way to the third round, even though Haley he had a first round grade on Russell Wilson. You know, and if you take that, if you take that from a logical kind of reasonable approach, it says John Schneider would have been willing to take Russ Wilson in the first round, but the value-based mon- model that he has guiding his philosophy over, over, you know, overruled that. Said, nope, you're you're not going to do that because you're value-based. And when you got in the second round, and you're like, man, but I really love him. Value-based, John. Value-based, John. And then bam, you come back to the third. Now, could it have been Haley that Carroll was like? I'm not drafting a five, nine quarterback in the second round. No, how, no way. And I override you. Could have been that too. Could have been that too going on. Um, This is part of that learning process of we'll learn much more succinctly about where John Schneider stands, Haley, on his outlook of the draft picks. And if he's trying to get more or if he just needs to go get his quarterback or, you know, we'll get the the clearer view of his, his, his view of it, so to speak. Um, but uh, I would be surprised to see him take Spencer Rattler in the first. If he trades back twice, Haley, and you're at 29, and you've picked up extra couple of picks, and then he makes Rattler the pick, makes more sense because he's like, look, I'm still getting just the number of bites I was going to get prior, um, and I still get my QB on it. So that from that point, 
it would make sense, Haley, if it was a trade back a couple of times. That would make way more sense on it because you're getting those other picks to go back and address the offensive line, address the nose tackle, address the middle linebackers, address the tight end. Corey Indall, what is your valuation on Byron Murphy? Uh, Byron Murphy, I have locked horns. It's pretty much neck and neck between Zerzon, Newton, and Byron Murphy. Um, it's another one of those guys. This happens to me on certain positions where it's like I go back and forth on which one I want to put higher on my board. I both have them at this point of of real late round, first round to early second round valuation on them. Some people have Murphy up much higher in the first. I I don't think Byron Murphy is the same type of prospect that Jalen Carter or even Kalijah Cansey was last year. Cansey going 19th overall in the first round. So I see him as a as a, a late second, good overall player. Both Newton and uh, Murphy provide you pass rush and run stuffing ability. They're not just one trick ponies. Um, Murphy's got some twitchiness to him that is a little bit unique for some of the other three techs in this draft. But I don't think he's such a separating talent that you couldn't wait to eventually deal with three tech later on down the road in this draft. Uh, rather than jumping on him as one of the first or two guys that are taken off the board. But uh, real good prospect. Real good prospect. Team Bomber, I'm not a fan of Fatano at 16, not going to lie. I'm not either. I'd prefer to trade back a couple times and then still land him at that point, King. If the team decided or under, or, or determined that, you know, his value was worth it at that point to grab him. You take a lineman at 16, King Bomber, I'm not going to be mad about it. You know what I mean? I think it's going to help the team. It's going to help the team tremendously. And uh, does it bring star power? Does it maximize picks? Does it? No, it doesn't do those things. But I'll at least be, okay, it's fine. You know, kind of thing with it. But I get where you're coming from. I think Docs, Brandon, sorry, I forget. Did you name a backup quarterback uh, draft pick for Geno since Travis is injured? Did you wait for Joe Milton or pick someone higher? I ended up taking a track where I would just look to go get a veteran minimum deal out there. There wasn't really a quarterback in this draft. Um, the, the ideal here was three months ago to go and find a guy right around these third round. You have two third round picks, take a guy in the third round. But what's happened here is that the quarterbacks have just kind of been bled from. You First, you've had the guys that were originally going to be in the third round getting pushed up into second, first round territory. Then you had a, a collection of quarterbacks that then went back to school. Your you know, Riley Leonard, your Cam Ward types right? So it's basically just kind of leaned out the, the presumptive prospects for the quarterback position throughout the whole draft beyond the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. So um, I ended up staying with more of the valuation on my board, Dick Hawks. So I came up with guys that were coming up like a Jalen Ford in the, in the fifth round was available to pick. That's a better pick to go with than let's say a Joe Milton to me, because I think that Ford can start in this league. I think he's a great coverage linebacker. I think I can just find a role for him, even in my defense at times. Uh, whereas with Milton, there's so much rough edges there to have to hone out. So uh, my bottom line on my offseason approach to this, Dick Docs, was just going and getting a veteran minimum backup in there for a season and, and getting by. It'd be great to draft a guy. I just don't think that it's going to make itself able to happen. There's just too many other factors that don't, don't let it occur, unfortunately. Haley says, all I know is if John Schneider drafts a quarterback in the first, whoever it is, I'm sold on them. Guy wanted to trade Russell Wilson to move up for Allen or Mahomes. I trust his quarterback evaluation. Certainly, Haley, I will be in the same camp on this. I, I don't like the thought of going for a quarterback. I want to build up the offensive line, but John Schneider's earned trust in certain areas. And one of the areas he's trust to your point has been with quarterbacks. Being at the pro day of Allen Mahomes, drafting of Russell Wilson, Haley, and waiting until the third round to do it, finding the right about not only the valuation of the player, 
But then getting that kind of player in the round that you got, you still were able to go get Bobby Wagner and Bruce Irvin before you got back over to Russell Wilson. So that's also another feather in his cap. And even Geno Smith is a feather in his cap. Willing to roll with Geno Smith the past couple of years has proven to be John Wright on that side of it. So when it comes to quarterbacks, I think he understands things pretty well. He comes from a background, Haley with the Packers, who now have, if love is going to continue to round in shape and we're expecting this offseason, Jordan Love to get a contract extension. That'll mean that the last three quarterbacks that the, that the Packers have targeted to be their starter over the last uh, you know, 25 years of football have all hit, have all been right. So this also fits to the track record of John with, with Green Bay and those ties there too. Haley says, I really don't like Penix currently, but if John Schneider says he's worth the first, I'm a Penix Dan, laughing out loud. <laughs> I'm with you on it. I'll be the same way. I'll be the same way. He's earned the year. It's completely valid. He's earned the right on this to earn some, some respect and trust. Chris Fatano at 22, 25 would be nice if we could pick up a second, moving back some. That'd be the way I'd like to go to Chris. I mean, even the thing with the Fatano pick at 16 is that trading back twice, you could maybe miss Fatano, but then there's still Graham Barton. There's still Cooper baby. There's still a Jackson powers Johnson. There's still some really good offensive linemen at that point that even if he's not there and you get that extra second round pick, and what's better, the one Fatano or the Cooper Bebe and a Junior Colson? Yeah. Valdez says, yeah, John Schneider knows quarterback, so if they take one, you can trust he'll be the right choice. I think you can. I do believe you can. Uh, Keen Bomber, I prefer JPJ at 16, personally. Yeah, I'd be okay with that, too. I'd go either way with it, but I'd, I, yeah, I'd probably prefer maybe a little bit more to that. Maybe a little more star power to JPJ. Greg says, Brandon, that's interesting. I like to start backwards by looking at guys considered late round picks because top picks tape is usually easy to find. And I learn about risers like Christian Hayes, Christian Haynes sooner. That's fair. Fair way of going about it with the approach. Um, it's part of what for me, Greg, with it is just that in doing the process, it's that I get the ask the questions. So it's usually going to be much more of the top end guys I'll get asked about. Um, that I need to have kind of more readily available at the tip of my tongue here when we get into like mid-February to you know mid-April. Um, so that's part of it too that drives the process. I just know I'm going to be asked more about player given A here in the third round than player B likely to be in the late fifth round. You know, But I'd actually, to be honest, I'd also hoped, Greg, I was going to be this year a lot more. I, I'd hoped by this point I was going to be more up around like the 250, 275 range on the prospects I've looked at. It's just been a little bit of a, Slow process for me this this year. A lot going on. A lot of irons in the fire right now. King Bomber, Fatano would be a left guard. I don't think he's going to be Mauler enough to be right guard taking on one text. He's pure left. I don't think he's going to have the arm length Bomber to hold up at left tackle. The next level. Also considering a big part of the move there, King Bomber, and what I expect them to do at the left guard position, quite frankly, I mean, is you're very likely to take a tackle and move him to guard. That's kind of a, a common requirement or a common thing that you see from offensive lines that are moving towards mobility is you can't find the guy that's the pure mobile guy at the guard position because they're all trash cans that can't move in space. So you got to find the left tackle. You can kick the left guard to find the guy that's movement-based because... Mobility is at the centerpiece here more than being a drive blocker or a real mauler at the point of attack. Chris says a cheap backup could be Minshew if he doesn't sign with Indy. I'd go with that completely, yeah. A guy too, I believe, that's got the air raid system in his pedigree and his background at uh, WSU, right, Chris? So he's actually, I think, run this system before. 
Megan says, Ox Nest, where do you get your film to study for the draft from? Most of it tends to be where I find on, on YouTube, Megan. Most of it's located there. You know, if you look between, especially the last two years, you don't have to do just 2023 with a lot of these guys too, as you look at both of the years of tape. So even if you've got, you know, limited tape on one team for a couple of games, um, the key on a Megan is of course, just typing in like, if I'm looking at Dallas Turner off the edge, I would type in Alabama defense 2023, and you're going to get a collection of games that'll pop up for you. And then you can just kind of clip through very quickly at that point whole given games because they have the successive of snaps bump 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 right there on top of each other was a guy a guy out there does a it was named do a barrel roll um has uploaded a lot of different games and content on there so just kind of go through it that way piece by piece and as much as i can kind of find janet how remind me how Olawa team is developing I don't know, Janet. He played one game at the final point of the year. He did okay in that game, but I don't think that the team played him anything beyond a sample size enough to get any read on where he is as a player. Uh, I, uh, kind of the part that frustrates me a little bit, Janet, here, because uh, you weren't getting great play out of um, Evan Brown. There was a big open door there to go and implement. Um, a big open door there to go and implement uh, Oluwatimi as the starter, and they just didn't take the steps to do so. Radu, any way we can get a quarterback for the future by a trade like we did with Hasselbeck? If so, who would you like? It's a bit of a different age. I was having a conversation about this with somebody else um, recently, Radu, and I think what's happened here is that the past, especially 15 years, the evaluation of the quarterback position has gotten better. Um, I think also what's happened here, Radu, is because the fact that quarterbacks no longer are paid top of the market money when they walk in the door like your Sam Bradford was, like your Matt Stafford was, that taking a quarterback in the first round is now not so cost efficient in, in the risk that it used to be if you're taking those guys. So I think that what that's caused is quarterbacks to get taken higher, faster, and get put implemented in the spots, be evaluated better. Um, that model that the Packers used to have, Rod, do where they would develop quarterbacks every other year and then ship them off for some, some tangible assets. You don't see those kind of trades anymore. You see them very, very, very infrequently, right? The Matt Schaub type trade that the Falcons made when they moved him to the Texans when they had Michael Vick. You just don't see these kind of moves anymore because there's really not those kind of guys sitting waiting in the wings that are that good. Um, I think we're doing pretty good with some of the frontline talent, the quarterback position in the NFL. I don't know if the backups are as, as strong as they once been with that. So I don't think that there's really as much of a developmental guy like a Hasselbeck sitting out there. Not that I can think of. Not that would interest me. Yeah. And especially not for this offseason, Radu. You know, specifically for this offseason, being willing to go out there and get there. Janice, remind me how... Uh, Haley, I really want to beef up the interior offensive line. Getting two offensive guards, bringing back Evan Brown would be my ideal, but I'm also out on free agency this season. Want to re-sign our guys and ignore free agency. Not a bad way to go and get on the compensatory front of things. Um, only issue there with Evan Brown is just again coming back to mobility has got to be a centerpiece of this offense as we go forward. I don't know if Evan Brown's got quite the mobility we might look for from the position now as we go forward. Uh, Sir Gimpalot, thank you for the $2 donation, Sir Gimpalot. Is it Byron Murphy at 16 or trade down for a second? Um, I'd be okay with that. 
I do have a little bit of a later grade on Byron Murphy than that myself. Um, the tough part here too, thank you, Sir Gimpelot, is that if you do go with this route in Byron Murphy, if it's happened after you've signed Leonard Williams, then you're going to be looking at Byron Murphy being at the very minimum your third on the depth chart for three tech, meaning he's the third guy to come off the bench for the three tech role because Murphy's a pure, pure three tech. He wouldn't be able to do any one tech stuff. And you're really not going to want Leonard Williams operating out of one tech a tremendous amount of time. Um, I'd say, Sir Gippelot, if you don't sign Leonard Williams, it makes a ton, a ton of sense to do that. But if you sign Leonard Williams, it's going to be hard for him to, to get on that football field, you know? Um, but a lot of people have Murphy up at that spot, too. A lot of people have him up around that 16 area of things. So um, I'm a little bit, I'm just a little bit soft. I'm a little bit cold on him versus other guys. Hey, I want to be back. Uh, Leonard Williams, Brooks, Fant, and even Brown. Maybe Bobby, if we're feeling thin at the linebacker. I don't think you're going to have the money to bring all those guys back, Haley. We're going to be a little bit restricted on the monetary side of it to do all that, I think. But I don't know. We'll see what the team does. They've, they've got a lot of different directions here they can go with those, those different guys. Have a good night, Janth. You too, Megan. Geno Stone's all right. I don't know if they'll target him either, though. I get paid. Bill Castle, an offensive line, get Fuaga as more of a run blocker. That's what we need. I'm okay with Fuaga. Definitely a blue chipper I have in this draft right now. William Hanby, thank you for the $2 donation. He says, we need some Polynesian power on O and the D-line. Let's see, what do we got? Do we got any Polynesians in this draft? Is Olufashanu? Is that a it's Polynesian? Don't think we get our hands on him. Talise Fuanga would be it. Fuanga would be awesome. That's your man, William. Fuanga would be the guy. Defense. JT Tumalioa. He's an edge out of Ohio State. Princely Uma Menamamelian. He's another edge. Maurice Luafa, a middle linebacker. There's a couple in this draft. I'm with it, William. Can't go wrong with the Polynesian power. We already got a Polynesian beef stick in Zach Charbonnet. He says, my favorite. Thank you for the donation, William. Appreciate you. Radu says, so Penix is 16 is not a good pick. I just, Radu, the big key with Penix is keeping him upright, keeping him protected. The man was only sacked nine times last year. He'd be going to a roster now that was 28th in pass protection. Um, he doesn't throw as well on the run as he does within the pocket. And so you really want to draft Penix, Radu. It's not bad taking Penix at 16 necessarily. It's that if you take Penix, you want to have the line built up already. You don't want to have it to be a work in progress or else you're very likely to get a guy like Penix who's been injured a lot in the past, beat up and injured again. And so that's where the, I think for many people have that there's the hesitancy there with Penix from that standpoint of it, where we're just, the fit just isn't quite right with the timing and play of the roster. King, yeah, I agree. Bowers is there at 16, you take him. You just take him. 
Bailey says, won't we have like $50 million once we send Adams to Narnia? Uh, get rid of uh, uh, Diggs and ship Monet to the wall. Um, you do get some money you do create. Uh, that's, that is for sure. So uh, the money created is about, instead of $50 million, Haley, it's more like $50 million. So let's just say you sign Bobby Wagner for a one-year $8 million deal. You sign Leonard Williams for three-year $46, $47 million deal. That's going to cost you about $18 million off of that $40 million of cap space. So right there off the gate, Haley, you lose about half of your cap space right there from the rip, okay? So um, you have $23 million, $22 million to spend after you've just dumped the money on Leonard Williams and Bobby Wagner. You need to have $8 million for your draft to sign your draft picks. So now $8 million comes off that money even further, right? So that takes us down to $15 million. You need to have a six to $7 million reserve fund every year so you can make signings in season on top of that. So that now takes you down to about $8 million to spend. Eight, we'll call it, Haley, just we'll call it eight to $11 million to spend to give it a little bit of bump. Not going to be able to get a lot done with that money. And you got to fill a lot of the roster out out of the side of that. It seems like a lot, I know, but it's really not that much. If they do some restructures, it's definitely possible they could free up some more space at that point, Haley, for sure. The problem with just the restructure part of this, Haley, though, is that when you look at not only the cap situation this year, but into 2025, you're right now set to have the 28th amount most of cap space for 2025. So if you push money into the future of 2025 in a year where you're really maybe looking to commit to really drive to being a contender, you're going to already then push more money out at that point. You're going to put yourself into even further peril to create space into next season. You know, we end up kind of kicking the can down the curb and it just gets, the can gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, so to speak. Chris says, wonder if we could get Frankie Luvu if Bobby doesn't come back. Luvu with clean or Brooks might be sweet. Still need a linebacker though. Frankie's good. Great all-around player, can do a lot of different things really well, including a very top-notch blitzer, which certainly would fit in the scheme well, Chris. Um, potentially could be a target for the Hawks this offseason. Absolutely. I love where your head's at, man. Phillips says, I wish we could find another late first round another first late in the round. That's my thinking. That'd be nice. Corey, was trading Max Unger in a first pick for Jimmy Graham one of the worst transactions the Seahawks have made? After Unger was traded, the offensive line took a huge drop. Um, Tom Cable's system wore down offensive linemen more than other systems do. Uh, the, the Saints system wasn't built on cut blocks and linemen diving at the ankles of the opposition. Um, I think that a lot of the reason that Unger was moved had to do with the injury situations that were mounting with Unger and why he did have a couple of years of a nice run there with the Saints. It wasn't a long period of time before Unger was retiring um, after going there. Um, I think the issue came into play not in the trade itself, Corey. It was just in that you sort of went, well, we'll take our Max Unger resource and now we're going to put that in a tight end. And then we're going to treat the center position like it doesn't matter. 
I think that was more of what the problem was inherently at play there. It's not that you move on from Max, it's that you don't look to seek to find any replacement. You take guys like Drew Nowak and say, you're going to be the starter now, right? That's, that's really the issue at play there. It's, it's more of the, you can do the one move, but now you have to come back and address what you've lost a little bit, find the right replacement in there. You know, they make a move for a guy like uh, an Ethan Posick, and then he doesn't go and play center for the first three years of his career. Bit of a representation by how weird they kind of went with their personnel sometimes on that offensive line. Not a great trade, but I, I think Unger would have gotten even more beat up here, Corey. I think his career would have lasted even less longer with Tom Cable. That throwing 330-pound men at the feet of a defensive lineman is not healthy for the body. Especially when you do it over and over and over and over again. Haley says, I'm still not a fan of Bowers. Could just be my own bias with how often people throw generational around now. Yeah, I don't think I've, I, I think I've come back around from the generational point. I do think that he is the best tight end prospect to come out in the five or six year period. I do believe that. Um, is it a generational? Maybe not. Maybe not a generational. And you're right. That probably does get utilized a little bit too often. Rodney says, draft Penix, let him sit one year under Geno and create a super line with this in next year's draft. Trading is also a thing. I like it, Radu. Let's go. I'm with it. As long as you deal with the line, if you're going to get Penix, just got to deal with that line and make it the next big priority thing. William trade for Vita Vea. Too much dead money, my man. I'd love to do it, but uh, the dead money is uh, would be incredible. Silas McDonald just coming in. What's up, Brandon? How you doing, Silas? Good to see you in the house, brother. Hope you're having a good night. Al Bundy, uh, currently sports track, has it as $9 million needing to be put aside for the draft picks that we have on the books. And John Schneider has said in the past that he likes to have 6 to $7 million as a reserve fund um, on top of that. So I'm going off of Schneider's words with this one. Ryan A. Wilson B., what it do? Screw it. We're going to need jersey sales and gate. Draft Kool-Aid McKinstry, sign Bobby back, allow Coach Mack a year to evaluate what he has. Either way, bye-bye Jamal. Bye-bye Jamal's right. I think he's definitely heading on his way out the door. Uh, no, he will. Just I think that's where it's going. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry, huh, Brian? Well, that'd be a hell of a, hell of a pairing between McKinstry and... Uh, uh, Witherspoon, though, where does Woolen go at that point, man? I guess you kick him outside. You have just Witherspoon rocking slot full-time. Just run nickel 24-7. Uh, Dylan, Devin White's definitely in play. I think Antoine Winfield's going to end up being franchised by the Buccaneers. I cannot see any feasible way the Buccaneers let Winfield walk. I know safeties don't matter anymore and nobody wants to pay for one, but that would be wild to see them cut him after making him a first-round pick and after he's become the player they hoped he would be when they drafted him. Devin's really interesting. And maybe the uh, the happy medium point between uh, Jordan Brooks and a Patrick Queen might just be a Devin White. Phillip, with another late first, we might be able to take Barton along with Fuanga. Then we have another. Then we have an offensive line. How are you getting the first though, Philip? How are we getting the how would you get the uh first round pick? 
pull that off. I'm with it. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm completely with putting those two guys together. That'd make that offensive line awesome. But I don't know how we'd get an extra first round pick at this point. Who would we have on the roster that we would want to move for that? Haley's the only issue with the Jimmy Graham trade, in my opinion, is they essentially traded for the keys to a Lambo when they don't have a driver's license. Good way of putting it, Haley. Yeah. And that's my big issue with it too, I think, uh, in the same way as um, I, uh, you didn't use him right. You, he's in, you tried to turn him into an inline tight end. You know, that's Cable's influence and all that stuff. He's an uh, H-back slot guy. That's how he should have been used. Don't know why the team was so intent on turning him into something that he wasn't, but he was. Uh, Ricardo says, doesn't Brock Powers look small to you, even compared to Laporta? All the generational tight ends were large guys. I don't know, man. I it, Watch him on a football field. He doesn't seem small to me. Um, he doesn't play small. He's been, uh, he's been a beast out there. Um, again, I don't put him on a generational tight end spot that I might have thought he would have been at maybe even a year ago and where he was going, but the man was out there dominating for two seasons on a team that won the national title. I mean, he was as much their featured player as any guy on that offense. And uh, that stands out to me. I watched certain games this year where they don't have as much on their offensive side of the ball at their skill positions, and he's carrying the team at times on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I understand that there's some picks out there now. There's some picks of him standing next to Gronk, and he looks a couple inches short in Gronk. But... Um, I still do love him a lot as a prospect and feel Ricardo. He's, again, one of the better tight end prospects we've seen over the last five or six years. Understanding, again, that this has been a position that has been very dearthy. There's not been a lot of tight ends of really good value coming out in recent years. Laporta was strong last year and went on to have a really, really good year. But year in and year out here through these last couple of drafts, it's been a weak, weak tight end class, in my opinion. King Bomber, any thoughts on keeping Adam for one more year? Uh, King Bomber, it's going to save you more than $6 million. You're going to make him a post-June 1st designation. So I'm not sure where you're getting the $6 million money from, but he's a post-June 1st de designation, which will save you collectively $16.5 million off of this cap. He carries a $20 million dead money, King Bomber. You split the $20 million into two years. $10 million of dead money this year, $10 million of dead money yet next year. You save $16.5 million collectively by moving on from Jamal Adams. You have to do that to create the space when you're sitting on negative $2 million of space. We don't have an option to just run it back with these guys. That's not an option on the table right now. Negative $2 million of cap space as it stands right now. Cap has got to be created from somewhere. And you don't have a, an endless variety. I mean, do we want to cut Tyler to keep Jamal? That's kind of what you're going to have to do if you don't want to go the other way with it, you know? Rodu, no, I don't think Woolen can play the slot. I just, he got moved to corner. He's a corner. Brian says, I honestly have zero clue how good McKinstry is. Seriously, only seen the merch and gate and promo dollars oozing from a name Kool-Aid. 100%. Well, it does say McKinstry on the back, though. You're not going to have Kool-Aid on the back of the jersey. So, um, but he's good, lock solid cornerback. Maybe the probably the best cornerback in this draft. Um, somebody would argue with it, but I think he's an easy first round corner. Silas McDonald, Matabuki is my number one free agent target. Who's yours, B? 
Jadavian Clowney. I, I, I think part of this, when I look at as an outlook of my number one free agent target, Silas, is there's going to be guys franchise tagged. There always is. Some of these guys are going to be signed to contract extensions. I don't see any way that the Ravens are going to let Matabuke go. I think that they make him a franchise tag option. I think that they'd franchise tag him, even if that means that they have to let Patrick Queen go. But Silas, we don't have any money to spend. That's really the bottom line here. Uh, we've got big guys and there's a lot of free agents and people are like, let's buy that one. Let's buy that one. The bottom line on this is the team is likely to probably retain Leonard, Leonard Williams and Bobby Wagner with it. They're likely to put some restricted tags out there on a guy like Mike Jackson, which is going to be $2.8 million on a one-year deal. That's $3 million off the rip right there. The money's going to get pared down really quickly. You're going to have about $14 million to spend in free agency. So the sites have got to be lowered down a little bit on the, on the caliber of player that we can go out there and target. It's going to be wave three, wave two guys. We're just not going to have the money to compete with the likes of those teams that have 80 or 70 or $60 million to spend without having to make a single move. You know, they're just sitting on that cap space as it stands right now. Chris says, I think Bowers is the same size as Kittle. That sounds right. And Kittle can certainly be pretty beasty on his own right um, at his size. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, Chris. He's kind of got maybe what might look like a thin build, but he plays very strong. You know, there's guys that all that play stronger than what they might look in their build, and he is one of them. You think Locker retires? Asked Haley, or is this, or is it cut this season, or does it give it one more ride? Unless he sees us winning at all, what reason would he want to come back? Well, making some good money, I'm sure that that's probably a bit of a factor into it, Haley. Um, I think what you end up having to do actually is that money that we just talked about needing to spend that's going to get so tight. I think one of the things you're going to be drawn to do is converting Tyler's base to bonus this year and you let him ride out on one more year and then you probably have Tyler retiring after one more season. So base to bonus, he costs eight and a half million on the cap this year. You save eight million on the cap. You you create that space and then you kind of sit on that reserve money to potentially make maybe like a trade deadline deal. But um I would, uh, um, I don't see any reason to cut him at this point. The savings are not so substantial to do so, and um, he's still playing pretty good football. King uh, BC pre-June would mean you save $6 million this year and no dead money next year. I look into this stuff pretty deeply, King Bomber. I'm pretty good about my numbers, but all right, brother. I understand. I got to prove my case sometimes. Let me prove my. Let me prove the numbers to you. Let me show you the numbers so you know I ain't. I ain't bullshitting you. Okay. Okay, King. Let's look this through, brother. Let's let's do this math on this, brother. All right. Here is the 2024 Seattle Seahawks contract situation. We can see all this here. It's down below. All the numbers are on there, 2024. But let's get on to the one guy we want to get on to here. Jamal Adams, third guy from the top. He's got a cap hit right now of $26.916, $666 cap hit. That's the cap cost right now. The dead money, this means that if you release him, this is the total dead money that it would cost you as a, as a team to release him, meaning that there would be a approximately about a six, $6 million savings by moving on from Jamal Adams without the post-June 1st designation. 
So yes, you're making them a post June first. You have to make in the post June first designation on this. Let me show me review. Save six million and no dead money for next year. Yeah, that this is the way they're going to go on this, King. It's it's not going to. Again, this is a little bit about like I that that we're, that there's some confusion on this is kind of wild to me. You have no cap space right now. You have no contracts to create cap space. There there's one guy that creates. $16.5 million of cap space. And I understand the, pre the, the preference here would be in King Bomber to not move the $10 million to next year, but you're not afforded that convenience by the way that they have structured the salary cap for this offseason. It's like you've utilized every pathway you can go. And unless it's sort of cut your nose off despite your face, slice it all down to the foundations, start from square one, unless that's the track they're looking to take, there are only certain guys you can cut out here to create the money you need to create Again, not to create Money King Bomber to go out there and go hog wild and for agency, to create the money so you can just do your normal order of business, so you can retain a Leonard Williams, so you can bring on the depth that you need to bring on to have a functional football team. There's no way they're going to just release out Jamal and have a $6 million cap unless they're totally cooking out the whole next season. You cut Jamal on that, you cut Quinn Jiggs, you cut Brian Monet, you cut Willow Disley, you're still not going to have the money to get the business done that you need to get done. I, I know that it sucks going into the future years on this, but this is the predicament they put themselves in. There's, there's no other, they're, they're, the $6 million savings doesn't do it. That, put, that takes you from negative $2 million to $4 million of cap space. Bare minimum, just to sign our draft picks and have the reserve fund, we need $16 million of cap space. Before you retain your free agents, before you put any restricted tags on anybody, before you sign other outside free agents, you need... $16 million of cap space just, just to do your normal sign our draft picks and have our reserve fund as John likes to have it. That's, it's going to require a big swing to get that done. I think some are having a hard time on this, seeing how wide this is going to require. And I'm trying, that's why I want to get to this on, this is a necessity. It's not like, well, let's be a nice option to do this. It comes down to a clear key, key point on this King Bomber. Do we want to compete next year or try to compete or is it down to the studs? The team has given no indication that they're trying to tear things down to the studs, meaning let's eat all the dead money this year. Let's take all the pain this year, and then let's just free up as much money into next season as we can. They've given no indications that that's going to be their track, you know? Radu, Hawksnest, any chancellor comparable safeties in this draft that bring that boomer aggressiveness that paired with Witherspoon? Take my money. Um, yeah, I think James Williams, uh, Miami Hurricanes, the strong safety for them have, has got some, has got a little bit of cam to his game. There's no pure cam in this draft. Um, and that's as much as you just can't be as violent as cam was at the Virginia tech level at college. Now, I mean, you'll get, you'll get ejected out of games, but Williams would be your closest comp for that. Radu, James Williams. Not really another guy I would say that's even kind of in, in the close. Not a lot of 6'4 kind of safeties out there, Rod, do. He says, oh, I guess there is a $10 million cap charge for next year. So you'd be saving $16 million overall. Bingo. Bingo. And that's such a substantial thinking versus the other spots you can go to. You got to make that call here. It becomes when you go through these numbers quickly, you know, you, you look at it and you go, okay, Geno stays. Lockett stays. All right. DK staying. Draymond staying. Then we get to, well, okay, Jamal, Quandre, you know, 
Brian Monet. Haley says, I mean, they could backload Leonard uh, Williams, drop his first year hit to $8 million, and we get, a bunch of, we get a bunch back next season if we make the standard cuts. Well, in my, in my presumptive scenario, uh, Haley, um, if we sign him to a three-year, $46 million deal, I had the lowered cap hit down at like $9 million, $10 million anyway. I still had it about that spot. Bobby's going to pull in probably a one-year, $8 million deal somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe one year, $7 million deal. But these numbers are all going to be basically close. It's going to be right between a Bobby and a Leonard. That's right around $17 million, however you want to slice it. And because with Leonard Williams, remember what we ran into last year, Haley, on this situation when we, wa we walked into the Draymond Jones signing. When you do the three years rather than the four years, you lose the ability to back backload the contract as much as you could, Right. So, you know, last year, when you look at the two presumptive contracts that were close to each other that were signed at the same time, Draymond Jones and Javon Hargrave, go look at how those two contracts were structured. Go look at the first year cap hit of those two contracts. And when you get into the Draymond Jones deal, which was a three-year signing versus the Hargrave signing, which was a four-year signing, you're not able on the three-year signing to bring the numbers down in that first year or backload because you don't have the extra year of that contract to get it done. Because Leonard Williams is over 30 years old, he's only going to get a three-year deal. You're not going to want to throw him that four-year deal. The team's tendency has been to, to lean more into the three-year deals more than four. Kind of like, we'll spend more money to keep you on the three-year deal than um, you know, committing to the four-year contract unless you're really a player that's in-house and we just love you and you know, you, you're a legacy, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely tried to lower even in my first hit in my presumptive scenario there. It's just that... Bobby's on a one-year deal. You're not likely to sign him to a two-year deal. It's a one-at-a-year-at-a-time one thing. And Leonard's cost is going to be kind of high because it's a three-year contract. And you can't dump that fourth year like the Niners could with Hargrave. Niners with Hargrave, uh, Haley could take that first-year hit cap hit down to $6.5 million on a deal that was paying him, what, $18.5, $19 million per year. Um, but that's that fourth-year attribution that you can bring into play. Megan says, how much does the cap change by? Um, I think it's got like 16 or 17 million is what they're, is what they're expecting it to go up to. But in, uh, in Megan, in the sports track, if you look at the sports track, for instance, right now, they've got the cap set around 250 million. So they've got the increase already baked in within the numbers that they're providing. Ricardo, I think the wide receiver depth in the draft makes Lockett expendable, but he can go for another season. It's, it's just that there's not a lot of money to save on, on Tyler. I mean, you save... $8 million, which isn't pennies, but $8 million doesn't give you a whole lot in this day and age in the NFL, unfortunately. Um, but they could make him a post June 1st, just like with Jamal. I mean, if they want to go hog wild, like I say, take it down to the studs. I mean, you could post June 1st, designate him, and then you have a very similar situation to what you'd have with Jamal at that point. And that would free up a ton of money if they wanted to go that route. I wouldn't advocate for it, but it's certainly possible. King says, does the $20 million mean that $10 million is assigned to this year and $10 million next year? Exactly. 10 million dead money this year, 10 million dead money next year. And, and Haley, what you do is it's a post-June 1st designation with a guy like Jamal or Tyler. So you designate them post-June 1st. The league does this to help out both the player and the team. So it's, you get all of the benefits of like you've cut them at June, but you get to cut them now and post-June 1st and where it splits the dead money up into two years. Boy, this is confusing, huh? I, I think I'm trying to confuse this, but I, I'm seeing the comments and I think I'm just confusing people way more. 
Let's go back to the numbers. Let me bring it back up here, uh, King Bomber. Okay. Let's, I think you're getting confused here, a little bit lost in the forest despite the trees. Go over to the dead money cap hit column. Okay. Jamal Adams, $20 million, 833,000. Okay. Calculate that, divide that by two. Half, one part of that dead money hits this year's cap. One part of the dead money hits next year's cap. Think about nothing else in this process. Don't take into cap hit. Don't look at the average base salary. Just lock in if you can, my man, on that dead money. $21 million divided by two. One hit this season, one hit next season. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't know on the pay him front, what you mean on the pay him, pay him front side of it. I, I don't know what you mean by that. Yeah, I guess if you're saying if you pay him through and you don't cut him this year, then on next year's cap, let's flip to it. I think that's what you're asking. So on next year's cap, that would mean if we go to it, you've got the $27.9 million cap hit that he has, right? But then, yeah, you, that's only a $10 million dead money hit. That's the last of the remaining bonus portion money that's on the books at that point. So then if you cut him at that point, you're then basically making $17, you know, $17 million in savings on next year's cap if you wait to cut him. But of course, too, that comes with you then carrying the cost on this year's cap, which just isn't really feasible. Megan says, that's what I thought was sports rack. Thanks, B. Yeah, I was checking on that the other day. I was like, wait, did they pre-bake the cap increase in? Because I was thinking, Megan, wait, no, we got more space. Because there'll be like 17 million of cap space that'll increase along on this. No, it's, uh, it's already baked in, unfortunately. Sorry if I didn't explain that really very well, King Bomber. It's kind of a, it's conceptually can be a little confusing with it. Radu says, you think it would be that hard to find a Will Disley replacement that would be so much cheaper? Who says we need, uh, who says we need three tight ends? Well, um, uh, Grubb had a lot of commitment at the Washington level, Radu, of running a lot of 12 personnel. So if you don't have three tight ends, you're going to find yourself a lot of times hard, hard pressed to get enough guys, healthy bodies out there to run even just simply 12 personnel with two tight ends. So it's, it's a bit of a requirement within Grubb's scheme, I would say. Um, finding a top 17 tight end much cheaper. When I've looked at the free agent list, Radu, I've not really found anybody that's um, somebody you're going to be able to bring in at this point. George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Sam Laporta, Trey McBride, Jake Ferguson, Cole Komet, Evan Ingram, Dalton Schultz, Will Disley. Uh, bring this up. Let me show you this right here. Here's your top rated, Radu. Here's your top rated tight ends in the entire sport by PFF. Most of the guys on this list are either well paid for or they were high picks. 
on this list. You're not really going to tend to find a guy for cheap value at the tight end position at this point, especially a guy, if you look at, if you look at these guys and their skill sets, right? Look at Sam Laporta. How's it he as a pass blocker? How is he as a run blocker? He's a marvelous pass catcher, but how does he hold up in that realm of things? How about Kelsey? Pretty, pretty horrible run blocker at this point is Kelsey. Still does a lot of other things really well, but not good in that respect of things. Disley's all around a good player. All around a function. There's not some major error hole in his game. You can use him in every way you need to utilize a tight end. So I think that's also a bit of the value he brings is that he's a very complete tight end. He brings on top of the fact you have one tight end on the roster right now, Radu. You know, say nothing of do we need three tight ends. You need just one tight end. You go away from Disley, you're going to have to find the other guy. And, and the free agent market out there for tight ends is not deep. It's a lot of guys that are more pass catchers, Radu, than they are run blockers or pass blockers for that matter. Kind of need both there. And so can you find a pass catcher who can definitely fit to what Disley does? Yeah. Can you find a guy who's as good a run blocker who's also as good a catcher as Disley? No. You're not going to find that skill set and certainly not that skill set for cheap. I mean, Radu, Colby Parkinson's going to go make $6.5 million this offseason. Colby Parkinson, $6.5 million this offseason. Uh, regardless, uh, King says, regardless of how much this year or next year, keeping him would mean you pay him $26 million and $10 million next year versus cutting him now, you're paying him $20 million, the difference of that 16. It's true. You're getting out from under the base salary, King, right? And we certainly don't want to commit any more money to Jamal at this point, which we'd have to be doing to some, even a small degree on that if you go that way. King says, yeah, that makes sense. What I was asking was like the net cash that Adams was making. That's a little harder on that one just because the, the bonus factor ba- factors in on this beyond just the, the base. But I get what you're saying on, he, it's the additional base you were kind of referencing on that. And that would be an increase on that versus, versus cutting him. There'd be more net money you're paying to him on top versus just the cut. Right, says, I agree, but Grubb also said he was going with his scheme due to the talent of his players. He could easily change ways, um, IMO, from what he has to play with. Would you not agree? Sure. That's certainly the way they've talked is they were going to maximize, maximize their players' talents to the utmost. Um, and so maybe that minimizes and reduces the tight end. I, I, I would be surprised if it minimizes it to this point where you're going to cut Disley and then try to just bring on a league vet minimum guy. Um, that would be a little, it would be surprising to me, Radu. Um, this draft is not super deep for tight ends. You have one first round rated tight end. You have one second round rated tight end. It's a pretty weak crew, once again, of tight ends through this draft. The free agency draft, free agents aren't very deep either. So it's, uh, it comes back to just to me on, you replace a guy, how do I go find the replacement? As much as I know that Disley's not necessarily a fan favorite or viewed as being particularly valuable in lieu of what he's making by many in the, in the fan base, where is that replacement to be found? And if you're going to be end up paying basically the same price and cost to just bring that replacement in, now you go out there and get a par- Parkinson, you could cut out Disley, Go sign Parkinson in on a three-year deal at six and a half million a year. Okay, he's he's technically a little cheaper. You're still carrying dead money on Disley because let's remember with Disley, it's not a matter of you're just cutting Disley and there's no dead money. You collectively save money, but there's still dead money associated with moving him. And so you end up with a Parkinson guy in that spot then at that part, a guy that doesn't run block as well as Disley, doesn't pass block as well as Disley, and I'm not sure is all that better of a pass catcher than Disley. That's where we go from not just a lateral move, but a lateral move that ends you at a spot where you're more of a negative at that position. You're lesser at that position. You're weaker at that position. And I, I, if I, I can't 
advocate for doing that necessarily. Kevin says, yo, if we got Kittle. Niner fans talking about potentially trading him. Corey Dill, bring back Gonk. I don't think Gronk, I think Gronk's happy with what he's doing. He's got everything going on right now. Person Kittle too expensive? I don't know. Niner, some Niner fans are a bit out on him and they're trying to get creative in how they move some money is around. I mean, they're about to get hit with some of the salary cap problems that are going to land on a team like that after the years they've gone through their Super Bowl run. So they're, they're trying to consider all the possibilities of ways they can start to save some money. And with Kittle, he's a guy that can get injured a good amount and they, they don't always do a good job of featuring him in the offense. Um, carries a high price. It's got them thinking a little bit that maybe it's, yeah, a person that maybe he's a little bit expensive for his cost. As you can see on this window capture here though, my man was the number one rated tight end at all of football. Niners aren't trading him. No way, no how. No way, no how. Uh, whatever the fans may think of him, I'm sure Shanahan thinks of it in a lot different scenario. Chris is hard to find a complete tight end. If Bubba had more bulk, he could have been one. <laughs> yep. It's tough. I'll tell you, these guys coming out every year. Um, I, I think Bowers is a good blocker overall, but there's people that question him as a blocker. Tavian Sanders is not a very good blocker. He's willing, but he doesn't, he's not able to control guys. Kate Stouffer can block a little bit of Ohio State. Um, AJ Barner can block, but uh, Ben Sinek can block. There's some good ones in this, but you're going to be giving up a third round pick for those guys at that point to do it. And Kevin Bobo is a great blocker. I think Chris was meaning more of him in a tight end. You couldn't, it's, there's a difference between Bobo blocking cornerbacks and safeties versus blocking edges and linebackers. Wilson's the Niners having trouble in paradise right now. Yes, they are. And I love to see it. And I just don't think Chris, it's too late in the game to move Bobo to tight end. You know, you got to make that transition early on in college or something. A little late once you get to the pro level. You know what I mean? A little late. A little late. All right, well, let's uh, I'll start to put a button on this. I think we've reached down to the end of the end of the stream here. Got a five-hour run here in. Uh, we'll be bouncing back here on Tuesday with the B&B show with Brendan and uh, doing some discussion with that. I might try to get a show off here on Wednesday, but uh, it's all just depend on how I can kind of get some things rolled up here as I'm going to be uh, heading to Hawaii for a week, which will put me a little bit out of rack. I want to thank uh, today the uh, sponsor of the show, Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy continues to have some great contests throughout this offseason. Basketball, baseball, hockey, March Madness. Get in on the action right now and utilize my code NEST. And if you use my code the first time you sign up with Underdog Fantasy, they will match you up to 100% of your first deposit. That's right. Use my code NEST, NEST, or just click at the top of the link in the description, description section below. And when you go to the site, they will match you up to $100 of your first deposit. So $100 on me from you to you through Underdog Fantasy. As I say, this is a win-win deal. You win, I win, channel wins, underdog wins. And they've got some great contests going on throughout the offseason. You want to get some fantasy for baseball, fantasy for basketball, you know, get some pick'ems in there. They've got it all across the board. Everything you could want to jump into. Yes, liven up sports watching experience and get with Underdog Fantasy today. Thank you, Underdog Fantasy, for sponsoring. We'll get the last couple of uh, questions in here. If uh, you got them in, let's post them on up and then we'll kind of put a little bit of a button in this button on this one if that's all good with you guys. Hey, Docs, good show, Brandon. Appreciate all your thoughts as we head towards the draft. 
Go Hawks. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate the discussion as always too, as well. And I appreciate you guys bearing with me as it will be a little bit of a, I'll try to be helping out my mom move out there in Hawaii. So we're going to be running around head, chicken with our heads cut off next week. So it'll be a, it'll be a little bit of test here to try to get a stream out there next week. But if we can, I will try to do it. And uh, maybe it'll just be a quick 20, 30 minute stream of me out on a beach here. Then what's up guys? You guys can look at my pasty ass body and be like, turn it away, turn it away. I don't want to look anymore. The number of fans that will rejoice when Adams leaves, he's going to delete his Twitter, I swear. Yeah, it's been a rough one on him a little bit. Uh, and fans have been pretty unrelenting with him, Haley. But uh, yeah, you do feel a bit bad for the guy in the respect of it's, it's uh, you know, body breaks down. Ain't his fault necessarily, you know. This happens to players sometimes. Well, you're going to be going back to the cap with Adams. You do a post June 1st, you save whatever it is, but you save more if you do it next year. If that's true, why not do it next year? Unless I'm missing something. The main reason why I'm needing to do this holy hand grenade, and this is the point that, that I think people are kind of, I don't know why it's not quite resonating with, but let me show you here. I think this will do a good job of really making this kind of hammer home, okay? So let's take a look at this. What you see right here is the top of the list for money that has to be spent by NFL teams out there in the NFL. The Washington Commanders have $83 million of money to go spend. The Tennessee Titans have $73 million to go out there and spend. The Chicago Bears have $70 million. The New England Patriots have $69 million. The Indianapolis Colts have $66 million. The Texans have $65 million. Okay? Stay with me on this. Let's just keep going down this list. Here we go. Okay, there we go. The Seattle Seahawks are at negative one and a half million dollars of cap space. So if Jamal Adams remains on the books, we've got to create more cap space. And I'm doing a really bad job in explaining this because I, I feel like I've tried to kind of run it back and forth and I'm just doing worse, I think, the more I try to explain this. You can't be negative cap space if you're an NFL team. There are not a plethora of guys for us to move off if we avoid Jamal Adams. If you keep Jamal on the books, he costs his base salary. He's not just a freebie on the books. So holy hand grenade, if you, if you leave Jamal on the books, where does the cap space get created? And you don't have to just kind of create like, you know, two million to get just barely up under the amount there, whole hand grenade. You've got to create a ton of cap space to get under this cap, as I've said, so you can do your normal order of business. $9 million. And again, let me try to show this this way. I'm trying hard, guys, and I'm so sorry I'm not doing this right because I just, I can sense and feel at times when I'm not getting across and I don't think I'm going to do this right. So this may be a spot I just have to say on this holy hand grenade that I'm just not getting it across right. Take a look at right here, 2024 projected draft pool cap, right? Pick one, 16. Pick two, pick three, 78. So it has all of our accurate selections mounted into this place, right? And then you look over here on the cap hit, total cap hit point, and you can see 2.86 million for your number one pick, 1.57 for your number three round picks, so or our third round pick is going to cost a million a year. Next third round pick, a million a year. You go down to the projected draft pool, and the total amount is $9,300,000. Let me say that again. The total draft projected pool is $9,300,000. So you, you, you're at negative one and a half million dollars of cap space. 
We want to keep Jamal because, well, we're going to save more money next year. But you've got to just merely create $9 million of cap space for just your draft picks. That's not your internal free agents. That's not the outgoing free agents. Remember, there's restricted tags on top of this holy hand grenade. So Mike Jackson, you might want to put a one-year, $2.8 million restricted tag on him so you can retain him for cheap for one more given season. Keep your cornerback room rounded out. Not going to be able to do that if you don't cut out a Jamal. And while Quandre can save you some money if you want to move on from him versus Jamal, it's, it's not enough. It's just not enough. There's a lot that has to be done. The bottom line on this, if you guys, rather than getting caught up in the minor details, the big picture on this is the cap, the Seahawks have put themselves in a shitty situation as far as their cap. It's not ideal. It's a bad cap situation, which means you got to bleed. You got to bleed some blood. They're going to have to feel a little bit of pain. There is no, it, there is no track tier where we play some Rams-like game where we just play cap, uh, you know, acrobatics and free ourselves up magically. You've got to bleed the blood. So where do you want to bleed the blood? Do you want to bleed it all in one off season? Do you want to spread the bleeding out throughout two off seasons? Like I'm saying, is probably the better way to do it. So you can still open the potentiality up of a team to compete, but you've got to bleed the blood. There's no way to do that. Well, we'll just roll with him. We'll just roll with him again then because we got to wait till next off season to do it. We just got, you've not set the cap up to be able to do it that way. They've put themselves in a pickle. They have. And, and that's, you can lament on that. That's for sure. But the, the place to go, the place I see people pivoting is this sort of like, there's a magical area to create cap space that there is not. It's not the reality of our situation, you know? And I'm sorry, it's my bad with the whole Aaron Grenade. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bad job explaining it. And that's, that's on me, man. I, I, usually I'm good about explaining this stuff clearly, but when it comes to these numbers and 20 million here and 10 million there and roll the cap here, and then you got 16 off of this and you need five to that and seven to that, I know it just becomes a bunch of numbers being thrown in 15 different directions. And that's, that's on me. Um, maybe I'll try to do maybe as another next show we can do is to get into maybe a cap economics and we can just do kind of a, here's the situation, here's where it is. And, and really, really, really get to the, to, you know, the clarity on that in my explanation of it. <laughs> uh, Corey Endall, better unplugged song. Where did you sleep last night or nutshell? Nutshell. Where do you sleep last night is good, but nutshell is a better version than the recorded track on their on their CD. If your live version is better than the than the studio version and you're doing it unplugged, you're doing it acoustically, then that wins. Kevin O'Connell, isn't it a $5 million fine not to stay within cap space? I think it's more than that, Kevin. No team has ever not done it. No team has ever said, we'll just stay negative. So we've never actually ever crossed that bridge of it happening before. Haley says, Saints are $83 million. This money, $83 million this year on the debt cap. They've been kicking in this can for like a decade with nothing to show for it. Indeed, they are. Yeah, they play the game very weirdly, Haley. They just do not want to decide to take it a year and like, let's just clear. That's a place where you, where I would say, where I would not advocate for us to do it. I would say that's a place to where you do clear the books. Call it a day. Clear the books. Move on. You know, you're not in a place to compete. 
But that team just can't eat the reality of the fact that they're not a Super Bowl contending team. They talk themselves into being a Super Bowl contending team. You lose Sean Payton, Super Bowl contending team. Lose Drew Brees, Super Bowl contending team. Michael Thomas, a shell of himself, Super Bowl contending team. You know, they're they're drinking the they're drinking the Kool-Aid big time down there in New Orleans. And it's not helping their franchise out. It's kind of silliness. Will says, that's definitely why the Broncos suck. They don't manage their cap space and don't negotiate contracts well and trade future assets to fix their mistakes constantly. Absolutely, they do. Their approach even last season and, and what they've done this offseason, just, it's, I, I just, there's not a clear, you need a clear ideology of your approach. That's why it's so important to decide this guy, that guy, how you want to do it. Where's the ideology of approach? And you don't want it to be, to your point, Will Daldez, reactionary. And yeah, it'd be a Denver or New Orleans. It's a lot of reactionariness in their cap situation and how they deal with it. What's the KC's cap? The Chiefs are, are currently sitting on $23 million of cap space. But of course, they're also in a situation where they're going to need to re-sign Chris Jones, I would say. So they've got some heavy lifting to do. Uh, th I'm sorry. Well, I, I feel I was not doing a good job on that. So I'm, I do feel bad over here because I, I can confuse things up a bit. Black, but a proper one where the lower teams in the NFL get relegated and the top teams get added to the NFL. What was that, LG? What do you think of making a second tier for football league like the, the G League and basketball? I think it's a, good, a great thing. Um, I, I think more than it being about lower teams getting relegated low and higher teams being relegated high LAC, I just don't think that that's a realistic possibility. I, what, what I think you're seeing happen with the XFL and the PFL, whatever those two different organizations that were both originally trying to compete both in the spring at the same time to be the next football league. That is the thing to me that look to see if you can get that to take off. And then it serves as a minor league organization. Uh, those teams both can capture the imagination of football fans. They can run certain rules. The NFL can't. So it's maybe a little bit of a fun nod back to the old way the game used to be played. But it serves as a minor league functionality, LAC. Um, the, that's what the G League serves as the NBA, of course, is they're not there in the G League that if you have a good G League team that they'll be good enough to go become an NBA team. The G League is there to serve to fill out the skills of the players down there and to make them better, um, to get them into a place where they've got a refined skill set to then uh, make their way up to the next level and um, go be a pro. And the NFL could definitely use that because there's not a lot of those places unless you want to go to like Canada to, to kind of further your skill set in that way. Tim says, you're going to be, I'm looking at this from more of a net savings in the next two years because I don't think we're going to do much this year. It's fair enough. Fair enough too. Glad I got it close to right then. We got out near the mark. King says, I hope I'm wrong, but I think there's a good chance we try to compete this year, but with the intention of moving our assets to 2025 and making the push in 2025. Definitely way they could go. And if they do, King, I'll be supportive of it. All I ask is they just take a tried and true, you know, here's our what we want to do. Here's their philosophy. Here's our plan of attack. And then, and then run it, you know? 
I don't mind telling this, but the, I got the, it's okay, Megan. I got the, I got the numbers up here for sports track. I don't mind letting them know. I believe there, if there was regulation, you would see a very few teams tanking and making the league more competitive. Yeah, maybe so. I, I feel like LAC, there's a problem with tanking in, in, in um, basketball. I don't know if there's as much a problem with tanking in football. It's such a sport of parity and everybody feeling like they've got an opportunity and a chance on a yearly basis that, you know, I just feel like they're rolling with that. Yeah, King Bomber, the Saints are insane to me too. And, and Trinity Trollic, Sam, I hope you didn't go, man. Yeah, nutshell, I'm, I'm more of a, I am more of an Allison Chains than Nirvana. I like them both, Corey. So I, I don't have any shade to throw at Nirvana, but uh, I am more Allison Chains than Nirvana on, on definitely their, you know, catalog. Hoy Grenade, why June 1st specifically be? Um, it's just the terminology that June 1st used to be the date the teams would wait to cut guys because they couldn't cut them before because that's the sort of the, loot, the full new league year turned over at that time. So the new cap year turned over at that point. So it went from being 2024 cap to where you can go into being a 2025. Um, they, they realized though what happened with that Holy Hand Grenade was that you're having guys that were being cut in June far after the draft, far after free agency, and with none of the teams having any salary cap space. So those players ended up getting screwed as far as their career was kind of almost done or potentially much more likely to be done by those old rules. So the NFL, instead of doing that, changed it to now we'll allow you to designate the player out as a post-June 1st guy, but you won't have to wait. So you can then put the player on the market, you can get the cap space to spend now, and then that player has a chance to still go out there and continue his career. Megan says, Allison Chains, better than Nirvana be? I'm sorry, we're done. <laughs> this is where I am. This is where I am. I love them all. I'm a Seattle band guy to the core all the way around, but just when it comes to that, I'm like, I like Nirvana. I love me Nirvana, but Allison Chains, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. Eight wins would be successes, Haley. If we get 10 wins, I, that would be a success on a general standpoint. I'm just looking for buying. I'm looking for the transition, simplicity to complication, you know, disguising from a lack of disguise, those type of things. So I'm looking for. All right, we're five hours 20 in. I think I have hit the end of the road. Oh, don't say it's true, Megan. Um, Hoy Hand Grenade, and a cut before June 1st means the whole contract is full, right? A cut before June 1st makes the whole contract full. I, you might have to ask that question again. I'm not sure what you mean, Holy Hand Grenade, on that question. You're, you're... Yes, if you're, if you're, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Yes, so if, if Holy Hand Grenade, you have two options here. On the Jamal Adams contract, you can cut him fully now and say, Jamal, you're gone right now, man. And you know what? We don't want to sacrifice any cap space. This is to King Bomber's uh, point on this. We do not want to sacrifice 2025 cap space. We want to eat this dead money now. We're going to suck next year. We want to turn this over into next season. So what you do then is you eat that $21 million of dead money, holy hand grenade, right now. Not a post-June 1st designation. Right now, you eat the whole amount of money on this year's cap. You still, sell, you still save collectively this year $7 million moving on from Jamal. 
But the full cap hit, the full burden of that would be yes, right now. First, post June 1st, you would then split it into two cap years. I, yeah, you're correct on that. Yeah, it took me a sec. I'm five hours in. I'm a little slow. Almost, I'm not the fastest man of five hours in. B, can you look if there's anything that would keep my member account from messaging in here? My messages don't show up during streams when I'm on it. Uh, boy, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I get pretty brain dead five hours, 20 minutes in. Um, you get, what, Haley, can you expand on what you mean on that? I, I don't know what you mean. That would keep my member account from messaging in here? My messages don't show up during streams when I'm on it. Huh. I can't think of anything, Haley. If it's the member messages that you get, like that come up once a month for being a member, you should still be able to post those through. Um, if you can't post through one, like maybe on the phone app, I'd say maybe try on just a different device and see if the same issues come up for you on the same device because sometimes the browsers and how this shows up on certain browsers can be different or if it's on an app versus on a browser on a PC or if it's on the phone on an app, if it's Safari versus Chrome, um, it could be a variety of different issues that are, are popping up that then present you from that. I have been, I will say this, we haven't gotten any member messages on this stream right now today. Um, I did have on the last one we did, we did some member, member messages coming in. So it could be also, Haley, that they've got some issue right now going on. And maybe it's going on with a certain browser, but um, I don't know anything about on that, on the, uh, on the deal. It's an off stream thing. Laughing out loud. My uh, account, Haley, the messages don't seem to go through. Weird. I'll, I'll see if there's anything I hear about it online. Um, but maybe others are having the problem considering we didn't get the other messages coming through on the stream today at all on that. But I hadn't heard of anything. Just any regular. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm confused, Haley. I'm just Haley. So it's your, like your other account doesn't let you message through here? Hold on, let me look and see if I've got you under here. Maybe there's something where somebody accidentally maybe put you out and um, this is roughly about five thousand. Uh, and people in my chat here. Well, yeah. Haley, I found the reason. Somebody banned you out. I'm not sure who did that, Haley. But I just found it in the, in the settings on it. So I don't know who, but... Someone banned you out on the deal. And I'm gonna I'm gonna guess somebody accidentally did it, Haley, because I've I've said nobody gets banned right now unless it's 
unless it's over the top egregious. And of course, you've not ever done anything over the top egregious. So I'm not sure why. Um, I'm not sure why it showed up like that in that manner. But I've just took it off. I saved it. I removed it off. Sorry about that. I'm not sure who did it. I certainly didn't do it. I'm not banning anybody. So something could happen accidentally. Banned for like and Gino. Maybe it was one of the other other mods got triggered on something. You know, I've I've, I've told people don't ban. So I don't know. It's it's that tough part where it's like that's the part where you got to give that control over to the mods and hope everything's being done right in the background where nobody's getting banned that shouldn't. But yikes! <laughs> you should be you should be okay now, Haley. I removed it. Yeah, you're 100 okay. And uh, Haley, if um if folks ever have any issues with feeling like you got accidentally banned or something, feel free. Email me at HeyHawksNest, DM me over there on Twitter, and uh, I'll take a look and see if there's anything we're going through. Um, it, Megan, we've got, we've got other mods that were in here too, Megan. So it d doesn't necessarily have to have been you. You know, there were other mods in here. You know, it could have been just somebody else. It's not necessarily on you that that came through. I don't think you're banning Haley. <laughs> I don't think she, you guys haven't even come close to ever getting to a point where there's like disagreement between you where that would have occurred. So um, I'm sure somebody else got their, somebody else got their panties in a bunch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We got you back, though. You're straight, Haley. Chad Wombolt. Dude, we've got all this talent. Why not trade out these picks, save cap, and bring in future talent? Uh, save cap, bring in future picks. Uh, that's what I'm advocating for, Chad. I want to trade back twice in the first round. That's exactly what the approach that I would be looking to take. We are of like mind. Trade back twice. Get some extra picks in the top 90. You know, get some really good, really good value and extra selections and uh, roll with that. On top of, like you say, trading back, save a little bit of money on the uh, total expenditures you'd have to pay for your uh, picks in the draft. No, I don't ban nobody. I haven't banned anybody in my chat in... Uh, I think it's been over a year and a half before maybe even even longer than that. I don't I don't ban people. So that's not my I don't like doing that. It's not my thing. <laughs> Won't do it. Uh got caught wearing the scarlet G. <laughs> um at least not point of sacrifice this year. That's me too, Chase. I don't, I don't want to go in that whole sacrifice all this year because I think there's a chance you can compete this year. I'm okay if we end up not. I'm okay if it ends up being a year of, of transition and, and figuring things out. But at the same point in time, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And if some of these things do become improved over the off season, some of these longstanding issues can turn around a little quicker. I'd like the opportunity to be able to strike next year if the opportunity does present itself. And I can't help but just Stand there and think, man, we do have a really a good opportunity moving into this next offseason to uh, with a weakened NFC to have an opportunity and a chance to take those steps forward. What's up, Bailey? Uh, King Bomber. Also, when should we expect to see some of these cuts happen? This week, next week? Uh, Holy Angrenade, I'd probably enjoy some Cap Space 101 with B stream. I've had that requested before, Holy Angrenade, so maybe we'll probably try to put something together like that. I think it's a great idea. And uh, we could definitely dive into some cool little things that have to do with it because it's a place that oftentimes I know is a little bit of a question mark for, for many fans. I'm not evil, but, but not evil enough to catch bands usually. 
I'm going to guess maybe hopefully somebody fat fingered him. Haley. I've had people before, um, you know, we've had, I've had some odds in before that they've just got the phone in the pocket. They want to keep it on for me to, to keep the viewership on and they might have in the pocket and button hits and something like that. So I'm going to chalk it up to that. It's probably as much as likely to be something like that. And, uh, um, stuff happens sometimes. Weatherspoon about to go crazy to make McDonald's defense mullet. Yeah, he is, man. Yes, he is. Haley says, I saw the logo for next year's Super Bowl. We're making the big game to the end. To, the, to end the Mahomes dynasty. Let's go, Haley. <laughs> I love it. Could be a YouTube thing, too. Yeah, sometimes the stuff's a little bit weird, wonky. Like says, this, damn, this channel's damn good about letting the chat cook. Yeah, man. I, I want my chat to cook. I, and sometimes that's going to lead to confrontation and it's going to make things a little fiery and hot in here. But I think that the... The ends are better than that. The ends justify the means on this one. That the the good outweighs the bad, and in leaving, and it's it's just always. Uh, I'm an I'm a a free uh, speech absolutist. I really am. I want people to have an opportunity, even even if stuff that I think is stupid or don't agree with or uh, completely get. I think this is a best place when we have an honest, open track for all ideas. You know, that's my stance on it. All right. Well, that'll be it for sure. We're five and a half hours in. I'm good to go. Getting that hangry going. I got to get a little bit of food. I still got to work on this DK Metcalf video tonight. I uh, appreciate everybody tonight, all of the watching. Uh, please hit that like button as you guys are. I really do appreciate that. Um, the schedule is going to be a little bit open, open-ended open the next couple of weeks. Somebody asked about cuts. We should maybe be hearing a little bit about cuts in the next two to three weeks. Um, it's a little bit hard until we get to free agency because it can go right up until the point of free agency, some of the cuts on this. So it's not really there's not really a timeline of exactly it's going to happen here or it's exactly going to happen there but uh, i would expect um i expect over the next couple of weeks bear with me here on the channel if you could i will be uh, going on a little bit of a vacation here um help my mom get moved off there out there in hawaii so um i'm heading out this thursday i don't know if we're gonna have a wednesday show this week we might have one but it might be a quick one on wednesday and then uh, I will be gone for a week at that point. So I'll be trying to do maybe a little bit of streaming on vacay, but maybe not a lot. So it'll be a bit of in and out. Bear with me on that if you guys could. I got a DK Metcalf video that will be coming down the line here very soon. Hopefully get that finished up in the next couple of days before I go on vacation. Give you guys something to turn over while I'm gone. Uh, thank you guys today for watching. Appreciate all of the folks who donated to the chat. You guys are as very kind as you guys ever are in that respect of things. And I really, really, really do appreciate it. Uh, we will be back soon, back on Tuesday with the BNB show, uh, live stream the combine. I'll try Haley, but I'm, I'm going to be in Hawaii. So, um, my mom is currently trying to move off of Hawaii. She's got a busted back. Stepdad's got a busted back. I'm going to need to begin there and getting down into, and I'm going to be on my vacay moving stuff around. So it's actually a trip to help out family, help mom get off the Island. And so not going to be a lot of time there to probably be able to stream or even look, do a lot of looking at the combine. You know, sometimes you got to do your familial duties. Sometimes you got to be a good son and do the right thing with that. That's more of a draw right now than uh, potentially streaming next week on the combine. If it opens up to be able to do it, I'll do it. But uh, it's going to be a lot of it's spitting plates here over the next week and a half trying to pull that off a little bit, unfortunately, with it. Appreciate you, Millette. Thank you, man. Thank you, Haley, uh, Megan. Appreciate all the modding today as you're doing. You guys have, uh, have yourself a great night. Appreciate you very much. Back soon on Tuesday with the BNB show with Brendan. And then uh, we'll be back a week and a half probably after that. But until that time, my fellow Seahawks faithful, please do not you ever forget. Never forget. Ever. Go Hawks.